Radio Shack. Okay. What? The 80s called. Welcome to the Coco Nation, the world's first live and interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and its hardware cousins. Hello, everybody. Hello. Welcome, Welcome to episode Howdy. 305. Wow. Hey, where's your where's your shirt at? Uh Mark? No Coco Fest shirt? Well, I could take care of that. Where's yours? Mine's on right now. Oh. Okay. All right. Well, when we uh take a break where I can sneak off, we'll have to do something about that. (laughs) And when are we getting Hawaiian themed uh Coco Fest shirts? Oh you know, we could do that next year. That's a good idea. Is it time for a costume change? (laughs) <laughs> hey before we get going i want to mention one thing we started coco talk predecessor to this show on march 19th of 2017 this is the 18th we are just ending up six years so we're on and year I, number seven I, now and we're starting this to year number seven and uh, i think we've only missed like three week weeks three maybe four weeks in that time did anyone so, really miss them <laughs> actually <laughs> Actually, the first one that we missed, they did. We had about 10 people complain. Well, how many uh, Cocoa After Darks do we have? That fills in for the extras. That's true. There's probably about 15 of those. So, But anyway, six years. We got six years in the camp. So, Yeah, we haven't done any After Darks in a while. I guess we've gotten a little bit more civilized. (laughs) Or old. Could be less civilized. We're getting old. We can't stay up that late anymore. We're just sleepy. No, we couldn't afford the bail money. What's the, what's the difference between sleeping on that show or this one? <laughs> Not much. Ask <laughs> <laughs> Nick. It was Coco Talk. He can't answer. He's sleeping. sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what. Let's see. Who do we got on the panel today? Hmm. And we got uh, top corner over there. Mark Overhoser. Hey, yeah, I'm here. Glad to be here. Love it always. Thank you. How do you, Thank you, how, so how do you always end up over there? I do not know. I, I am usually on top left. Maybe. I, I think you pay for preferred <laughs> parking. Mm-hmm. That could be. All right. We're uh, supposed to tell you later, though. Let's see. Next over, we've got Patrick Eland. Hey, everyone. Okay. And next up, uh, Bob Emery. Hello, everybody. Hey, L. Curtis Boyle. Welcome to the show, everyone. And next over, yours truly. Then we got Ron Delvo. I don't know about you, but I feel good. I feel good. <laughs> I'm going to Coco Fest. See you All right. Okay. You bringing a whole garage with you? I've uh, I've gone to the bank and made a large withdrawal. And I've dispersed it to all the people that are sucking money for the show. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm ready. Just got to fly there. 
Okay. Looking Next forward up. to seeing you again, Ron. Cool. Rear hugs this, coming. Th- this is going to be a good one. I think a lot of people are coming that haven't haven't been haven't been in a while. Yeah, there's going to be some new blood coming, uh, both completely new and and you know new as in the first time in years. That's very good. <clears throat> My first uh, Rainbow Fest was '84. Yeah, you actually oh. got there two years before I did. Mm-hmm. Drove there. Oh. Wife, wife was with me. It was interesting. All right. Next panelist is Ken Waters. That's me. All right, just say our next contestant, Grant <laughs> Leedy. Hey, how's it going, everybody? All the right, price so is right. That's right. Come on down. Let's see. Brian Weasler. One dollar. Oh, <laughs> oh wrong, wrong show. Sorry. You're not buying in, a truckload of Coco stuff. <laughs> Are you asking us what our wage is for the show or what? <laughs> so oh, the price is right. Remember the person always picked $1 was the, you know, right. always get it. Usually didn't go over. <laughs> Darn, I was looking forward to the raise. You know, Grant comes here to chase this storm. <laughs> right? Well, yeah, if he's I'll at home, that means this year. Yeah, well, because he's at home, he's not coming to my town. Uh, that so might I'm be safe week. the weekend. That might be your, your next week. Great. <laughs> Grant not coming to your town, especially in the Midwest, is a good piece of good news. Thing. This time. <laughs> right, good news. He usually brings disaster Nothing's with him. going on there. That's right. Nothing going on there. So what are you going to do when you catch one of these things? <laughs> what, a tornado? Yeah. Well, it's kind of like a dog after a bumper on a car, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. This is like a... This is like the coyote and roadrunner, you know. Yeah. Do, you, do you have like a big can and then when you, you're in it, you like catch it? No, no. yeah. <laughs> That's work. Like Ghostbusters, you know, you cross yeah. the streams and you know, you get it. It's like, what's your plan uh, if you catch it? Brent's uh, talking about streams again. Oh, thanks. <laughs> All right. Let's just make sure we don't forget nobody here. Jason, the Coco yes. Man. Biz. The Coco Man. The Coco Man. I've got some Diet Dr. Pepper since you asked, and I have some water. I don't think I'm going to mix them together in anything, but I have Uh, both. We know what that makes, but that's not where you're heading. Okay. Maybe I'll I'll, I'll, I'll do all the mixing in my stomach. Yeah. Did you you not have time to fire up your cocoa back there? I actually didn't. I was on the phone and I got here really late. So, no, I'll be firing it up here in just a moment. At the time I put my shirt on. Uh, let's see. Sloopy Malibu, you're up next. Greetings. Okay. And the end of that row is Alan, Exile in Paradise. Howdy, 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 everyone. Welcome to the company. Here, Alan. Come on, Alan, show us your face. And last but not least, on the bottom of the panel. Yeah. Nick Marentes. Good morning, 4 a.m. Sunday morning, to be precise. Well, at least we you made got it. the time zone right. We made uh, it to Sunday, guess. huh? <laughs> yeah. Somebody did. He's ahead yeah. of the curve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for start, our listeners, Mark starting to get cool over there? God, no. He's cool. in a heat wave right now. Nah, we're in a heat wave. Yeah. It's been awful. It's been, been about 100 uh, to 104, he was telling me earlier this week, with yeah, high humidity. Hu- high humidity. So, yeah. Well, you can send a little bit over here. 
We don't want all of it now, but a little will be okay. <laughs> yeah, we're getting, we're going to be warm next week, Mark. <laughs> uh, next Australia's in seventies. Australia's all upside down, so they they get their seasons backwards. That is true. Yeah, well, we do. We Nick, do. Since, <laughs> Nick, since it's Sunday morning there, can you tell me the Powerball numbers? Uh, it's uh, 749. <laughs> he'll tell them to you. They won't be right, but he'll tell them to you. 42, those are all numbers. Nick, if you go in a pool and you float to the bottom, or do you float at the top, or do you? <clears throat> yeah. Okay. In my case, I always float to the bottom. (laughs) Here we go. Let's see who we got over here in chat. Uh, Let's see. Got Tom Eric Gunderson, Kevin Holloway, Eight Bits in the Basement, Buck Owens joined us, Uh, TJB Chris, Uh, Exile, Mark Overhoser. Mark Siegel. And, and a meditation. That's not one I've remember seeing before. No, I've been on before. What oh, kind okay. of medication? Uh, <laughs> meditation. David Croker. Jer- Jim Rye. Mikey. He's asleep. No, he's not. We haven't started the news yet. Is Mikey That's back right. from China? I think yeah, so. He's back from Hong Kong. See, yeah, Dave and Sharon very. Okay, uh, let's see. First up, I think we have Brian with uh, something to show us. Project oh. acquisition time. Surprise, surprise. Brian's got acquisitions. It's time, <laughs> for, the, it's time for the Cocoa Truckload. Now, Brian, do you actually um, just pull this stuff out, or do you actually get it and then show it to us, or how does it work? Well, some, some items, I, I, uh, I receive them, and then I just hold on to them and, uh, and then share them on the next show. Um, but other things, I uh, I go and grab something out of uh, um, uh, out of the out collection the there. Is six off. block warehouse. Yeah, yeah yes. I just the, the cocoa two can that lost for two years. And that's what I have today. Is I have two things that uh, I'd like to show. Um, I'm not sure if I've shared them before, so I thought it might be kind of interesting because it kind of goes um, kind of along the lines of uh, something that I recently showed. So you might quick question uh, for you, Brian, before you get started on that. There is your shirt part of the presentation here because you have a dragon shirt. No, no, it is not. I just uh, is one of the uh, cocoa related shirts that I uh, that I throw Let's on the today. Bottom so. part of it. Does it say dragon on it? Nope, just the logo. Oh, cool. Just the okay. logo. While we're asking Brian questions, what what size loading dock do you have? What in what length trailer can you facilitate? <laughs> and the other question is: Is it a Radio Shack flashlight when you do go in? No, no, no. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Um, he, hasn't, he hasn't saved up enough batteries yet. Right? Yeah. So let me see here. Let me switch the camera here. Okay. Does anybody recognize this? Is that the one you put together? It's a no, it's not, no, it's not the one I put 64? together. <laughs> no, not a Commodore 64. That's <laughs> a weird looking It's not an L2. Probably not a T1. Yeah. Earlier Coco 2, it looks like because it still has a Radio Shack instead of the Tandy badge. Yep. It's a model twenty six thirty one twenty eight. Does that does that does that help anybody? No. Does uh, that one got the composite mod built in? That, the that one has the one. that one has the composite mod in it. Yes, it does. So ah, it's, the one, wow. it, it's the one that came with the factory installed uh, composite mod. And I was going to ask the question because I believe this is the case, but I think were these the ones that 
were made for the schools. That's why I kind of brought yes. it yeah. out. because That's it, what I understood. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's for the okay. education market. And I right, think that's so I, what the composite mod was based on that Ed sells was based on I, that. Yeah, I've, I've heard computer. that as well. So I've already taken the screws out there so we can kind of take a look at the inside here. What? It looks what? like it's nervous. <laughs> <laughs> of course it doesn't have any screws in it. That's right. Let's see here. Let me uh, let's go in just a little bit. Whoop, wrong way. Uh, are those fodge wires? What do they call it? Bodge, bodge wires no, that's <laughs> so, power power for that's the, your power uh, yeah so they so they tapped in over here this is where your your five volts and everything is generated mm -hmm. here and they've tapped in on the uh, uh on one of the uh, diodes here where they can get ground on one side and then five volts on the other and uh this one here has the uh, the the, uh, the vertical uh can in it so where the rf can would have been that's where they actually installed it and you can see a little bit here let me get a pointer of some sorts there's quite a bit of electronics there, huh? So you can still see here, there's the, you can see the, uh, the silk screening of where the can would have been, and you can even see the holes and everything. And it actually sets right in there. Like again, a lot like the way Ed's, uh, exactly how Ed did his. And you can see there's, uh, there's some metal, um, shielding there. That's, well, it's, it's metal brackets that Which drop right, in, that drop right into the same holes of where the, the RF can would have gone. Mounting. Ah, okay. Uh, so is this a U.S. built? Nice. Can, uh, Radio Shack. So yeah, you, this probably, yep. you probably no. haven't turned it on and tried it yet, right? No, I have. I've, I've had this one running before. I, I was trying okay. to find my cable, and I was going to actually have it powered on to show you guys, but I wasn't able to. I'm not sure if this is going to focus or not here. What are we looking at? There you go. Candy Corp, 1983, made in USA. Yep. America. In USA. And completely over-engineered with nice isolation caps to keep the composite <laughs> out and the composite in separate. And now, is know. it is it two RCA jacks for the audio and video, or is it something different? No, it's a single. It's classical yes, cable. Yep, yep. So the cable that you have to have would be like your headphone jack, but it it would have like four positions on it. Um, so you'd have ground. Cable. Yep. So you'd have ground, and then you'd have your composite video, and then it it would. You could get a left and right audio out of it, but obviously it's not stereo. But it would just be, uh, yeah, like your like your standard just audio to RCA cable. It's, it's a common mm -hmm. common camcorder cable with the four yeah, connections yeah. and so it's just an eighth inch plug, basically. Then with yes, this. yep, okay. exactly, yep. That's a, that's the same way my uh, MC10 composite mod plugs in, just one of those cables. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Is that I something have one of you Ed's. could make? And if you, uh, uh, um, Amy and Tyler's uh, latest uh, video there, where they did the uh, MC10 laptop, mm -hmm. yeah, um, they you can see that cable on the back of their uh, screen mm -hmm. there because they have the composite uh, installed into their MC10. So as well, yep. Is it composite or is it composite? <laughs> Depends on <laughs> who you talk to. Yeah, it's, more like it's like process and process. One of the other things I like about this one is it has those memory chips that have the gold on top that have the uh, the Ooh. TC. I really like. I like ceramic. the rest of them, I guess. So the ceramic, ceramic ones, yeah. Ooh. yeah. Ooh, I like the fact shiny. the circuit board is old enough too that all the chips are socketed. Yep. Yeah the uh, the sixty eight twenty one here the uh, that one is uh, drop is uh, soldered in, but uh, most of the, everything else is still the RAM and the processor. Um, is all is all socketed. So this is worth something under a thousand dollars, wouldn't it be? Under a thousand dollars with current prices, I'm not so sure about that. Right? <laughs> so, so this is the this is the thirty one twenty seven or thirty one uh, 
26-31-28. So on so, the bottom of it, with the sticker is identifying the make and model. Does it mention composite at all, or does it just say it composite? Has like a, it has like an over sticker, if I remember right. Yep. Yep. So it has right here, yeah. the 26-31-28. That they, and they stuck it on, it's afterwards. not part of the original sticker, but it's like afterwards. What do okay. you think's under that? I don't know. The original no, model number that it would have been without composite, whatever that is. Nothing. Right. But, those, but those have must have been serviced at one time, too, so I'm not sure. Ooh, a hole poked right through it. Yeah. What's, the, uh, what's the service center number? Uh, four four digits. Yeah, it's hard to read this thing here because it's... Uh, okay. Oh, fuzzed I, out. I thought you were going to ask what the serial number was. There well, was they, two, used a, they used there a nice number. number. I used a nice fat Sharpie, so it's really hard to see. <laughs> well, two two oh, stickers wow. on there. The original and then a second one, and that was bit two. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, anyway. That's, that's nice and chunky. You can't read it. Yeah. David Lord asks, would the 263129 have HDMI? <laughs> <laughs> and then I got one other one here to show you guys. The 3130 has uh, 8K. Well, that might be a T1. Mm. Looks like the red's be. a bit faded. Yeah, so what happened to the red on the sticker there? Someone lighted yeah, the, the case. And yeah, this one's th- this one is uh, it's a lot sunlight. yellower looking than it looks here on the camera. <laughs> Trust me, it's yeah. uh, it's a nice uh, nice shade of yellow. Patina. So, any guesses about this one? Yeah, well, if it's tandy, it might be a T one VG, but this one is a twenty six thirty one twenty eight A. So they made two of them. They made another one here. And Ooh, let me silver. zoom in here a little bit. And this is what I really like about this one, if it'll focus. Oh, uh, French. 28A. And the serial oh, wow. number. Serial number uh, one. What's, oh. what's the 828A then? Is that a composite later model? Yeah, I, th- it, it also has the, the composite on the back here. You can see here it says, there we are. Color yeah. monochrome? Yep. I'm not sure. I, is I, it PAL? I, I can't You're remember moving it right off camera there. <laughs> oh, sorry. Is it PAL? Channel select. What yeah, does the uh, CNM stand for then? That yeah, would be my the guess. Color and monochrome. Yeah, this one here. Yeah, yeah this one I have, yeah. Yep. And so I haven't had a chance to really. Uh, I haven't fired this one up yet. Um, but it's a. Uh, this one has a would have the uh, horizontal uh, can in it. This would be under fifteen hundred then. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, uh, factory composite with possibly the T1 lowercase VDG on top of it. Ooh. Yeah, I, and it has a seal, and it's bilingual. Well, hey. yep, it has it has it hasn't been broken. And the other thing here is it has it is a color. Yeah, that's the Canadian one. Sixty four. The English doesn't have the U, but the uh, yeah, that's it's. I didn't know they sold the composite factory mod ones in Canada. I'd never seen them before. Why do they say that it's ordinary? <laughs> it's not. It's a color computer. I have a serial number one. So that, yeah, that's that, impressive. That that, that yeah, uh, cool. and that but, also proves that they did restart serial numbers, mm-hmm. right? Because this is a late model. At least, at least on this this run, right? Exactly. <laughs> and, and that's a possible million right there. A million? Yeah, I don't well, know. With that serial oh. number one, and that if it's you know with the twenty eight A. Well, it's got seven <laughs> zeros. Do you have the matching no, box manual? No, I do not. I, I was oh, not able. I was not able manual. to get. I was not able to get the manuals for it or the box for it. 
That's the only thing that was kind of missing from these here. That so was that's right. the second serial number one I've seen. The other one was Lee Veal's Coco One serial number one. That has uh, you can as you get close, you can see the yellow. Yeah, it, it is quite yellowed there, and the the red is almost completely gone out of this. Uh, so we're back down there. to a thousand, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, I, I was trying to find my cable and I couldn't locate it. I was going to plug it in so you guys could you know get an idea. But uh, if you've seen the uh, composite output uh, from like Ed Snyder's uh, um, cards, um, it's the same thing. So, so I'll bet you the other one doesn't have the T1 in it, but this one might. This awesome. one might, if it's, yeah, only, I, most of the time it was the only ones that had the Tandy badge that actually yeah. would have a T1. The Radio right, Shack ones don't. Well, right. and like the other things that we see from Canada here, it's probably hard to see in here, though, but it has that mesh screen that we talk about. Oh, cool. That's yeah. that's in there, so that way, you know, oh, things, yeah. things can't fall down inside. Back up so if you're eating your, that means you're you can't your... put the light down there and see what chips are in it. Well, if you're if you want to eat over your cocoa, you know, if you're having your poutine <laughs> or something, then it won't fall down in the cocoa. Oh, Putin will leak through that mesh. I know from experience. <laughs> Great. We're not getting a computer. I, from I, you I guess. Soon. I guess Canadian kids thought that was a coin slot. Oh, jeez. <laughs> well, isn't that what you do to play the video games? You got to put the coin in, right? Yeah, it's like Mame, right? You just pop in a couple of quarters, and now you play Donkey King. <laughs> And the reason why I decided to kind of show these is that uh, the uh, that color computer uh, two kit that I showed here a few weeks ago um, was kind of an educational thing, and uh, um, I was kind of curious. I, I Mark is on the uh, on the um, uh, in the chat and stuff like that. Did he have anything to uh, to share or anything that he can share with us that maybe he might uh, remember from back in the day? Mark Siegel, you mean? Uh, just the yes, educational Mark market at all? Yeah. It, it, I don't know if Mark had any, uh, anything that he he's, could share with us. He's tracking uh, on uh, Facebook, but I don't know if he's... Uh... Okay. But he has about a minute delay before he sees even yeah. hears us. So, right. so each each uh, each different cocoa, in this case, would have an, a, a new... Um, you know, what, what do they call it? A, um, a thing that they make these plastic pieces from. They had to change it to mold? make the lettering on it. Yeah, the mold. So I wonder how many molds... In total, there might have been for well the badges. The badges they didn't here though. If you look no, on the back, they just printed stuff in some places where it was embossed in other places. Let's take a look at the back of this again. Yeah, that looked like a sticker. It looked the like a color sticker color was, was lifted up because that would have been expensive sticker. to change the molds. Because look at like the ag vision on the back uses yep. the same mold. Show the, us the inputs on the back. Turn it to ninety degrees. Yeah. Yeah. See how they've yeah, got so they've got painted things and well. Yeah, this the is the same mold like because basically the channel select would have been that it'll switch to go between three and four, and they just yeah. jammed in the monitor the and M numbers and said, "Okay, now it's it's a yeah. and, and the other one." Button. It even See, still says models. channel select emboss, so I mean, it was mm -hmm. obviously yeah. the original mold. So is this the yeah, same that would have been too expensive to change. The other one, the twenty-eight. Yes. Yep. That that almost looks like a sticker. The C and M. It is. Yeah, it is, it is a sticker that's around here. Yep. Yep. Oh. Yeah. Okay. yeah Mark Siegel yeah, said, would have kept the, the cost because building a new mold would have been expensive. So they right. only have two molds. They're an echo. Coco two mold and a Coco three mold. Or at least the bottom is different, right? Well, well, the molds would wear out eventually, so they'd have to make new ones. So, so uh, Mark, I think the question, not specific question, but anything uh, you could uh, tell us about the educational market, because now we've seen 
U.S. version with the composite. We got a Canadian version with the composite, and then of course there was that kit, which uh, kit. kit was for like electronic, uh, like a, a um, yeah, the tear off card uh, in the in the magazine you send in. Yeah, it's a for, uh, learning about school. computers. Yeah, yeah, correspondence school stuff. Yeah, and these stickers are different between the two. Part of that's the Canadian versus American, though. They're different yeah, between all stickers, too. Notice this one. All of the stickers were commercially printed, where the other one had like a typewritten sticker that had been reproduced and stuck on the bottom. So that's fun. So if you look closer, you can see where um, Brian put the sticker for the 0, zero, zero, zero one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Really, yes. really faint. Yes, I laid it over the top of that one. Yeah. Good uh, out of curiosity, Good Brian, does it mention anywhere on any of those stickers, Intertan, which was the... Canadian headquarters of you know basically Tandy's international stuff. Yeah. Um I don't know if it would have been around the Coco 2 era, but I know in the Coco 3 it was. So Mikey suggested that uh th that these particular models we're showing today needs to need to be documented on Wikipedia or Cocopedia. Actually, okay. Mark Siegel in the chat says there were all kinds of Coco's, even a Russian version. I haven't seen that one. What? Cool. I have asked and looked around for a Russian, even a clone of the Coco, and I have never seen anything. Have you? Have you ever seen a clone of the Coco? I haven't, no. Well, Lots Brian, the gauntlet has been thrown. <laughs> <laughs> Challenge accepted, right? So <laughs> Next week, we will have the Russian version of the Coco. All right. Going by Brian. There we go. So, but anyway, I just thought you guys might... Uh, Find these kind of interesting here because they're oh, yeah. something something different again. So, oh yeah, tell us where you're putting it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like oh, the I, fact that we have these very <laughs> rare composite, you know, only for the educational market. Cocos and Brian's already got what two or three of them. Yeah. <laughs> but serial number one on it, on that that's interesting. I I don't know if that would have been because it was the composite modded one, or was that the officially the start of the Coco Two B run, or what? You know, Brian, or you should, you should really should hook them up to something and get uh, pictures of how clear the signal is right from, you know. Yep. Yeah, I do want to. I do want to get a display going, and uh, I'd like to get set up like I was last time, where I could, uh, like, during the show, I could have some machines in the background. I do want to get back to that point there, and uh, I'd like to have neat. it set. I'd like to have it set up so that way I could rotate some different machines in every time. Yeah, it'd be neat to compare. What the two uh, look like, if you know one mm -hmm. quality is better than the other or not, uh, right? Are, are the um, you haven't opened this one, obviously, right? So, no, I have not. Uh, so we don't know if it's standing <laughs> on edge or laying down. This one's a horizontal one. I mean, you can you, you, you can tell here because since the switch, whoops, the layout of the panel, since, since the switch and the port are side ah, by side, okay. this would have been a horizontal where the other one everything was this way. Yep, but you think the car's no. the same. Most all the horizontal ones I've seen were made in Korea. The, the cards are a little different. Um, uh, I wish I had some of Ed's cards here handy. I do have uh, one of each of his cards. Um, the, the cards essentially look the same, but a little different because of the of the way that it goes down into the board because of where the can is at. The pins all come out of the bottom of it where the one that I showed first, everything comes out. The, the, the pin header uh, goes out the side of the card so it can be setting um, uh, vertically. Do they both have the mesh in the top color cover? No, just the just this one here has it. The other one um, does not. I don't think any of the American made models had the mesh, did they? I think it was just Canada. Yeah, was maybe Australia. I don't know. Nick, did they have the mesh in the Australian ones? No, nah, we never had that. No. 
That's so, probably so what is our thing called? CSA is our equivalent of the SDC, I think. Uh, no, we didn't have that mesh. So, so, so Brian, just to, yes. Brian, you've been um, uh, challenged to get the CCAM versions that were for the French and Bulgarian markets. I've I've been looking for the French. Yes, <laughs> we have seen the CCAM on the show before because I think Retro in the Basement had one, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, I think so. But there's a French, and what was you say? The, what was the other one? French and what? Bulgarian. 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 Okay. Yeah, uh, Mark uh, Siegel provided us that information. Do they oh, ever have different keyboards then too? Because wasn't there different keyboards for them? You know that that weren't QWERTY. Yeah, the the Azerty. Yeah, I think the French okay. would be the Azerty one. Okay, that would be cool to see. We've seen pictures, I think. But Franklin Harris said uh, the mesh was the CSA requirement. Wouldn't have passed uh, certification without it. What's CSA mean? It's the same thing as the FCC. Canadian Standards Standards Agency, I think it's something along that line. It's oh. like your, our equivalent of the FCC. Okay. Yep. So um, when mm. they they would also include the um, silver uh, thing on the bottom of the motherboard. The shield. Oh, the little yeah. shield thing on the bottom. Yeah, I think they did. That came yeah. with every. every I know my D board did for sure. I can't remember. I actually, I think they all did. Now that I'm thinking about it. So it didn't matter what cooker you have, they always had that underneath. Yeah, we had stricter regulations, I know that. Yep. The only computer I've I ever went, seen that didn't have a metal shield on the bottom of the circuit board was that ZX81 kit. Hmm. Even when that came out as a product, it already had a metalized cardboard on the bottom. So hey, Brian, did, did the one that you put together have a uh, have that sheet that would go under the motherboard? Yes, it's yeah. The sheet, uh, the sheet is underneath it. Yes, it's, it's it comes okay. with the kit. Yep. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. Oh, M Mark and uh, Frank are correcting me. Uh, um, yeah, CSA. It's the equivalent of the Underwriters Laboratory, not the FCC. So my my apologies and oh, thanks like for the correction. Yep. UL, UL rating. Yep. Mm -hmm. Like uh, Canadian Safety so uh, something. <laughs> Who knows? Anyway. Okay. Well, that's all. I just want to show these two. Go ahead. I wonder why Tandy never released the cargo with composite. As standard, right. yeah, you I don't understand. Would, they obviously had it, you know, ready to go for schools, and I think it yeah, would have. They had it, and being a Coco two, that would have been the only improvement they would have done over the Coco one. Yeah, but, but most they TVs didn't do that. Probably because TVs in everybody's yeah. house. Yeah, market. Yeah, like the deluxe yeah, was going to have both, so just like the Coco three mm -hmm. does. So yeah. I know that Apple computer didn't put in the RF modulator because of FCC no. stuff. So it was sold as a third-party product, so they went with the composite. But uh, obviously, the Tandy was targeting the home market where nobody has a composite monitor, so right. it's got to be a TV. Agree. Yep. Yeah, but you yeah, can the look at like it through a VCR yeah. or something. Hmm. Yeah. When I first got my Coco 2 like this one, the vents that are covered on the one side, I thought to myself, I wonder what it would look like if I painted those. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> So, but no, that's all I that's all I had to share today. I just wanted to show those two systems there. If anybody doesn't have any other questions, we can go on yeah. to the next person. Cool. Thanks, Brian. Very yep. cool. Yeah, that was cool. Very cool. And serial number one. That's impressive. <laughs> number one. Okay. Next up was Grant. All right. How's everybody doing today? So I just want to remind everybody that it is four weeks. From today, the Coco Fest is actually kicking off. So 
you have about a month to get things uh, prepared for your travels and so forth. So the main thing I wanted to t- talk to everybody about today was uh, we got some important dates coming up. So uh, the first one that's coming up will be on March 31st. March 31st will be the last, the last day. There's no way to get extended uh, to get your hotel room at the uh, discounted rate of 119. After March 31st, then it goes back up to full price. And the last time I checked, it was $180 per night uh, without that discounted rate. So you make sure that you're thinking about getting uh, mm-hmm. going to Cocoa Fest, get that room reserved now. <laughs> and just to let you know, too, we've already extended the uh, block five times now. So we've got a lot of people that looks like are going to be coming this year that we have not been coming uh, before or have been waiting a while. So uh, the second most important date. Uh, that we need to be concerned about. And that's on April, let me find it here, April the 10th uh, will be the last day that you can order for the dinner, Saturday night dinner. Um, So if you want to get the dinner, make sure you get that order before the April the 10th. uh, Because again, we will only have maybe, maybe about four or five to sell at the door. That's it. Uh, One thing that the hotel is requiring us to do this year that we've not had to do in the past is Usually we go on the honor system. Uh, this year, since we're going to be using their restaurant, the hotel has requested us to use a ticketing system or a wristband to show that you have purchased a dinner and that you uh, uh, are able to eat with us. So um, so that's something else that has changed. Uh, and this is for you, Curtis. Uh, a gallon of coffee is $41.47 a gallon. So, Curtis... Could tell it, please. <laughs> but I'm I just going to ask, what are, what are the rest of you guys going to drink? I'm going to have the gallon. <laughs> hey, you got to share, Curtis. <laughs> so now here's another caveat that I did find out: uh, the hotel does allow us to bring in our own drinks and coffee. So again, Dunkin' uh, Donuts. Remember, yeah, yep. well, yeah, but people have done that before too, as well. So um, we are able to do that. The only thing is, though, we're not allowed to use their coffee. I mean, their creamer, their cups sugar and so forth. So I think it was Ken Waters, I think was saying something about bringing coffee or something at one point. So how about a uh, cure? Uh, I could get some decent coffee up here and bring it. Yeah. Yeah. So I I, I think you were mentioning before, Ken, that you might've had some leftover from your coffee shop or something. Unfortunately, I've uh, drank all the stuff from my coffee (laughs) shop, but (laughs) it's not just me drinking (laughs) gallons. It's Ken too. It was good. (laughs) Uh, however, if you bring coffee in for consumption, is that going to be considered selling coffee? No, no, I, not, I, 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 no, I don't know. For the hotels, they 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 have no. no problem with that at all. For no, coffee. no, for Ken bringing it across the border. Oh, oh, well, that's different. I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> I mean, heck, we got Curtis brings over hundreds of uh, Kit Kats. So I mean, here here we are at Cocoa Fest, and no one is serving cocoa at Cocoa Fest. <laughs> we served last year. Yeah, and again, that is on the table, uh, but it's we're pretty much again serving hot cocoa is going to be thirty nine dollars <laughs> for a gallon of hot water. Wow! So wow. You know, it's it's expensive. So do we want to spend the thirty nine dollars to get hot cocoa when it's probably going to be eighty or ninety degrees outside in Chicago? I mean, so it's a give and take. Yeah, um, yeah so it's going to be it's going to be in April, so it's probably going to be at least in the eighties. I would say seventies and eighties. Isn't there a convenience store nearby? Do what? Isn't there a convenience 
There are three convenience stores in walking distance, so there's plenty of uh, area to walk walk to. So uh, this will be something I'll, I'll be talking over with Jim Brain and see what we're going to set for a budget as far as you know um, for water and I mean for drinks and so forth like that. But I just want to let everybody know how crazy obscene expensive it is to uh, have drinks there because they quote unquote you know it's just give you an idea it's thirty two dollars for a gallon plus a twenty to twenty percent service fee on top of that. And then taxes of over 11% on top of that. So <laughs> I about fell out of my seat when I, when I, when they told me that I'm like, you guys are crazy. <laughs> how about for, how much for the barrel of coffee? Yeah. Well, whatever it is, how many gallons is in a barrel? You add that up. So I'm just trying to avoid the situation last year where we had hundreds of dollars worth of drinks. Thanks you know? chat, folks. <laughs> they, they must Fred, Franklin Harris in the chat says, "Order the coffee. We will pick up the tab for the coffee." I agree. I'll chip in some money for that. Yeah, and that's another thing too that we could probably that's have a tip. Money but, for coffee. Yeah, I mean, but like I said, keep in mind you can just go walk across literally across the parking lot and go get a big gallon of. Uh, yeah, but then we're not at the show. I think is what Frank's getting at. Right. Oh, okay. If you're behind your table, you and you've seen how much coffee us. I drink, I'd be walking back and forth like <laughs> ten times a day. Well, you so. better start giving some twenty dollars bills for that. So <laughs> I may have, have a access. I may have access to a commercial coffee maker. So if, if the club wanted to buy the coffee grounds, I could bring a very large coffee maker. So, okay. I'm all for that. Cause again, I just think $41 and 47 cents. Yep. It's just, it's, it's, it's a, crazy. It's a, it's a five much. gallon. It's a five as, gallon as Mark, coffee maker. So. As Mark Siegel just mentioned in the chat, beer is cheaper. Yeah, exactly. Or go get a big fifth of Jack Daniels or something. I mean, geez. Put a keg in rather than a coffee pot. <laughs> uh, the other thing too, Grant, is uh, there's looks like there's only one table left. Is that correct? That is correct. Only one table is left. So if if you're thinking about coming, you better get that table reserved now because uh, once that's sold out, then it's it's gone. So we will be 100% sold out. That was the other thing. Thank you, Brian, for reminding me of that. <laughs> Frank so, says it's harder for him to expense beer, though. <laughs> you know on most uh cocoa fest they have the tables covered with stuff are they going to do that for us too what do you mean like a tablecloth yeah 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 tablecloths will be done the same as well plastic stuff like he had at the no other it won't show. be plastic it'll be cloth oh yeah so no drawing on it yeah. ron oh. yeah yeah <laughs> that, that, that keep the sharpies away from ron oh leave your yeah, crowns at home ron yeah since we've been uh been at uh at a hotel, they've always been cloth, so it's not going to be like it was at the uh, Heron Point. So, so and then the cloth uh, that soaks up nothing. Yeah, exactly. You should uh, mention the schedule's and, available too, there, Grant. Since we didn't even know. Yep, I was going to say that too. So, if you go to Glenside CCC uh, and go to Cocoa Fest and underneath that will be the schedule that is subject to change, but as of right now, that is the uh, schedule with all the presenters and jam session. If you so choose, which by the way, there will be in a separate room this year. So might not have anybody watching you this year, Curtis. That's okay. Just just send me a, a keg of coffee and I'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> so uh one other thing too. Um I did get a confirmation from the hotel. They will be providing uh buffet dinners on Saturday and Sunday of the show. Oh, in the morning. In the exactly. Morning. So uh That's it will be fourteen dollars per person. Uh we also had a cup couple other options too if we wanted to add fruit and pastries but that was like another four dollars on top of that so it'd be 18 dollars if we wanted that i i think everybody probably will be fine with the 14 dollars which would be bacon eggs sausage 
pancakes, juice, milk, and water, and pancakes. So, which will probably be enough for everybody. It will be cheaper than going uh, off their menu prices as well. But that's separate from the supper. That's exactly. A, that, yes. That, yes. Exactly. Yep. But most people don't want to get up and get in their car and drive, you know, down oh, the street to get something to eat. Then. Yeah, right. it's breakfast, not dinner, Grant. Plus, we yeah. all get to oh, be together in the same room. Yeah. Yeah. Early okay. dinner. I'm sorry, breakfast. Yeah, breakfast. My bad. Yeah, the so. last venue we were at, the buffet wasn't a normal thing. You had to ask for it. So Yeah. Yep. And I got it verified at this one. They're going to do it, of course. So. Excellent. And they'll like be in the their restaurants so we can actually go we'll visit each other while we're. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, and uh, just one thing, other thing too, they are closed for lunch. So we will not be getting lunch uh, at that hotel. Uh, which they may change that next year if we have a big group of people, which at home we, we will be, but you know, I guess the uh, restaurant manager doesn't want to be open for lunch on the weekends. So, um, so we'll be probably doing our Portillo's and so forth like that. So, and I did Hopefully check. want a better service. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would be like, a different like one. So. Just don't uh, order the giant milkshake this time, Curtis. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, get yourself uh, also, a chocolate cake shake. Yeah. Uh, also, I'm still talking with VCF Midwest about doing a tour. Uh, right now, their uh, their warehouse is total in disarray because they are totally remodeling. So uh, he's hoping nope. here about a month we'll he'll at least get some people in there to walk around and look at it. So I'll keep you guys uh, up to date on that as well. So did you okay. maybe suggest that some of us could help uh, rearrange their stuff when we go? I don't I think can, you understand, Ron. This thing's huge. So I could rearrange oh. some of their stuff into the back <laughs> well, of my car. It makes your garage look like a, a like a, a bathroom. Ron. I'm thinking of having a UPS truck there. <laughs> <laughs> now, Grant, so, uh, just to entice people to come out to the fest there, I was wondering, like, I don't know how much more you got to present on the fest here, but maybe you should actually like list what the speakers are too, because I, for those that are listening on the audio, they won't be able to see it. Uh, see we here. Let me on screen. try and go from memory here. Uh, I know that uh, Mark Overholzer is doing one about something to do with your computers before you die. Um, then you and Ken are doing something on Nitrous OS 9 or uh, Nitrous 9. Sorry. Uh, and then Frank is doing one on in-depth uh, reviews of features of new control panel for the multi-view and Nitrous uh, OS 9 and ease of use 1.0. And then Frank's giving a keynote speaker, which I don't know what he's giving us. Giving a, a speaker. Frank, you're in the chat. Mention what you're going to be talking about. We'll mention it on the air. <laughs> Maybe it's a secret. Maybe so, he and know also yet. we have the auctions as well too. We also have an auction also on Sunday if needed because uh, we might have a pretty good size auction this year. So I scheduled one in there for that. And then uh, John Strong's giving a presentation as well. And I think that's it. Did I forget anybody else off the top of my head? I think. I mentioned it all. Yeah, from what I'm looking on here, I think you caught them all. So basically on Saturday, there's Fred Provencia doing his uh, control panel. Franklin Harris is doing the keynote. Uh, I don't know if he's typed anything in yet to say what that's about. Uh, oh, also the uh, Migos Retro Gaming Boat and Aaron oh, will be yes. doing a live Thank audience you. podcast on Saturday. And yep, then an uh, update so. from me and Ken, which we've kind of got roughly ironed out. Now it's actually going to be a a hodgepodge of stuff for very beginners who've never seen it before up to, you know, some intermediate stuff. And then we're going to be announcing, uh, taking some topics or doing live streams on here because trying to cram everything into a one hour speech, reserving 15 minutes of that just for questions and answers. There's not a lot of time to talk to about too much. So we're going to do some more long form videos. I think, um, the auction, of course, jam session, <sighs> Glenside computer club meeting on Sunday. If you want to attend that, uh, Mark Oberholzer's Computer Collections After Death. 
and John Strong. Yeah, you got pretty well, except for the Amigos. And All we right, got, cool. uh, in the chat, Frank is saying um, troubleshooting and diagnostic tips and repairs. So definitely a speech, not the, or presentation that Curtis does not need to attend. <laughs> well, I can attend it. It'll tell you you're holding the soldering iron on the wrong end again. <laughs> Don't forget the, we, the we, we facts. When your hair is on fire, then you're doing something wrong. Yep. Or your hand is on fire. And just let you know, too, that we are still completely open. Uh, the evening so if you don't want to do the jam session so ken if you want to do something for the uh, game on challenge that night you can do that whatever you decide to do yeah the sibling rivalry people might be doing some live game challenges with everybody else at the show too from talking to tim so i'm not sure when they're if that's throughout the show as it goes or if that's planned for the evenings or what okay cool and um you know again this is the first year for at this venue so hopefully if everything goes well and we don't have to go look for another venue next year uh, then I will be able to do more things at the next Cocoa Fest because I won't be spending half a year working everything Trying out. Trying to find one, yeah. Exactly. So, and, uh, <laughs> do, you, do you know if they have any elevators there? I was yes, just about do. to say there's two other things there that I wanted to check in on. One, Frank says he's also talking about the new revision of the diagnostic cart with new features that will be launched at the Fest, so that'll be part of his mm -hmm. presentation. Cool. And then I was going to ask, do they have working elevators? That was my next question. Yes. And so this, we, uh, this hotel will be a... Huge upgrade over the uh, last one. Uh, they just renovated most of the rooms. In fact, uh, I think we, I think our block is all of their new rooms that just renovated. So, and it's a lot nicer hotel than was at the uh, previous and, two. And have we sent a uh, invitation to the Carroll Stream Fire Department? <laughs> or at least well, their, their fire up. station is right down the street from. It's right there between us and Portillo's. So we always Curtis, like. Don't we move. like to invite the fire department last minute? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we also make sure it's right, the smoke's right outside your room too. Again, Jason. Oh yeah, that was that was lovely. <laughs> or watching them come in with access to open the elevator door. That was fun too. So, <laughs> so like and just let you know too that uh, uh, Randy, who from Tandy Assembly, will be also streaming the presentations on the Glenside YouTube page, and then. Um, I guess Mark B or whoever we need to work out on what we're going to stream on the Coco Nation page. We're going to do the inside of the uh, conference uh, ballroom or how we want to do that. So, yeah, because I'm still um, thinking about what equipment uh, we might need for some of that. Okay, cool. Yeah, if you I hope you guys can set up a live chat too, so people that are watching on YouTube or whatever can actually chat back and forth like we've done in some previous years. Cool. Anybody else have any questions or concerns or? Did you see what I posted on uh, Glenside about uh, making a record? For uh, yeah, I did see that. We'll probably have to. If, we'll probably have to be something we would have to do next year, and yeah. we'll just make sure it's cost uh, feasible too. Because yeah. I think that was pretty expensive. If I'm not mistaken. So yeah, but uh, they can be sold. You know, they don't have to be giveaways. Okay. You know? Oh, thank you. And that's another thing too. Uh, do not forget, if you want to get your T-shirt, and I think Ron has is, is also got his other T-shirt there, too, if you want to screenshot him. Um, so make sure we are not going to be selling T-shirts at the show. Uh, so therefore, make sure to order the uh, T-shirts off the uh, spreadshirt.com slash Glenside. So uh, therefore, you can uh, get your shirt. They usually take about two weeks to uh, get them, two or three weeks. So. Might want to make those orders now before we're and then, beforehand. Uh, here's the other oh, car. Yeah. Order now. Order now. So don't wait. Order now. 
And I think everybody's been pretty happy with the uh, quality and everything too, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. No so comfortable shirts. Yeah. So if they're the same company that we used for Coco Talk, so if you had Coco Talk T-shirts, it's the same company we're using with them. It's just a lot less of a of a financial. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, In we'll get stuck way. with a bunch of extra T-shirts that people don't want to buy or anything. So this way, we you know we can. It's like on demand, right? Exactly. Exactly. Right. So. All right. Uh, any other questions? And I'll be back again probably next week as well to keep on reminding everybody for the next uh, four weeks. I plan to be in uh, Chicago on Wednesday, the 20th. Um, so, so if anybody else is coming early, I will be there. I'm planning to go to, I want to go to the, uh, the Museum of Science and Technology. So that's what I'm going to try to do on Thursday morning. Do a little museum tour down there. So I've always wanted to go. So I'm making a small little mini vacation out of it at the same time. I should have told me ahead of time. I would have uh, came with you. <laughs> Sorry, I, this is something that's popped in mind. It's like, hey, I've really been wanting to go, and I have a, a museum thing from the Union Station here in Kansas City, and I found out that uh, it gets me into all these other cool museums for free. It's like a membership year membership, and it gets you into all these other cool museums. Like, hey, yeah, I'm going to go to that. So. Grant, we have a quick question from uh, George Cuff in the chat. He says, how about caps? I'm assuming it means like baseball caps. Are those available on the Spreadshirt thing? Or is it I believe just so. coffee mugs and shirts? And I believe so. I believe there is our shirts. I mean, uh, our uh, caps on there. Let me look that up here. Anybody know? I, was, anybody I know there's a fair there? variety of stuff there, but I can't remember what, what exactly it entails. I believe the proper term now is dad cap. Or Chris, what, what shirt you dad got? Dad cap. <laughs> I got an older Cocoa Fest that's starting to wear out, so I ordered a new one, but it's not going to be here for another week and a half. Oh. It's a little bit longer shipping in Canada. Oh, well, here's breaking news. It looks like, too, if you order now, uh, it's 15% off nearly everything with coupon code Mark us, 15 March us. So, so get a 15% discount right now if you order, it looks like. There's your code. And I'm looking for the hats. I think there was. It's got everything. Yeah, you know the here. shirts and coffee cups and mugs and all kinds of stuff in there, so. So, anybody else have any other questions? All right, that's all I had. Okay. Yep, I just and I did. They, they're called trucker caps. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, actually, yeah. There's actually a snapback cap too. So yeah, there are there are hats in there. So yeah, cool. There's even a beanie if you want to wear a beanie. <laughs> That'd be good for you there, Curtis. I, need I, to I, do I, I still have hair. I'm not hiding that. <laughs> I passed on the Coco Fest underwear. Yeah, I think they did have <laughs> underwear. <laughs> did they? You're serious? I think so. That's the I diamond. Do I too much. Ooh. <laughs> And then they even got stickers. Like something like if, if you made a generic thing for the Coco Nation or for Coco Fest that doesn't have like tied to a specific year or something, you could make some generic smaller things on like T-shirts, like say cups, mugs, mm -hmm. that type of thing, caps or stickers. And you could bring those and just keep rebringing the inventory every year. You can even take them to VCF and stuff as yeah. uh, stuff to sell. That way you could have something at the table that actually people can purchase if they just impromptu pop in. 
Um, unlike, you know, you know, carrying mm. like well, T-shirts take a fair bit of room so that you have to pay to ship them back or haul them back yourself or whatever. So, yeah. And I think that might be a good idea, too. But uh, right now, I think this with the new venue being quite a bit more expensive. Yeah, you, you guys have been busy enough. I'm just saying in the future, like if this it becomes a steady venue, that would be a, not a bad yeah. idea. Yeah, because I think once we get this this year underneath our belts and everything and we're happy with everything, then we can definitely start doing a little bit more things. And, then you know, we'll have a better idea of the budget and so forth, too. So. Just do like they used to do with software and have a version sticker on your shirts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like that serial number one sticker, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't All know right, anyone cool. that has a um, Coco tattoo. Do you? No, I don't think so. Well, I've seen license plates and stuff, but yeah. So I guess we're not really serious about our. <laughs> well, won't you be the first one? There? I'm seriously never getting a tattoo. If that's what you mean. You first. I'm not getting one. <laughs> I want to. Okay. I don't want to find out that I'm allergic to the ink. <laughs> got got enough ink under your skin now, right? Yeah. Um. Did we want to have a quick little mini interview uh, with with Bob Emery before we go to a break, uh, Mark? Or do you want a break now? I don't know what your situation is with your cat. It depends on his history. Um. <laughs> I'm good. They're sleeping. The nail was leaving me alone. Okay. Ron, you need a break. <clears throat> Not yet. No, I'm good. Okay. Okay. Let's we'll sneak Bob in. Interview. Oh, wait a minute. Except he just disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, that's Bob, that's you, the usual you... reaction. <laughs> Bob, are you ready for a, a quick little impromptu? I guess so. Yes, the okay. old guy if he's got to go. <laughs> Shine the light on him. So Bob, Bob is somebody we've been featuring his videos recently under his... Uh, YouTube page, look, what is it, Lacoco Strangiato or something like that? Yeah, Lacoco yeah. Strangiato, a big Rush fan, in case nobody knew. And that's <laughs> one of my favorite songs. I love Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> <laughs> well, sorry for your loss. <laughs> yeah. So, at any rate, uh, you've been putting up some really cool videos, of, and you, actually, some of this stuff is stuff you've had for like decades where you've done a bunch of case mods and, you know, and putting in PC cases and doing all kinds of hardware stuff. So I wanted to ask you, uh, what was your first computer you ever used, like maybe in school or something? And then what was the first computer you owned? Was that a Coco? Well, used, uh, I had a, I had a couple of friends in high school. One had a, a Model 1, and his dad was apparently in the industry. They had a Model 1 with the expansion bay all decked out. And uh, he invited me over one day and showed me, I think, Pyramid 2000 or or Pyramid Adventure and the big old map they had on the wall. And so that was my, probably my first exposure to a home computer. And then another couple of friends had a, a model three and a couple of C64s. Nobody else had a color computer that I knew. And I didn't know of any user groups or anything that was in uh, El Paso. So was it your first computer that you ever owned a Coco, or did you have something yes. else before that? In fact, it's it's this one right here, the one that I painted white. This one I got what? For Christmas. What's that door on the left? <laughs> that this is heavily door. modded. You've shown this side. one on your videos. Uh, this is yeah, actually that. just a screen mesh that uh, would allow airflow for the giant fan. Ah, right. Oh, wasn't that the one with your three and a half inch floppy drive installed, or no? No. This one never had a floppy drive. This one had a modem. <laughs> and a joystick built in. And the uh, Black Beauty joystick, yeah. 
I had a direct connect uh, modem pack, just the three, I think, 300 baud. And I was just trying to connect to CompuServe and stuff like that. And then, you know, that was a kind of a pain in the butt to drag out a disk setup and modem and set it all up and hook up to the TV, you know, just for a few minutes getting on CompuServe. So that was kind of my motivation for, you know, consolidating packaging. And I'm actually surprised that uh, a lot of people aren't fans of the painting of com computers because they tend to scratch up and whatnot. But that thing has, I use the crap out of it and that paint has held up really well. Hasn't hardly yellow. I think uh, it was appliance epoxy, if anybody's curious. So. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, I mean, there's, there's as many different viewpoints on how to properly cocoa as there is cocos almost. So, I mean, some people like you want to keep it pristine. It's got to be the original paint, the original stock. Mm -hmm. You can't cut a hole in the case. And then there's others who are like, this is a playground. I'm going to have fun with it. Yeah. And then everybody in between. So I, I've, I've seen a couple mods, not quite up to that extent, but I've seen a few where they've like, you know, put in a Model Three keyboard with an American keypad and. You right. know, inverse video switch and a halt switch. You could halt the game dead in the middle and pause the game while you, you know, go with something to eat or something like that. So you seem to be more in that latter category of uh, modded well, for fun. A little, a little bit of both. I mean, I have the this one here, which I'm not going to fully restore or repair it, but I, I think I'm going to try and patch this hole up and I'm going to take the fan out of the roof and uh, probably put an internal one with just some cooling vents or something. I'm trying to restore this one a little bit, but I'm also going to keep things like I got a, a DB9 uh, joystick port here, and I had a switch so I could switch between the internal or the the Atari style joystick. This switch I don't remember. It might have been. I think this was a power switch for the internal modem. I think the the fan was just switched by the main power switch. Was the modem a one B? Uh, direct connect modem pack DC3. Oh, okay, okay. but then I've also got this one. This is a original 64k white case cocoa with the melty keys. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. badly yellowed. <laughs> yeah, that's showing up in the camera as yeah. yellow, but uh. Um, that doesn't have a whole bunch of holes and mods on it, though. That It looks pretty pristine. No, it, they did have the uh, composite mod on here, the commercially available one with the – had a, a color composite, a monochrome, and audio output. That was like a real popular, I guess, third-party one that they sold. I actually took that out of here because it screws up the uh, artifact colors, makes them purple and green. And uh, Okay. Basically, that fixed the colors on that, and I stripped down that uh, composite mod circuit board and put it inside my modified Cocoa one, since it's already the modified one. Now, one other thing you've done, and you've shown in some of your videos before, too, I don't know if it's accessible to show on, on camera right now for those who haven't seen the, the previous videos, but you've actually done, you know, putting into PC cases, which was quite popular in the 90s. There was a ton of people wandering around Cocoa Fest with those. Yeah. Um, and you, you kind of went all out on that too, didn't you? Yeah, that was uh, the one repack. That was actually my original Color Computer 3 that uh, first I repacked it into like a mini 
It was kind of like a PC Junior case, only even smaller. But that that case didn't really have any drive bays. I think it had room for like a single three and a half drive, which was kind of useless by itself. I had to run the cable out the back for the drives. Just like normal, I had joystick cables running through a hole in the front, so I couldn't change them if I needed to in the middle of a game. <laughs> so that was kind of a hassle. So I found a different case. I think I put it in a... It was an old IBM, like the, the slanted front style. Yeah. And then uh, it was in that for a very short time, and the power supply blew up, and I put it in a... Uh, I had a 5170 that I, I put it all in that and that that went pretty well actually it worked well for a while and then i found the tower case and i just i i liked the vertical aspect of it so i didn't really need to take it out of the 5170 case but i wanted that tower for some reason just, and did you have the multi-pack in there and stuff from there too so that you could have multiple slots and so the multi-pack was like in kind of development at the time that i put everything up um i had it physically mounted and did some extensive modifications to the multi-pack itself i say extent just remove the power supply and i to make it fit i had to cut off part of the circuit board where the power supply was um probably the five or 12 volt regulators but uh that'd be easy enough power externally nowadays which I'll probably still set it up. It's it's sitting way over there in front of me right now. It's all 40 pounds of it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and also, you had a Coco 3 where you actually managed to fit, I think, a third height, uh, three and a half inch drive on the left, kind of where that other slot you cut on your Coco 1 is. So that one I have right here, actually. This is my... Coco 3P and the little mini external bay that I built. That's actually been a pretty popular video on YouTube here recently. But the 3P, let's just turn that off. I called it the 3P because uh, I was taking this with me to work in my minivan. And I obviously couldn't take a floppy disk with me. Uh, can set that up in the van, but yeah, I had a, I guess it's a third height drive that was originally in there. And then this one's even smaller. Came out of a uh, HP server here, pretty brand new. This one has the flat ribbon cable, so I do adapt that, but I do have this one working now. Um, the only thing that's still not working in here is a joystick. And I'm probably going to put a little Arduino stick there for now. But I also have a different plan for the future. So we'll see how it works out. Now, you labeled it the, the 3P, so it's, I'm assuming P means portable. <laughs> it was for portable. And it's funny because uh, back a few weeks ago when you were talking about my video and, and Nick heard that and he said, Coco 3 Pal, I thought that was ironic because it actually... You know, taking that to work and I would I'd go out to my minivan on breaks and play video games. So it really was uh, my pal. A pal. <laughs> and I know I was playing uh, mostly Nick's games. I was playing a lot of Gate Crasher and uh, Cosmic so Ambush. You had an inverter in the car in the, your van? 
No, uh, that was basically the whole point of this was the uh, the twelve volt conversion. Ah, proper Coco three, no screws. <laughs> this one is still being kind of tweaked, but yeah, it's a uh, twelve volt. So that would uh, literally just plug into a cigarette lighter. Oh, and okay. Fine. And I, I had a little, like a six inch monitor in the back of the van. So plug in the composite audio and video. Actually, the audio, I didn't want to use the van's stereo. So that's why I put in this little mini amplifier that I can, I can just plug that in or plug in an external. But that so did you ever get this like hooked up on battery power so you could literally wander around as a true portable? I haven't really, but it wouldn't be too difficult nowadays with uh, some of the portable battery packs we have. I think back in the 90s, that might have been a little trickier. Well, Frank Swaggart, I remember he had one he used to bring to Coco Fest, but he had it in a big wooden box. So it had two drive bays and stuff, and it was it was big. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but he actually had, I think it was a car battery he had in it that he actually powered off of if he needed to <laughs> i could see maybe a motorcycle battery but i think that car battery might be a bit much to tote around i, I was actually like you rick you were around at the same time when frank was hauling that thing around to the fest it was was it a car battery used i can't remember for sure a motorcycle battery maybe it was, yeah, it, was, it, was it was pretty hefty rv battery yeah, it was it was a it was a big lump of lead <laughs> i had an inverter in my uh my van it had a monitor drives everything and it worked. Yeah. Now, uh, Bob, have you done much with software as well, or are you more just a pure hardware guy? Um, mostly uh, just tinkering with hardware, but I did uh, what I considered uh, pretty significant work of software was my uh, Color Fog program, which I just got um, a hard drive and and hdb dos and uh having a i guess like a hundred different floppy virtual floppy drives is kind of intimidating and a difficult way to you know just sorting through directories it was always a pain so i just wanted a graphical way to quickly scroll through directories pick a different disk and see what's on it you know so that was a fun project and i I did a lot of a lot of work on that actually, and it was it was a labor of love that I it I was able to do it because I was working nights at TI. So on your uh, on your weekends, you have to maintain that that night shift schedule. So I'd get up at night and just program in a uninterrupted. Okay. I, I won't put you on the spot for doing it now, obviously, but uh, I would love to have you come on and just do a demo of Color Fog. I've seen some screenshots and it looks pretty impressive. So I think that'd be something a lot of people would be interested well, in seeing I in action. I can actually do it. Uh, um, let me see if this will plug back in all the stuff you unplugged. Plug in that car battery. No, I'm just kidding. Do you have USB stuck in there? No. What are, what are oh, the, the drive, drive, yes. That's a go take. Somewhere. There it is. Okay. So I have the installer here. And I think I can install it on this floppy drive. 
So let's see. NR zero. You got a CM8 back there? I have uh, oh. just an Acer. Let's see. I could actually. I have the other camera back there, but I don't know what's going to show up better. Are you I in your basement? I'm actually at work right now in oh, Memphis. So work? let me. Uh, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to put my camera. Did you work. say you work in Memphis? No, Dallas. I actually Dallas, work at okay. SMU in the journalism department. I'm going to turn down the exposure a bit. Yeah, I can yep. read it now. That looks good. Yep. Yeah, it looks good. And I guess I can... What's this rot? You have trouble? <laughs> Some rainbow software. Oh. I'm guessing it's the disk version of the rotation program. Oh. Yep. All right. Um, so I'm just going to format that drive. And then I'm going to run the fog installer from the GoTech and try to install it on that three and a half inch. I haven't done this, so I don't know if it'll work or not. Have you ever <laughs> have you ever used a uh, SDC? Yeah, I have that at home. So do you have do you have Cocos that permanently stay at your work as well as at home, or do you bring them back each each evening? I have uh, several. I have. One basically at home that I just game on that is like a daily. It's a, a, basically a bone stock, 512K. Um, here I've got my Coco 3P because I'm working on it here on the workbench. I've got my Coco 1s that I brought up here kind of for video purposes. And I've also got my Coco 2, which is one of the vertical uh, composite out models. But the composite never worked on it. So I pulled that modulator and installed the Coco DV. So let's see. Drive. Install. So if you listen carefully, I think I'd put a little audio. Uh, Easter egg here too. Make sure the volume's up. So it checks the ROM versions. Checks for HDB DOS, so it will install a different version based on what you have. Nothing can possibly. <laughs> I like that. Wrong. Nothing can possibly go wrong now. <laughs> <laughs> right, zero. Sure. 
Andy, hi, Rose, trying to head of that one. It's mouse-driven color fog then? Uh, it was, uh, yeah, I had a high-res routine to detect that, but it's also, it should work off a left or right joystick, or it'll work off a keyboard. You can pretty much run it, whatever. What does fog stand for? File operations GUI. Perfectly clear. Well, shouldn't it be foggy? <laughs> no, float. No, it's not. Okay, so it's just copying files. Support files or drivers, I presume? Um, basic modules, the CCB is the color computer basic version of fog loader, fog main, and fog setup. The high res tandy drivers, just a, whatever was out there. Tape X for that's Roger Schrag's uh, utility that he gave me permission to distribute with it. Are you still in contact with Roger? Uh, not directly, no. It, this was all, you know, two, 20 years ago, 2000 oh, okay. ish. That's what the last time I talked to him, too. So. Right. I installed every font I could find. <laughs> There's 49 of them in EOU if you want. Right. <laughs> Let's see how many fit on the disc. So this is like a semi OS. I mean, I wouldn't quite go that far, but it's just a handy way to. And most program the, launcher. Yeah, most of the things it's copying here are not so much needed for the program, but it gives you something to do once you install it. P mode for graphics. Now, this floppy that you're you're doing right now is it a 35 track single sided one or is it an 80 track double or what size of floppy you're using? That is a, a single sided. Basically, it's under RS DOS right now or disk basic, so it's yeah, it's stock 35 track. track. It, it might um, part of the deal with this was that got me started in the whole, whole path on this was just having a uh, simple customization routine that would like set my step rate to six milliseconds and reduce the number of error retries and the 40 track uh patch which is basically directly compatible you know with standard disk basic you can read a disk either way double-sided drive support too i presume yes and so high-speed poke I... enabled for disk access um no i never went that far okay Inside color fog, it'll manipulate the drive lookup table. So that's how it accesses either side of the drive. Well, one nice thing about the Cobra 3 is that because of the way the patchwork of the ROMs had to go, because Microsoft wouldn't let microware change them, is that basically it copies them all in the RAM and patches it. But that means they're all in RAM and you can modify them as much as you want on a Cobra 3. So. All right, it finally finished. It says it's going to start. I hope it starts off the right disk. Yeah. <laughs> so the audio listener just said custom color basic installed, and now we've got some sort of graphic. Is that a crash or is that a... That was a crash. 
<laughs> All right. Let's That's see. a proper demo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I could work for Microsoft. <laughs> All right. So let's just try this again. Run. Um, So it loads custom color basic, which was Alan DeCox. He also gave me permission. This is like a default palette that I think it's a composite palette, but we're looking at RGB right now, HDMI. So it is sitting at the screen. It sits at this screen waiting for any joystick movement. If I had a high res plugged in or left or right stick, it'll just go with that. Right now it is on a high speed poke, just waiting for input. Um that's, that's nice having the auto detect like that where you don't have to like edit a config yeah. file or something. Plus if you, you bring it up it. later on and you switched it, it's instantly yeah. figures that out. So I always hated having to unplug and replug a joystick. <laughs> this also is kind of neat here. The color cycling. Because I don't know if anybody ever tried to do that in basic. It's slow. <laughs> yeah, that only lets you change one color at a time, basically, and it looks like, you know, jittery. So I actually yeah. wrote like a machine language, little tiny user routine just for the palette cycling. Yeah, I did the exact same thing in a pole position style game I was trying to write because the I was just going to use to animate the side tracks. And mm -hmm. it was so slow because it's floating point and like you said, one at a time. So dog slow. So first time it's running it goes straight into the setup which is basically a separate module i did spray some uh deoxid in my stick here yeah these are the real modern uh colors that i set up you can just pick uh different swatches to see how you like it okay that's like um uh, fred provence on his uh Control panel GUI, he did a bunch of these color themes. That's kind of the same thing here. Mm -hmm. And the user settings down here, I never quite got to, but they would let you, you know, set up whatever you wanted in theory. And right now my colors are out of whack because I think I'm set on composite. Yeah. So I'm going to hit the keyboard now. I can also access these. The pop-up menus are uh, pretty quick, They're like subroutine. There's basically two types of menu, a vertical and a horizontal. Boy, you put a lot of thought into this thing. Yeah, looks really nice. So you can uh, go up here and pick a drive. Choose the other icon for it. That's neat. So you have differentiating icons you can pick for a three and a half or a five and a quarter and actually resembles that. Yeah, and it's just a graphical icon. It doesn't actually change any setting there. But this, these here are where you can set the drives how you want. As far that as is, does it support drive wire too? Then or um, it it potentially could. I never again never got to that point. This was pretty much where I stopped development uh, when I released version one point And uh, did you sell us? Very anybody? tempted. Hmm? Did you sell no. us to anybody? To no, I I posted it on the color computer forums, and I had a, a GeoCities webpage, and 
that all just kind of disappeared. Maybe that's where I remember it, you from. Probably. I mean, that would have been the only time I think I popped up. I do like the gray one. But these basically draw strings that can be scaled, especially that fog. It's like the same drawstring used at different scale levels. Um, so let's see if I hit a, let's go ahead and see. Yeah, you can set different number of drives. You can change your font. There's a, you can do that here. That basically is just going to be your default font when it loads. You can also load fonts on the fly. What does help say? Just gives me basic ASCII characters. I didn't really develop the help much either. <laughs> so I'm going to hit save. It'll return us to the main module. You can hit your left and right arrows and pick it up. I just like that it feels kind of responsive, considering that it's a basic program. And on floppy drives. And on floppy drives, yeah. And this is not using the high-res interface. This is just some basic joystick input. That was another thing that I did. Uh, I, I did a lot of math, just making sure that the mouse could hit every button on there, including the, the scroll bar if you have one. It will pop up a scroll bar if the drive has... Yeah, more than one screen full of files. The pie chart was kind of kind of cool. That's a that'll give you your free space. Oh, cool. So let's see if I hit digital install. And then it parses the directory, get all the spaces out and stuff. Now the colors there, does that signify the type of file? Uh, basically, yeah, I just, I think I just randomly assigned a color to different types, green for P-mode graphics, uh, I guess the purple for binaries, the orange for fonts. I didn't have any, I think the blue was, uh, basic executables. Pretty arbitrary. There's a cassette button up there that launches Roger Shrag's utility. Yeah. The error code data table. If you, uh, let's see, I'm going to I'm going to just hit one to read a directory off of the GoTech, I think. Maybe not. For the audio listeners, I think you'll just have to come and watch this part of the video. It's, it would be too hard to try to explain everything yeah. <laughs> that's happening visually here. I forget about the audio listeners, but yeah, this is actually a very visual experience, a GUI. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so up here... In the top part, it even gives you, like I found uh, some of those other, maybe ADOS or JDOS let you name a disk. So my program supports naming a disk. It'll 
list any errors that pop up if you read a disk and it gives you an IO error. It'll just show you that and it does error trapping. And then if you exit the program, it'll, it basically has everything listed like a log file. It also generates a log file of the installation now that I think about it. Uh, let's see, what else? I guess that's about it. When well, quick question. Like if you click on, a, say, a PMOD 4 screen, does it draw it on the Cocoa 3's high-res screen or, or does it switch to a PMOD 4 screen? Or? Uh, it does a PMOD 4 screen normally, but I'm on the R2D to HDMI, so I think it'll do... like an odd blue palette or something. Okay, just black and white. wonder which button it is on here. I'm just going to randomly hit buttons. <laughs> that always goes good with a demo. Yeah. Nope. I think it's... Nope. <laughs> Oh, that's the reset button. I would avoid that red one in the corner. <laughs> the one plugged straight into the wall? No. I don't know. Somewhere there's a button to turn on artifacting, but eh, you get the idea. You've seen that before, probably. And then, yeah, that's pretty cool. I had, I think you could hit... Uh, S or something to change the set. So yeah. What do you want? I would mention we got a question from AC's 8-bit zone. He says, Bob, is your Coco DV installed there at your work? Yes, it is. And of course, AC's 8-bit zone is the guy who designed the Coco DV. Yep. So you wrote this back in what 2002 to 2004? I think I saw a copyright earlier. Yeah. Well, are we, like you mentioned, there's a few things that you didn't quite get to or quite finish up. Is that something you're planning on continuing now? or You know, I'm, I'm debating. Obviously, this is of limited use to people now that, you know, the SDC exists. And it's probably still pretty useful with a, with a GoTech. I can, like, just spin to a random disk here and hit one and see what's on that drive without having to read the display. Oh, I think you got a loser game on there right now. But uh... <laughs> Nick is one of the people in my collection folder. <laughs> Actually, Pipes is a good game. It's that other one I'm not too fond of. All right. <laughs> so you can even see a deleted file there with the question mark in front of the file name. I like the presentation, like it, like the icons in the upper right corner and even your drive icons are quite well done. I mean, they look really, they almost look like, you know, uh, early VGA style icons. Mm -hmm. Pretty much all just uh, literally used uh, the draw command for those hdraw since we're in the high res mode. But that those are all hdraw strings rather than. So they're all scalable and not just the uh, fog logo. Right. Yeah, I have a Although trash can. <laughs> if you need an icon for that i know an aussie that has one <laughs> right 
<laughs> need to replace that with a little trash can, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I'm just looking. This is a pop-up menu. So you highlight an actual binary file or assume a basic file, and it gives you some options to copy it, rename it, kill it, launch it. So if I hit uh, if I hit F1, it opens help, which is like, you know, industry standard. If I hit F2, it opens the context-sensitive menu. So I come on a BAS file, and it gives me execute. Um, what does info do in that case, then? Is that just the size of the file or something? Or? Maybe. I don't remember. Oh, it just gives me the actual disk info, not the file, oh, okay. not the file info. I think that was one of those things that I kind of left that as a placeholder for something to get back to. So let's see if I go back to drive zero. Again, that's why I put all those files on that disk. So the, to show the context menus. So like if I go to a font and hit F2, I get the install option. If I go to uh, emode 4 file and hit F2, I get view. I go to a binary, execute. So it will attempt to load in and execute a binary. Whether Even if it's it a binary data file, yeah, I wouldn't know the difference. Yeah. Whether it I, I guess you, you could check the header and see if that five byte lead in thing's in there. Yeah, maybe. I didn't do a whole lot of that. I, I mainly, all my colors are based on the font, uh, the uh, three digit extension. That's all the metadata I pretty much relied on for anything. Now, is that something that's hard coded in the basic source itself, or do you have a config file where you can add different metadata for different extensions, et cetera? I mean, that that's pretty much just in my program. It's hard coded by my own, probably a lookup table. There's a sub subroutine somewhere in there. And I have all of this actually extensively documented in ColorFog Unraveled. <laughs> I go through and uh, literally a line by line uh, documentation of what subroutines do what, how they work. Now you you've got this available for download on I think Facebook and the Color Computer Archive. Is that correct, or do you have your own site for it? Or? I don't know if it's on the on Facebook, it is on the Color Computer Archive. But the copy in the archive doesn't have uh, color fog unraveled in the zip file, which I would like to remedy because that has a wealth of information. All that scrolling and we made it to line 1200. <laughs> <laughs> it was very tight with my line numbering and, and everything. I did... Most of the uh, building of this, I actually did on uh, a PC in notes pad with probably four different tabs open, maybe six. Towards the end there, it got pretty convoluted because I had the color basic version and the HDB DOS version. And each of those had to have, you know, three separate modules for the loader, the main executable and the setup file. And then they uh, 
basically they save some uh, hidden data in one of the unused pages of RAM. I use LPEAK and LPOPE at the beginning of my program to tell it like maybe somebody is launching the wrong module if, if it's if it thinks it wants to run the setup program and I try to run fog it'll like I don't remember if it gives me an error or if it just loads the correct program I think yeah, it, it looks like you put a lot of thought into this it's that's not like a quick hack or anything and plus I mean the the artwork looks great and the presentation's very very good yeah and that's why it's a little bit disappointing that it kind of came out at the, the late time in the Coco career that it did. I guess if I could have posted that uh, to the rainbow or something, that would have been pretty amazing. Yeah. Well, I, I think like the, that time period, like 2004, you know, from then till 20, you know, 14, 15, whatever it, you know, the Coco was still in a bit of a decline as even as far as, you know, retro obvious go, yeah, but yeah. now it's having a resurgence. So this is a perfect time to kind of bring yeah. it back. Cause I think you'll probably get more traction than you did then. Right. So let's see if it's fucking just hit run, get back into it. I do love hearing that floppy disk sound. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, that's one thing I do not miss running on my SDC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on the SDC, it's nice. It goes a lot faster, too. The, well, the... I mean, I, I've been running a hard drive since 1988, so um, I kind of got used to not having to deal with floppies except when I was transferring programs. Hard drives have their own special sounds. Yeah. It's the speed and the no halt I liked. <laughs> so it still has the last font that we loaded. I don't even remember all of these. It's neat that you have a graphical design of uh, uh, how much the drive's full. Yeah, that's that's yeah. cool. The little pie chart was uh, that's actually not too difficult. Um just based on, I, I think it's based on 40 tracks. So a full 35 track drive still shows it a little tiny empty slice. But that was just one of the trade-offs I had to decide to use, you know. So at, at the Fest, are you going to be showing off Color Fog as well as some of your hardware stuff? Or are you going to be just showing hardware stuff? What's, what's your plan? Um, I'll probably have, yeah, I'll probably have this with me, maybe just running colored fog sitting there beside me. I'm going to be sitting at the table. Probably my plan is to offer a uh, power led installation for Coco two and three, no drilling or filing required, just a real quick solder job and easily removable. Oh, cool. Are you going to have this uh, program on disk for sale? For sale? No, it's free. Oh. You can, it's on the Color Computer Archive. Okay. I never sold this. I never planned to sell this, even when I was developing it. It was always going to be released uh, basically free to the public, free to use, free to share. Cool. Even my little mouse cursor is a draw statement rather than a get put, which that was something I was uh, I had started another development where I was doing more with the get put. And the mouse response was even better than it is here. This is That's cool. pretty reasonable, but 
that's a, that's cool. And, and, and thanks for coming on. Uh, we've been covering your channel now for a while. And I do remember faintly color fog uh, on the GeoCities site. Now that you mentioned it, that uh, kind of struck a memory. So I think that's probably where I remember your name from. But thanks for coming on, showing off all the hardware and color fog itself. And it's going to be really cool to meet you in person at the fest. Yeah, likewise. Actually, uh, having a blast with it still. Oh, was that old commercial we did? Having a blast with a new math tutor or something? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Speaking of commercials, what do you say we take a commercial break and then we'll have a visit from Gimes and then the Game On Challenge. How's that sound? Sounds good. The Coco Nation Show is an unscripted, live, and interactive broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own, and not necessarily those of the Coco Nation Show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds are encouraged, and a sense of humor is recommended. Thank you for being a part of the Coco Nation. The Coco Nation Show would like to thank the following patrons. Alex Gayer, Brendan Donahue, Brian Walsh, Brian Weasler, Karen Ascom, Daddy Burrito, Diego BF109, Dinty's Hideaway, Don Barber, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Grant Leedy, John, Boat of Car Schaller, Henry Strickland, Justin Larson, Ken Reichard, Mike Rayburn, Patrick Euland, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, R. Allen Murphy, Retro Tech Time, Rob Inman, Rocky Hill, Steve Batson, Terry Stege, Tom C., Tom Gunderson, Tom S., Tony C., and William Athing. Thank you so much, patrons. Welcome to everybody's favorite segment, Who's New to Discord? Joe France says, Hi guys, from a kinda noob. Never had a Coco but played with them as a kid at the Radio Shack store. Just picked up a Model 3 off Goodwill recently. Thanks L. Curtis Boyle for the invite to this server. Whiskey Sierra says, So, I'm an owner of two MC-10s, a Coco 2, and more recently a Coco 3, all NTSC, which is a trick living in Australia. I've not used them much since acquiring, as life has gotten in the way but I'm keen on having a look at the scene post-2022 to see what's happening, along with what might be next steps. The previous bios were edited for time. Thanks to, Cruise Mongers, Glenside Computer Club, Nightbeard, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Tandy Color Computer 3, and the Coco Nation patrons for boosting the server. Please consider joining Discord and visiting the welcome section to read these bios in full and see what the community has to offer. Just go to discord.thecoconation.com. Because cocoing is better together. And now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. Tell me, why'd you have to go and make a game so complicated? If I knew <laughs> it was like this, I never ever would have played it. Games like this, you... And you fail, and you lose, and you scream, and you try to control, and you turn it into 
the back wall and wonder if it just should play itself. Whoa. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to this week's Coco Nation Game On Challenge of the Week results video. This week we played Neutroid 2.015. We had a total of 15 players. Rondell Vaux with 1440. Ed Rhodes, 2380. Kieran, 5830. Mr. Dave 6309, 6640. Rich N, 7680. Coconut Bob, 7700. L. Curtis Boyle, 8860. Shenley, 9360. Canadian Retro Things, 9380. Tasman, 10320. Paul Shoemaker, 16680. Jim Rye, 26,600. Nick Morentes, 32,200. Buck Owens, 33,860. Bastard. And the number one score this week was... Sloopy Malibu with 34,460. Thanks, everybody that played. We'll see you again next week. Well, okay. Th there we go. That was Neutroid. Yeah. Um, yeah. I did find one I found one review for the game in a magazine. Oh, you did? Okay. I did. <laughs> was it full of Was it, and full it is of expletives? From Australian Coco <laughs> February 1985. Oh, an old one. I can't remember that one. And uh, basically, the uh, reviewer here said that uh, the uh, instructions were detailed and well set out. Um, the game runs at a hectic play pace, just right for the real arcade freak, and sound effects and visuals are fantastic. The only thing that he found annoying was that his reflexes were too slow and the game was a little bit hard at first. And the most exciting thing about Neutroid 2 was that it was made in Australia. Hey. And that was Greg Kalotis. <laughs> and how much did you pay oh, Greg for that? Guy. Did, yeah, did, did you that do you actually know Greg uh, back then, Nick? Oh yeah, I paid him. No. <laughs> <laughs> you paid him with a free game. <laughs> I forgot he even wrote that. <laughs> yeah, so that was in the uh Australian Coco. So it's so, very nice to see that Sloopy's constant using of Neutroid as a test on his machines that he's working on paid off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I reckon that all the people who got scores, the, the top three or four there, I'd be curious to know, are they all real Coco users and the others are all emulators? Uh, I use a real Coco and I absolutely oh. sucked at it. So. Okay. 
So lack of I know skill, Buck was okay. on real and you were was, on real. Yeah, totally lack of yeah. skill with me. My <laughs> score was from a cocoa pie. I don't know what that's like on the joysticks, but I know I played the, my own game for about half an hour using VCC because I wanted to see if I can get a screenshot when it was done for the Game On Challenge. And I couldn't get over to, over, uh, over 9,000. And um, I couldn't get the first l- grid um, completed either, which I thought was strange because when I wrote it, I made sure I could actually play several levels and it was you know, a lot easier than what I was finding there. So I, then I switched to a real Coco just to, out of curiosity. And on the first game, I completed the first level and it almost completed the second level and uh, I think I got 22,000 on the third and fourth game even higher again so big difference so playing you're basically, it on real hardware you're saying the uh, author didn't do a very good job of getting it to work on emulators well I, I probably never really <laughs> bothered with an emulator there I mean that's not a real Coco so <laughs> on a real Coco it worked perfectly it was tuned for that I'd be curious between different emulators too, because VCC is what I use. Yeah, and I I've noticed other that laggy stuff too. So yeah, that's not a cocoa. This is a no, cocoa. That's right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yay, Jason. Um, so <laughs> yeah, be interesting to see what it's like for MAME response and, and XROR response. MAME and XROR. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't try those, but I know VCC, which I just I had a link there on my. Loopy played on XROR, I believe. Yeah, I'd have to try it just to compare the uh, response time because Neutroid was is very much a fast-paced game. It really does need fast um, joystick control. And because it's all about the timing. Things, yeah, it, very, it is very timing. I was written back in the day when um, I could act, as I said before, back in the day when I had skill uh, when I was young. <laughs> um, but the thing I noticed was... Um, that um uh what was it uh yeah i could only hit one of the protroids at a time and i was sure that one of the one of the tactics of the game is to try get two at a time but i just couldn't do it not under vcc it was just impossible it was there was no time to be able to go after hitting one to have time to uh, go and chase the second one. And that's why I thought, that's strange. I'm sure I didn't code it that way. So, But on a real Coco, yep, no problem. And that was that was the trick, being able to hit two Protroids at a time. That allowed you to complete the level well in time before the grid overheated and it was um, game over. Um, and that's I was able to get up to the... In this in this test, I got up almost finished level three, but I do remember being able to do at least four levels um, before I I, I uh, died, and that was by being able to hit two pro- protroids in quick succession at a time. That was one of the the major skills uh, um, that you need to have in Neutroid. Scott Cooper's comment says, I used XWare to play my games on the computer. VCC is not working for me playing some games. Seems to have missed input from the keyboard. So it it sounds like a few people have had issues. Yeah, Yeah, so VCC obviously is not the good one to use. So I must try it again with uh, XRAW. Um, 
and maim well. I can never get that damn thing going because I always forget what the damn. You know, it depends what version you got downloaded. It might have broke something. I've like got the fundamental, like a floppy yeah. driver or something. <laughs> trying to remember all the the the, the UI or lack of. Well, I, I didn't get a chance to try it again after discovering the, the VCC, which is what I used as well, and I was getting yeah, frustrated it's a shocker. So and that, that's um, when I was when I was playing it with VTC and I, and I saw the sluggishness. I thought, oh, gee, maybe Curtis is right. Maybe the the game does uh, the controls do suck. But then I thought, <laughs> no, no, I'm not going to admit that Curtis is right. So that's why I looked a bit further. Never <laughs> admit Curtis is right. No, I thought no, that that's an error straight off. So I knew they had to. Those are wise else. words. Yeah, he's he's thinking out loud. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Did I say that out loud? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm I'm definitely gonna have to try it again on either real hardware or on a different emulator myself, and just see what. Uh, what it it is like. fun. I mean, uh, when I did play it on a real Coco, I do remember uh, back in the day how you know it, it's very frantic, very fast, and really gets the heart pumping. So may not be a, a, a healthy idea for us oldies anymore. But back in the day, yeah, I, I do remember. Hey, if we still play Dagrath without having a heart attack or Phantom Slayer, I think we'll be fine. Heck, yeah, not, yeah. Just turning on your cocoa gets you going, don't it? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, you get the healing green, so it should fix anything, right? That's right. <laughs> now, is there, if anyone, actually, Buck Owens uh, made a good comment uh, on the uh, Discord. He was comparing it to the original Neutroid on the Model 1. And he's, uh, he, he, uh, picked up on the fact that Neutroid on the Coco was quite different in that I I did change quite a few things. Like uh, in the Model 1, it had a different type of grid. The grid uh, was a bit more – well, it was graphically better in that you could more clearly see the direction that you were deflecting the Neutroid. But um, I didn't do that on the Coco because back in the day – the, um, well, it was moving. your first Coco game. You were just learning how to that do stuff. It was my stuff, first so. Coco game, yeah. And I think I was telling you yesterday, uh, Curtis, that um, on the Model 1, a video display took up 1K of RAM. So when I moved over to the Coco, um, I, I think I used semi-graphics 12 mode, and uh, that that used up, what, 4K? or 3, 3K, yeah. Is it 3? Because I know SG-8 used 3. So I thought 12 was a little bit more. I thought SG8 used two. No, oh, gee, I can't remember. But it was, it was the, the the screen display was more RAM. And I thought, oh, gee, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that fast enough on the Coco. And uh, dealing with the semi-graphics mode, there was certain color limitations. I had to design it a bit differently. So I, I changed it to make it a bit easier for me to code, uh, which nowadays in hindsight, I probably can make it more like the Model 1, which I think is a better version. And I do actually have a video of the Model 1 version for for people who haven't seen it yet. So I can play I, that. I would because just the way you've got like the center squares that you're traveling your your thing through, it actually shows you the deflection angles it is. visually, and which the is actually quite helpful. Also, and the Protroids didn't just go across the top and bottom of the screen. They actually did circle the 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 grid uh and but again I, I just took the easy way out being my first coco game i thought oh i don't want to bite off more than i can chew on my first game so i did simplify it but 
I'd, I yeah, would if you, like you got the Model One Three video, though, I would show it because that would be yeah, of interest. I think to people that have not seen it before. All right, I will. I will attempt to share the screen. I'll turn the sound off. So, because it, it is loud, there are a lot of a lot of sound effects even on the Model One. Okay, is that sharing? Yeah, yeah. Actually, you you could share sound just for a few seconds, just to show people what this is, or so oh, the yeah, audio listeners can hear what it sounds like. Then shut it off to talk over it. Okay, I'll have to unshare and do it again with the. Uh, I'll say share sound. Now is that sharing now? No, we're seeing uh, YouTube. A oh, whole shit. list of stuff. Now we got a VLC small player over top. Okay, let's try again. Now we know what kind of videos Nick likes to watch. Oh, did you see all the porn, did you? <laughs> okay, here we go. Sharing, how's that? Yep, VLC okay. media player. VLC. I will turn on the sound. Now, just one for thing a little bit, just to show the sound effects, yeah. Yeah, it, it's a bit annoying, actually, because I did try to do background music on the model one of all things and it is a bit annoying but oh well if you can put up with that for a while here is the game oh except that stupid thing doesn't work ah uh, does everything fail when you go to the demo it oh, it's, cool. it's the rules of demo yep yeah standard operating procedure uh, okay. Anyway, we can keep talking, and I'll I'll get it up and running. Yeah, I would just play the audio like for the first ten seconds, and just you know yeah. crank the volume down to zero, and then you can talk over the thing. But yeah, when you showed it to me, is it yesterday? It was um, a lot more self-explanatory for steering the particles, um, just because of the it visual is, presentation yeah. of the way you did the grid. So has that changed your mind at all, Curtis, from the way that you thought of it last week? Well. I, I like I said before the the only problem I had really was the controls and and then the fact that I thought it should have you know a couple different defaults to make it a little bit easier. But if it, if because the controls were not running properly because I was running under VCC, that yeah. might have been the whole problem. So I I have to revisit it. The game concept I'm fine with and always have been. Uh, the instructions were a little obtuse, but I mean you know he's not a professional writer and neither am I. My 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 doc sucked too. All right, is that coming through? Yep. Yeah. All right. He has the sound. So the title screen. <clears throat> no sound yet. Is do... there supposed to be sound right now? Not yet. No. Oh, okay. The title okay. screen was tight. There it is. Mm. Is that coming through? Yeah. Okay. I think I've heard enough. Yeah. It's got a little rhythm, which is pretty annoying after a while. Okay, you can zero the sound now. Okay, I've, I've muted it. So you can see there that um, the protroids are going all around the screen. The uh, paddles are four dots, but then as you go, as you select left, right, up, or down, it changes the uh, the design of the graphics to clearly show the angle that it's going to throw the uh, neutroid at. The other thing that it does do is that if after you deflect, if you don't then let go of the buttons, you can just ram into the back of another, um, 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 what do we call it, the rod, 
which is uh, going to make it slam and, and crash, which you don't have on the Cocoa version. So a few things extra there. Anyway, that's uh, that's the Model 1 version, but that, that the original Neutroid that the Neutroid 2 was based on. All right. I'll buy one for a dollar. <laughs> well, one day, maybe when oh, I've what? got some time and I decide to go back and do another semi-graphics uh, Coco 1 and 2 game, I might uh, redo Neutroid in its original original glory. That's very impressive. And, and, and do some improvements. I mean, I, I could probably improve the, uh, the, the control structure to be more fluid. And Just you probably could have a real background music now because there's actually not that much moving on the screen. Or that, or I'm not not too fussed on the background music, but I could probably have digitized sound effects, proper explosions, maybe some voices, whatever. Call it new turd. Yeah. <laughs> and when you die, it'll go ringingly. <laughs> <laughs> Special David Ladd edition. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, a good game that probably didn't uh, didn't sell as well as it should because of its abstract and and its hardness. It, it was hard. Yeah, but it sounds like it was artificially hard because of using VCC. So well, yeah, but I mean the game overall is it's a hard, hard to game. play even on real hardware. <laughs> it is it is a fast game now designed for an era of uh, young pumped up arcade purists <laughs> as we once were. Yeah, filled up with Jolt Cola and Mountain Dew. That's, That's right. We I'd probably, in a future version, I'd probably be smart to actually have a difficulty level whereby <laughs> yeah. you can play it at, at the low level so it's a bit slower, a bit less stressful, and uh, a bit more achievable for our age group. Yeah, you can have I'd normal geriatric have level. Speed. That's what you need. Yeah, the yeah. geriatric level. <laughs> Grandpa's going to play your game, Sonny Boy. That's it. That's right. <laughs> There's your digitized sound right there. <laughs> it is a grandpa mode and, right. uh, and a professional mode. But um, Step away so, from the machine. That's right. It does speed up a fair bit. As you go through all the different levels, it really does speed up, even on the Coco, even on the Model 1. So if you think it was hard on level one, or oh, you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> that entice you can. You want to play it again to see if you can make it to level three? Um, I'll play it again. Uh, from, Is it, uh, were but... you using a digital <laughs> joystick? Uh, no. Well, I was using um, uh, just a regular Ba-bom, joystick. Loser. No, no. It's got to be a digital yeah, it's got to be a digital joystick. You need oh. to be able to switch very quickly between up, left, right, and the analog. By the time you swing that bar over, you you're too late. In order mm. to get the uh, the double protroids, you need to be able to go up. Well, I'm not that fancy. Left or left, and then up again. You know, it's got to be a really quick succession, and you know, <laughs> it you'll just mangle your joystick or your hands trying to do that unless you've got a quick shifting digital joystick. The original game, remember, was keyboard control, the original Neutroid 2. That was something Buck said he wished you had on, on the yes, couple version. Yeah, and he's yeah. right, because with the keyboard, that was like a digital joystick. You, you, you could press the buttons fairly quickly, which is what the game was designed to be. So when I switched to joystick, I did that because my hands are 
are now at a geriatric stage and I couldn't do keyboard control. So I went for joystick, which does work, but you must use a digital joystick. Anything or be, less or be young and, and fast. Yeah. 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 Young. Anything else is not fast enough. By the way, Alan says in the chat here, said Neutroid Feature Creep needs to interface with a Dance Dance Revolution step map. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> if you think I'm slow moving with a, you know, a deluxe joystick having to float around, you should see me try to dance. I'll, I'll definitely make it fast. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's all that I've got in strategies. Does anybody else have any strategies other than, of course, don't die? <laughs> I have to revise my previous strategy, which was don't play this game, which I think I said live in the stream two weeks ago. So I, I will say <laughs> that uh, I will revisit it. I, like I said, the game concept is good. I thought it was too hard, but it sounds like a lot of that was just because I was using VCC. So I I'll tried it again. on. I played the first and level. I see that Jason stole my shirt. <laughs> <laughs> now, Ron, I was going to ask you because you rarely participate in these game yeah, on challenges here. Did well, you actually play the game, or did you just set it running on itself, like we joked about during the stream? No, I actually moved the uh, I moved the joystick around, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I played it. It it ended, and then um, and that I was it. I did the screen print, and I got it over to um, you know put on the list. So, yep, that'll shut that Australian up. Yep. <laughs> Because I I did just let it run because I thought people were joking, but you actually can get a couple thousand points just letting it go yeah. on its own. If you, yeah, that's like, right. It just bounces up and down. Yeah. I got like 3,800 points by just hitting the S key and then doing nothing else. <laughs> so, so Jason beat Ron's <laughs> score by not doing anything while Ron actually yeah. tried. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Actually, the very first time I played the game, mm -hmm. I had no idea what I was doing, and that's when I got my highest score. And then I, I found – then Sloopy told me what I'm supposed to be doing, and I just could not – that's exactly what's going on when when you're playing the game and you're looking at it and you're thinking, what am I doing? What am I doing? Was, if I go up and down, I go. It, it didn't seem to do any difference. I was doing it and I was thinking, am I actually playing this or is this like yeah. in a track mode or what's going on? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it was fun. Yeah. I, I guess, you know, listening to um, Nick talk about it last week made me think, well, oh, I guess I'll try it. <laughs> The yeah, sound is good, especially for that time period, though. The sound was done really well. Well, that was that was what I was aiming for. Fast, arcadey, uh, adrenaline, and sound. And that's what I was pushing and for color. at the time. And color. And color. Yeah, and color, yeah. It took me longer to do the screen print and post it than it did to do the game. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yeah, a future version will take uh, um, us older folks uh, into consideration. <clears throat> Have they ever made a game where you can actually feel like if, if you screw up, you're getting electrocuted a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, a you know, a, a neon sign transformer or something hooked up. <laughs> a joy buzzer in the art in the. Uh, yeah. uh -oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not doing that again. <laughs> You know it would be cool a little mini game that you play so it decides how good you are or how yeah. good your controls are and then based on the mini game that's what your hardness level is. Yeah, if you if your score is low it just shuts down. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you can't play good <laughs> in the mini game home, you just get quit the now. easy. <laughs> and if if you play really good in the mini game well then you get the 
the full Marinti's. <laughs> Actually, that's not a bad idea. Rather than having to select uh, difficulty levels, start the first level being really easy. And then when you complete that level, the game says, okay, he got this many points. He did it in that amount of time. Um, it must be too easy for him. Jack up the the, the levels automatically. So yeah, skip a few in the middle there. Yeah. And, and the higher the levels jack up, the more points you get. So it's in your interest to try to get better at the game and actually play the higher levels to get more points. If you don't, it'll just keep playing at that that uh, um, basic level and you'll just keep getting later, low yeah. points. And see so, how fast yeah. Buck Owens can crash the computer by making it too fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> An intelligent um, difficulty level setting. Now, there's a, there's something um, I don't think I've seen before where the game intelligently adjusts the the difficulty. Yeah, we, we've play. had games that can adjust for the skill of the player if you're playing two players against you, like double backs, fairly good at that. You have a young child circling one thing at a time because it's easier for them to comprehend versus an adult will know that if I try to group 16 things together and circle them all at once, I'm going to get mega points. But that's not actually adjusting the active skill level. That's just no, no, adjusting the scoring and 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 the in my case, I would, player. I would put on his game and it would go to Pong. <laughs> ding, ding. <laughs> well, I guess maybe in your case, you know, you play the first level and you know, however long you take to do that, the next level won't be too much harder because it says, oh, look, we're playing with a, with a no-hoper here, so don't go too hard <laughs> no on him. <laughs> That's right. That's assuming so that, that you can get past to, the first level. You get to play for a bit longer, although your points may be not so high, but you get to play a bit longer. Well, that, that's Whereas what someone saying. like Buck Owens, if he I can see it, it really now. quick, it says... Sorry? Skill level hopeless. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. Whereas with Buck Owens, it says, hey, hey this guy's a show-off. That's it. Bump it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Send him into the trash. <laughs> yeah, me and Ron are playing to be going, just enter your initials and quit now. <laughs> yeah. I'll give you a number. <laughs> That's something to consider anyway. You should code into Which the means game. It's going to be in his next game. You should code into the game that your score has not qualified to be on the uh, <laughs> That's right. game score. <laughs> Please have a top ten. Head. Have a top ten scoreboard and a bottom ten scoreboard. Yeah, <laughs> the wall of shame. Yeah, well, you I, can I always have It can automatically assign colors to the high score. So whatever high score you get, depending on if it worked out that you were actually a a pro player, it could color you differently. So you know that not only do you get your name up on the on the board. You've also got to get a certain color, say red being a, a pro. So, so a red Ron Ron Delvaux yeah. entry is going to be much better than a uh, uh, I don't know purple, purple. Ron Delvaux. Well, that just thing. makes it getting the uh, putting together the score less harder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it does. Yeah. Well, that's right. It does. It just means that <laughs> even if you do achieve the same score, if you were Playing it at a higher level, it would it would see that and say, you know, even though you got a high, actually, even if you got a higher, you're, you're score, handicapping it like golf. Is what? Yeah, doing. yeah, yeah. Even if you did get a high score, if you got a high score because you were playing it in lay mode, 
it would say, well, that doesn't qualify. That will go below, you know, another score that might right. be more. Yeah, it's kind so of like donkey of king where you have practice mode where you can get 12 men, but your scores don't count. Yeah, well, I had a practice mode in, in uh, Donut Dilemma when it, I originally wrote that, and that one had um, unlimited lives. And, yeah, I hated that because everyone, that's all they chose. They would just say, oh, practice mode because you get unlimited lives. Okay, yeah, well, that's that's crap. <laughs> yeah, but on the other hand, some people, if they had to play it the regular way, they'd never see any level past the first two. So, Oh, most didn't even see past two anyway. <laughs> but that's the problem like you you had to adjust you know some of your more recent games because people had never seen the yeah. later levels so yeah and that's, and that's, a, that's something like that's that changing game playing these days i think people prefer that you can go through and see everything and they don't have to get super skilled to just to see the whole game because then you feel like you're ripped off okay i get to play like one tenth the game why did i pay this much for it maybe i could have another gauge whereby like in neutroid for every Protroid that you knock out, depending on how long it takes for you to hit the next Protroid, there's another gauge or reading on the screen which increases the the faster you uh, uh, the the smaller the gap between destroying Protroids is an indication that you're a better player. So that bar would grow, and as that bar grows, that that's how it determines that you are a better player. Maybe and that's a multiplayer that's bar. The higher you can push it, the more yeah. you get for killing one. Yeah. So anyway, it, I, I reckon there's something in that doing an intelligent difficulty level. Yeah. Well, along with from what I was saying, David Lord in the chat says <clears throat> you bought the whole game, not just the first couple of screens. So if you if the game's too hard, then it, you do feel ripped off. Like I'll never get to see everything. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, that, that, that settles it. I, I want a refund for my Neutroid 2015. <laughs> <laughs> it's too hard. <laughs> don't, don't you just hit break and then start the game at like 20,000 or something? <laughs> now, any other tips or tricks here? Because I, I don't have any for this game, except apparently don't play it on an emulator. Or not on BCC anyway. Yeah. Right. It may work fine on x I must try it. If we turn our screen upside down, it would play better, maybe. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you've got to be upside down to play. That's what it is. Right. That's right. We're out of our element. Okay, I don't know. Well, no... got the high score, and he wasn't upside down. Yeah. Know oh. of. And he was on Real Hardware, too, was he not? I don't know if he was on Real Hardware or XROAR. He usually plays on XROAR, so. Oh, okay. Yeah, to record the video, so I don't know. No, so maybe maybe XROAR does better. work better than VCC for the joystick reaction. Yeah. Hey, anyway, I think we've kind of covered that one enough. Um, yep. I will retract my earlier comment that game's not worth playing that I said two weeks ago, and I will try it again. <laughs> Let me explain why you were wrong. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Even you agreed playing it on VCC, it wasn't that good. We're expecting a full report from you, Curtis, in a couple of weeks on why you were wrong about saying never play it. Live on the again. fest, I'll do it. That's what I'll do. <laughs> Take the word not out. So I can. I, oh, I'm wait. assuming you have another game lined up for us for next. Well, I do, oh, but, but no, before we also you jump it. to that, oh. what, what, what the the review? What magazine was that in? So I can dig it out and show it oh, to the uh, guy. That was uh, Australian Rainbow or something, wasn't it? Um, Australian Cocoa. Australian Cocoa Volume One. Uh, just let me see. What month? 
I'm just looking here. Uh, February of 85. The only February one. February 85. Right? Okay. Nick, I'll look it up. Page eight. Left hand side. <laughs> All right. Okay. Go on. Continue. And anyways, so the other game that we played this week was Creature Feature, which is just a basic shooting game. Kind of like a berserk Robotron, but with yeah, randomly that different kind of creatures. Thing. And you're wandering around and just avoid the, uh, well, apparently they're rocks, but they look like snowballs to me because I'm from Canada. Killer snowballs. Killer snowballs. And uh, yeah, so things just come on the screen. You have to shoot them. They shoot back. Once you kill enough of them, you move on to the next level. Uh, there's five different types of creatures. And if you kill them all, then um, you get a free man. If you go through five levels. So I will uh, show some video from the live game on challenge this week. There we go. Uh, let's see. Well, nobody's playing anything there. So we've got. Uh, so you're getting rewarded for killing people. Yep. Or things. Getting rewarded for killing things mm -hmm. um there's a number of different things in there they're all kind of cutesy little creatures so it's just uh yeah an early shoot 'em up game and then um the game you can see being played by jim rye there is the uh updated version that mr day 6309 did for an rgb patch See if I can find Ah, there we go. Now more people are playing it. So, I don't know. There's not much to say about this game other than you do have, uh, if you hold the fire button down, you uh, continually fire in one of four directions that you point the joystick, up, down, left, or right. But you don't move when you're holding the uh, fire button down. So if you need to move out of the way of anything, you got to let go of the fire button. Other than that, I don't know what there else there is to say about it, but uh, I think we had basically four people playing on the uh, game on live, and we had uh, some other people in chatting with us. So um, that's on Thursday nights at five o'clock Pacific time. So come and join us in the Discord. You can just join, come into the channel. You don't even have to play the games. You can just come in and chat or you can actually uh, fire up an emulator or real hardware and play along with us. Yeah. And even do the online X ray emulator for most yeah. games. And it doesn't even have to be the game of one of the games of the week. It could be any Coco game you want. So I don't know. Cool. Did anybody else have any uh, tips or tricks about uh, creature feature? I haven't had a chance to play it yet this this time around, so nope. <laughs> it's a pretty simple game. It was uh, from 1982, so it was earlier on in the Coco life. And yeah, like I said, just your basic shooter. All right. And since nobody else has anything to say about that, I will... Uh, show you what next week's game is going to be.
if anybody but Curtis can take a guess here, because I know you know Curtis. Yep. It's a British import. That uh, helps. I see jewels. Is this Beat like ba- bouncing boulders meets a downland? Beat the bush. <laughs> it looks like Gantelet. Well, this is uh, a version of what's the actual arcade game for this, Curtis? Um, oh, um, Bouncing Boulders is the other version we have on the Coco. Yeah, that's the Dicom one. It's uh, Boulder Dash. Boulder Dash, yeah. So this is another version of Boulder Dash. And it is called Boulder Space or Stone Raider 2. Which is and by the way, I've checked. There was no Stone Raider yeah, one. That's just what I was going to say. I looked and I looked and I could not find a Stone Raider one. I spent so, way too much time trying to find one. I spent a bit of time last night looking around trying to figure out. Well, why is it Stone Raider two? How there's? I'm just assuming that Stone Raider one was probably a game that he made in his basement and never released. By the way, three people in the chat came up with that title too before you revealed oh. it. So. Oh, okay. Or not not this specific one, but the the fact that it's a clone of Boulder Dash. Oh, okay. So that is the game for the next two weeks, and we have one more week of creature feature. So join us on Thursday night and play these live on the air, or you know, just play them on your own time. Now I have a question for you, Ken. Do do you have anything, or you and Sloopy have anything special uh, lined up for the fest as far as Game On Challenge? We haven't actually talked about it, but... Or are you planning anything like a crossover with, say, Tim and AJ, since they're going to be there as well? Uh, as I said, we haven't talked about anything. I'm still trying to wrap my... I'm I'm, I'm re-familiarizing myself with Nitrous 9 right now because uh, I haven't used it in a while. <laughs> so I figured if what? I'm going to give a talk about it with you, I better <laughs> figure out that. So Smart move. You don't live, eat, and breathe it? What is wrong? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'll learn everything I need on the drive up. Yeah, I want you to do demonstration <laughs> of semi-language programming when we start our seminar. So, <laughs> I just thought it'd be good, cool because we were having some people that haven't been there. Like AJ's never been to a Cocoa Fest before. Yeah, uh, some other people that you know, you know, Aaron and Boat. You know, they do nothing but games on their Cocoa shows. So, uh, having a, a crossover game on challenge between all three groups would be pretty awesome. I think. Well, we'll definitely talk to Sloopy about whether we plan on doing anything, because I know he'll have a table set up, and we'll have a table set up, so. Cool. All right. um, I will, uh, the next uh, live show is on Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern, I believe. Um, Yeah, sure. Five o'clock Pacific Standard Time, so that's all that matters to me. That would be 8 p.m. Eastern Daylight yeah. Time then. <laughs> Mark Siegel saying the Nitrous 9 game challenge will kind of cross the streams there and do both at the same time. There we go. Gem Quest, get through all the levels. I haven't even done that yet. <clears throat> That's actually not a bad idea. I might have to think about that. Sure, anyway, sorry. Mark B., I was going to just do the uh, game on news first. Because there's six stories, but there's a fair number of ones in the regular news, and we can do a break between those if that works for you. Okay, uh, let me hit the intro. When you want the latest in TRS-80, Tandy, Dragon, MC-10, and all of their hardware cousins, 
no matter what it takes. For where news breaks from around the world to your nation. The Coco Nation News with L. Curtis Boyle. Well, so I know he's monitoring the chat there, but we got some crap coming in from YouTube, it looks like. Already taken care of. Yeah, we already did Thank the you. block. There's cool. Thank like, you. I think, smell a I, think here. I think several of us uh, blocked at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you guys are seeing this video features closed captions. Please switch them on for subtitles. Or no. Uh, is this video in Canadian? Do I need the subtitles? Nah. Okay, well, I'm going to change the order back to what I have in my list here. So this is a first story here is from Jim Gary. So this is a follow-up to the one we did last week where he covered his Doctor Who base game. So now he has a blog entry on the port, and this was a conversion. Now, he has 1893. I'm pretty sure that's not right. <laughs> but he actually kind of goes through an explanation of uh, stuff he had to fix, because originally this was an Atari basic game, as we covered last week, and he actually had to fix some bugs in the original Atari basic one. There was a lot of go subs with, with no returns, et cetera. So actually, eventually, we'd overflow the program stack and actually crash even on the Atari. So we fixed that. And he kind of goes through you know what he only had to fix and to get it running on the MC10. Uh, he's got a new type in mania contest, too, he wants to mention here. Anyone who can post visual evidence on the MC10 Facebook group of the first people to solve this game, the, the Doctor Who game, they will win a type in mania mug. So there's a contest for you. I don't know what the deadline is. I think it was just basically it might be just the first winner, um, the first person to complete the game. But if you have an MC10 or you want to run the MC10 emulators or the online MC10 emulator and you want to try that Doctor Who game, if you win it, you can win a free coffee mug. I might have to do that because I'm going to need a coffee mug for the fest. Haul my coffee back in my gallon drum there. Next up, we have. Camel from Creative Computing, another Jim Gary port. This is from Creative Computing in 1979. Now, if you guys remember, it's probably a month or two back, maybe, that Paul Shoemaker did a graphical camel wandering through the desert. This is the same program that he based his on. But this is the actual conversion of the raw, you know, basically really low-res graphics, mostly text, honestly, version that uh, Jim has ported over to the MC10. So let's play a little bit of it here. And, of course, Creative Computing was one of the first computer magazines period i mean came out before byte did uh and it was cross-platform so it was uh it was one i read a lot as a youngster when we were working on the pet and stuff so but if you guys have played paul shoemaker's graphical version this is basically just a text version of the same thing with a little bit of you know semi-graphics thrown in for a picture of your camels you can see on the screen right now and it's incredibly hard because it's mostly just random number generation to have a certain thing happen and there's not a lot of control over what you're doing. Next after that, we have Paul Shoemaker speaking of. <clears throat> uh, we covered this Coco Ladder, which is a game that he's porting over from an old game. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the original. Should have wrote it down. But anyway, it's a, it's an old terminal style game. So it's mostly text characters. He's added a little bit of semi-graphics in here. He's got a little bit of fancier things too, like some multi-voice music bits. Um, which you'll hear if you're on the audio only stream, but basically you're a bunch of ladders and platforms. It almost looks like the first you know, level of Donkey Kong 
uh, where stuff's coming, bouncing around. You have to not, not get hit by it. You have to jump up and get the dollar signs, which is money, et cetera. But uh, he's got a new updated demo here where he's actually got a little bit more into the game. He's got a high score table and stuff now, too. So I'll just play. It's a minute long. I'll play the entire thing here. Some instructions on the screen. So that spinning, uh, rotating text thing, which is basically pipe symbol and, and slashes and dashes, that's your, you, and you're running up and down the ladders, which are ages. And you're trying to jump, yeah, you have a jump key as well, so you're trying to collect all the uh, gold, which is the, uh, the dollar signs there, while not getting hit by all of the black bouncy things. He's put in some pretty decent sound effects. I mean, the game is basically a text-based 32-column text screen with a tiny bit of semi-graphics in there, but uh, he's kind of hyped it up with some pretty decent little sound effects and stuff using the multi-voice music player he's got there. So, right, that looks that looks really cool, and it's 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 definitely retro because I mean, the original version of this, from I remember when we covered it last time, is older than the Coco. So it's like retro on retro. Next up, Sibling Rivalry, who will be at the fest, both Tim and AJ. Tim, of course, has been there many, many times before and is one of the main guys in charge of the Cocoa stuff in MAME. Uh, but they do their Sibling Rivalry on the My Drunk Sibling channel <clears throat> on YouTube. And they're covering another Cocoa game this uh, this round. So it's uh, ice hockey. And I don't know how many of you have played ice hockey. This is one... That was originally sold by Intellectronics, which is the same guys who did Donkey Monkey and Starfire, which is kind of a Defender-style game. But uh, after Ice Hockey came out, and I think they had a screen, a utility thing, which was doing Screen Machine or something. It was the one that did text on a high-risk graphic screen with some effects and stuff. Uh, Intellectronics went out of business not too long after Ice Hockey was released in 1983. So Computerware ended up picking it up the next year in 1984. Uh, but basically, it's the exact same game. It's just, uh, you know, the copyright was changed. So... I don't know how many here have played it. <clears throat> wow, listen to that multi-voice music. AJ, welcome to another episode of Sibling Rivalry. Thanks, Tim. And she's I even got her toque on for here. that proper Canadian, it. you know, style shinny hockey. You know what that hat makes me think of? What? Hockey. Hockey! <laughs> <laughs> so I'll fast forward a bit of gameplay here. As soon as we hit the buttons, it'll start. Uh, this is I the later version they're movie. playing, but it's the same. same I'm game. orange, but Tim likes to call it red. I think Tim might be colorblind. No, I'm. This game. Ah! 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 Yes, finally. Whew. So, for those of you who have not played this game before, uh, basically each team has two players and they're restricted to one half of the ice. Um, so, basically, you have a, like a defensive posture and a, and a forward posture. And you grab the puck and you can steal it from each other. There's a little white bar that'll show up on the top beside your score, number of goals on your side. So you can see if you actually have possession of the puck versus it's just floating around loose. You won't see a white bar there right now because it's actually not possessed by anybody. But basically you try to like shoot the puck forward while not getting checked uh, to your forward and then you'll go up and score the goal type thing. So it actually looks pretty pretty fun and challenging. Unfortunately, it requires two players, so that's one necessary thing. I'm hoping this will be one of the ones that you actually have at the fest because it'd be fun to play against somebody. Um, one interesting thing in it that I'd completely forgotten about because I did play this a fair bit when I was young because it was like the only hockey game the Coco had, as far as I know, 
is the halftime show. And he and you go the wrong way, oh, which actually brings out a zamboni to clean the ice. Oh, and the zamboni comes out. Halftime for a drink. <laughs> this is the perfect sibling rivalry game. <laughs> yeah, pause for a drink right in the middle of the game there because of the halftime. Now, I will point out for any of the hockey purists out there and the Canadians in the crowd who probably know all this stuff uh, that you don't measure um, hockey in half times. You do it in three periods of 20 minutes each. So <clears throat> that's a little off, but I'll, I'll forgive them that. Anyway, they usually have their <clears throat> tomfoolery and an actual sibling rivalry going on. But uh, Tim quite liked the game. He he really enjoyed it. So, And uh, AJ got better as as time went on. Uh, next up, Chronologically Gaming, and I will mention that the host of Chronologically Gaming, which is Jeff Wires, will be our interview okay. guest, not next week, but the week after, April the 1st. Uh, so we'll be going through, I guess, his background in computers um, and, and in video gaming in general, and then we'll kind of get into maybe you know how what the purpose of this channel is and what he's trying to accomplish, why he decided to do this, because that's a hell of a project I've been helping him do some of the research just on the Cocoa side, and that's taken a lot of my time. And he's doing this for every platform, every home computer, every handheld electronic game, every arcade game, every uh, home video game system. So that's a lot to tackle. And he does it five times a week. So there's been a couple Cocoa games. I won't play the the video parts here. Uh, you can check them out. But uh, a couple of episodes this week covered some Cocoa stuff. So the first one here is Laser Command and Loth Lothar's Labyrinth, which are both early spectral games from 1981 both in basic um so basically the uh, lothar's labyrinth is kind of i'm trying to remember the name of the game uh, the one on paper where you have a whole bunch of jumbled up letters and then you have to find words and you circle them. what is that called it's not crossword it's called something else word search word search, word search. thank you <clears throat> so basically it's it's a version of that and it actually had the option of printing out to the printer so if you wanted to put it out physically on a printer you could do that too and actually came with four different programs, which basically the same program with different word lists with different themes. So the default one was computer terms. And it had a lot of like, you know, this is 81. So this is when the hobbyists ruled. So you had a lot of like machine language terms and stuff. I'm imagining that a lot of younger people now would not have a clue what words to look for. Because uh, you're look, you know, talking about a semi-language monomics and stuff. Um, and then the other one, laser attack, is kind of a uh, a basic version of missile command, sort of. I'll play a little bit of that just because that's probably one you know so, almost nobody's seen. So on seen. the word play search, laser yeah. attack. Would you? Or means you're gonna have to clean the ink off the screen afterwards. Well, no, you'd print it on the paper for that. <laughs> but there is oh. a way to actually highlight the words on on the keyboard, so you can still you can play it on the computer, or you can tell it to print it out to paper on a printer and, and actually do it that way. Oh, okay. which is kind of uh, nice. I could think using a sharpie on the screen, you'd have to clean. Well, don't, that's silly. Well, use a fine, dry you just white marker. out your mistakes mark on the screen, and then you're okay. Eh, just use a dry erase marker; you'll be fine. So here you can see the the laser tag, which is the miss command game, and basically to make it a little bit faster. Now I will mention, obviously, he's Jeff's not a person that you know grew up with the cocoa, so he doesn't know about things like speed up pokes. Um, and a lot of games, especially this early on, like we knew about the speed up poke around. 1981 early 81 we knew about it but we also knew that not every coco could handle it and it was a big there was discussions in color computer news bite and uh, rainbow as to why certain machines worked and others didn't so people were swapping out one megahertz parts for two megahertz parts sometimes that worked sometimes it didn't i think it eventually got figured out that you had to replace some caps or something i can't remember what the exact thing was but basically 
even Radio Shack knew that everybody was using this, so they started making sure that the later machines all ran with it fine. But they couldn't do that this early on because it would literally freeze your machine up. And you know that's not a good user experience. You buy a game, you run it, and it immediately freezes, and then you have to know how to go in to edit it to fix it. So all of the stuff that he's been doing in the basic here is basically running at regular speed. So the game is running slower than it should. But just to make it a little bit faster, Spectral programmed this to you know shoot straight down, not at angles, and you move the little circle thing around. But you can see how slow it's running here. A missile command clone, but it's not giving you the same freedom or smoothness of missile command. So as I move around, I I'm getting like if to me it feels like a lag, but it's the 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 way it's drawing the cursor that I need to move, uh, move the reticle around. It, it's it's giving a pause or delay. Oh, and it already blew up a city for us. So eventually, when I get the cursor to the right, as he mentions, though, I mean, he, this this game is a bit of a disappointment for me. I mean, it's in basic, so I can give it a little bit of you know leeway, I guess. But he'd already played Polaris, and Polaris is actually one of the best missile command clones on any eight bit system, to be honest. That's where our analog joysticks really shone. So obviously, this is not one he was super keen. I won't bother showing Lothar's Labyrinth because he's he's. He just did a very brief showing of how, what the game looks like. He didn't actually go to play it. Um, if you're into that type of uh, word search type game, though, it's actually pretty decent. I actually played it on when I was doing the web page entry for it. And it's it's actually pretty good. It actually you know has a pretty decent way of highlighting the words, et cetera, um, and the scoring, et cetera. And you can, you can cut off the word generation. So if you don't want to wait for it to put in 50 words, you can tell it, you know, I only want 10. So it'll, it'll generate faster, and then it's much harder to find them, obviously. So if you're into that type of game, it's actually not bad. And then uh, another episode he went through, and he did uh, Mars, which is just a, a text adventure game from Aardvark. I won't bother really covering that one, uh, playing it, because it's just a standard text adventure game. And then another one he just did on Friday, actually covered Nuclear Submarine Adventure, which is also from Aardvark. Now, this one, unfortunately, he didn't play it far enough to get some of the audio effects and give it a pretty low rating. I would give it a little bit of a higher rating myself personally. I mean, it's still a basic text adventure game. But this is one where you actually use play commands in the background to do sound effects on the submarines. So you can hear like the pinging of the radar and stuff. And if you're in the engine room, you hear the engines going. And the way he did it is that he plays <clears throat> a string, like a play string, doing whatever sound effect he wanted for the room. And they check for a key press. And then if he didn't press anything, then we'd play the thing again. So you get this constant basically constant sound of whatever room you're in that has sound effects in it. And as soon as you hit a key, then you start typing in like you do a normal text adventure. So it kind of almost makes it like fake multitasking where, you know, the engine sound is going on until you start typing and then it stops it and you, and you go in. And I thought that was pretty innovative. For 1981 on a Coco to have an adventure game, text adventure game with actual sound effects, which honestly, given the play commands limitations of single voice, et cetera, he did pretty good. The sound effects sound like what they're supposed to. It does sound like an engine. It does sound like the radar pinging, et cetera. And it's actually a fun adventure game because you're trying to you know, basically fix a nuclear sub or blows up and kills everybody. And I remember playing this back in the day, and I was pretty impressed for 1981. Now, you'll see the copyright on the little sample screen he's got. It says 1980. Um, that's because Aardvark made for multiple systems. Now, at this time, I think they were doing the Tier City Model 1 and 3 the Coco they just started, and they might have been doing the OSI machines too, and they eventually expanded to Vic Twenty C sixty four and a Spectrum and all kinds of other stuff. Um, but this was very early on, and the original version of this game I think was on the Model One and Three, 
And I don't believe that one had sound effects. So that was a bit of an improvement on the on the Coco version. Like I said, I won't bother playing it because he didn't really have the volume cranked up, so you could hear it too well, though he did mention it. Now, this is a bit of a surprise because this is I just saw this this morning. Um, but basically, uh, in Yufudo, the Japanese mega multi-crafts platform, people that bring out like a game for like 60 plus platforms at this point, has released a brand new one called Cracky. And um, they started releasing these on March the 12th for a couple of systems like the MSX and stuff you'll see here. But as of this morning, now maybe, maybe it's changed as, as the show's gone on. I haven't had a chance to check here. But the only one in the Coco family that's been released so far is the MC-10. So as it stands right now, it's an MC-10 exclusive. The Coco 1 and 2 version is not out. The Coco 3 version is not out. Um, but it's basically another one of these you know cross-platform. They've already got 20 or 30 platforms up in here that you can scroll through and see. You can see some other ones that use VDG style chips too. And the MC10 one is down over here, requiring 16K. I've got a separate window with the actual video queued up. So I'll just click over there and I'll play this one entirely because it's less than a minute. And you see some shapes you probably recognize from some of their other games. And for those that don't know, the uh, MC10 high-res graphics he's using here are basically the equivalent of P-Mode 1 on a Coco 2 or 3. And basically, you're running around collecting stars for the audio listeners here, but you've got solid floors, and you've also got floors that decay as you walk over them. And eventually, you can't get to certain places because the floor is completely gone, so you kind of have to figure out what order you're collecting the stars in. And you've got this little red guy chasing after you. And then as the game gets more progressive and different levels here, you'll start getting like more uh, monsters coming after you, more complicated floor and ladder setups, etc. cetera. Uh, looks like a fun game. I mean, it's it's it looks at first glance kind of like a load runner, but it's quite a different mechanic, I guess. Uh, you don't actively dig these holes. They just decay as you walk over. It's more like Manic Miner, Jet Set Willy, that kind of style, as far as that goes. I'm I'm really cool or interested to see what he's going to look like when he brings out the Coco 3 version, which I'm assuming because he's cranked out 20 some odd you know, ports of it already in the span of like five days that uh, it shouldn't be too long with the Coco 1 and 2 and 3 versions. In fact, if they're out by next week, I'll, I'll show them on the show then. But if you have an MC10 or the MC10 emulator or the online MC10 emulator, you don't have to wait. You can play it right now. And the download is on the, the link on the page previous to this. And it's also be in the show notes that you can get on the Coco Discord. And the last one for the game on news here, this is a channel on Ret uh, called RetroCore that's on YouTube. And basically, they're doing another of these Battle of the Ports type things. And the game they picked was Mooncrest Up. And they're doing official licensed versions. Now, for those of us in North America, and I assume Australia, Nick, I don't think you guys saw it either. This was one that was in the UK market, and it was marketed both for the Dragon 32, 64, and the Coco 1 and 2 from Tandy. Um, so this is an official licensed arcade one that we did not see in North America, which they should have. It's actually a pretty decent one. Now, unfortunately, I, I saw the fact that, you know, the Dragon's List, I thought, cool. They get to compare it with like an Amstrad and the Spectrum and all these other things. The version of the game this guy had doesn't work. It, it, it loads in the title screen and a little bit distorted at the bottom, I believe. And then it promptly crashes. So 
I've actually sent a message to Karen because I did try playing it with a live online expert from the Color Computer Archive. The disk version did not work. It would fire up and run, but unfortunately, the keys don't work properly. I don't know if maybe the disk image is still running in the Dragon version, so the keys aren't mapping. But the cassette version did work, but it's trying to do artifacting coloring, and Mooncrest was not designed for artifacting coloring. It's designed for pure black and white PMOJ4. So I know there's some options you can do on the web URL to force it to be you know, different modes and stuff that don't you can't do up from the GUI front end on it. So hopefully if there's an option to force it to non-artifacting, I'm going to send that guy that runs this uh, page here so maybe he can like, redo the video portion for the dragon and show them what it actually looks like playing. Um, but I can actually show you at least what the intro screen looks like. We've covered it before. So that's the, the loading screen of tape. The release in 1986 was for the Dragon 32. Sadly, my copy doesn't work. And you see there, it just goes nuts and crashes. So huh, we'll see if we can get him running a proper one here. And that's it for the game on news. So, Mark, did you want a break before we get into the main news, which is a bit longer than that? Um, okay. Everybody get your pillows out. Yep, here we go. Hi, I'm Terry Stegge from Retro Tech Time and the Tandy Shack, and you're watching The Coco Nation, the world's first live and interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and its hardware cousins. From the makers of the Switcheroo. Wallaby Cable, Color Computer 3 Dual RGB Cable. Get yours today at cocoman.biz. In 1988, a scandal rocked the color computer community.
Okay, we back. <clears throat> okay, on to the regular news. And the first one, I'll I'll start playing the video in the background, but since the person that created it is actually on the panel, he can explain what the video is about, and I don't have to say anything. So, Mr. Bob Emery, take it away. What is this hey, video? that's me. Yeah, so uh, I had uh, just recently acquired a, my very first GoTech, which I promptly proceeded to burn out by shorting it out on my desk. So I got a second GoTech. <laughs> That one burned down, fell over, and then sank into the swamp. No, um, but I just I didn't have really a, a convenient way to use it, and I wanted to hook a floppy up to it so I could you know copy a virtual disk to a real disk to use in my Coco Three P with its floppy drive. So I just uh, you know found what I had laying around that would do the job. This this phenolic stuff I have, I probably have about a probably a kilometer of it. It's all two inch long sheets, about two inches by probably four feet long. Cut a few strips off and made some sides, put some feet on it. And it's a... Oh, looks good. Just yeah, a pretty it does. convenient little, you know, drive bay. I didn't want to use a five and a quarter inch drive bay for a GoTech. <laughs> Now, unfortunately, this will be a bit too thick to fit in that uh, one case you have where you put that third hide drive, right? Yeah. Well, now these are these are regular uh, PC floppy height. Yeah, that looks nice, and that's actually you. You showed it to us uh, live from your desk too, so. Mm -hmm. So at this point, I still had a problem where anytime I accessed the GoTech, the floppy would stop uh, responding. I'd start getting I.O. errors. And uh, I went to the Flash Floppy wiki page and was just looking for a solution to that and actually found another thread where somebody was having a similar problem and I tried updating the firmware which probably could have figured that out on my own but anyway that worked so just a firmware update was required basically yes with the particular GoTech i had which is one of the newer ones updated ones with the 435 uh chip in it as opposed to the 415 chip apparently there was a, a very specific uh firmware bug with one particular model of GoTech where it was uh not releasing the the data read line for some reason. That's where I was trying to demonstrate fog, and my joystick was bouncing up and down like crazy. <laughs> yeah, we have that with nature sound a bit too sometimes. But basically, the point of this was showing that it was actually reading and writing to the disk because going into the save uh, to the setup. It actually does write stuff to the disk, you know, to save my changes. Like the yeah, and the, and the video quality here is a bit better than we got just you aiming a camera at the screen here. So some people want to see what color fog looks like. This actually might be recommended better than the live this, demo we did earlier. This actually is just another camera aiming at my screen, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I've, I've just got the 
an HDMI capture device the other day, and that actually does uh, work. Oh, cool. So you get some really high quality videos in the near future. And and this particular shot is, uh, I was using, I think I was using the RGB to HDMI, but I switched to the, instead of using the HDMI input on my monitor, I switched to a HDMI to VGA cable just to see if it worked. And that's when it starts looking all wavy on here. When I was using the HDMI cable directly, it looked a lot better than this even. Okay. But what I did for this one was just spend a little more time setting the camera up, you know, carefully. Yeah, getting a nice, you know, even yeah. angle and stuff. So, yeah, I would highly recommend people go check it out. So your uh, YouTube page is called Lococo Strangiato. Mm -hmm. And uh, you only have 16 subscribers. I think you need to get uh, some more subscribers here, guys. Come on. <laughs> it's uh, This particular video is kind of taken off. This is my first video that's had over 100 views, so. Cool. Well, I say that at least uh, Coco related. Yeah. Yeah, we're still a bit of a niche market. So we're not, not going to get the millions of views, I don't think. Yeah, right. Not yet, anyway. You have to do something pretty stupid to go viral. <laughs> don't rule me out. <laughs> I don't know. If you work on that full tower case there, you might fool some people thinking it's a PC and they'll you know, get millions of views. <laughs> right. right. Get an Amiga and pick a fight. <laughs> I'll build my tower case and I'll send it to Adrian Black to disassemble. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so everybody, could you go check out uh, both the video itself if you want a good demonstration of, of color fog with a nice clean screen, um, and also just as you know, creating the GoTech uh, you know case there, and also just subscribe to his channel there because he does a lot of Coco related stuff here. He's been coming a lot of you know his old repacks and things here, so. That's the reason we found him on on the channel, and actually that he's on the show was thanks to his videos. So definitely go uh, subscribe if you're, especially if you're a hardware guy. Then I would definitely subscribe to his channel. He's got a lot of cool stuff happening. A lot of stuff lately. I'm mainly focusing on getting caught up on the the video output side of things to modern displays, but also like controllers. Um, I don't know if y'all can see this. I got the. Uh, oh, I got to stop sharing if you're showing something here. Just a sec. Oh. You want to highlight it, Mark? Yeah, if he talks, he'll highlight. All right. So, yeah, another thing I've been working on recently is like this little uh, Adafruit Joy Bonnet, which is a standard joystick controller. And I'm seeing if I can make it work with the color computer. And it turns out I can. So another joystick controller option. I'm actually surprised it has full range 0 to 63, both directions. And I'm going to make it so that it can be flipped over and used in either orientation with a switch. So left or right-handed people? Yeah, and, a, and there'll be a switch. You just push it up for the correct orientation on the joystick. And the buttons, will you'll have a one-two on either direction. That looks like it'll be a fun little... I need to find a box to put it in. Cool. So it probably demonstrates some Nick Randy's games with that? Heck yeah. There, didn't even have to pay him, Nick. I'll probably try Neutroid with it because it's one of the it's a short throw joystick, which it's almost as good as a digital. Cool. Anyway, definitely go check out his channel. I would subscribe to it. Uh, I subscribe to it. And I'm not even a hardware guy, so 
Well, just to, just to update, I see I see he you know the Coco Nation effect. He's up to seventeen subscribers now. Woohoo! <laughs> Pretty soon he'll make tens of five cents. Right, right. percentages like a rocket on for every nickel I hit. <laughs> That's one of my favorite Dale Lear quotes ever. <laughs> Okay. Okay, so next up, I won't bother playing the video here because he's just kind of floating ideas around basically. But Tier City uh, Computer Programming is now starting another project. At the meantime, he's still doing his other two games uh, that he's been learning how to use P-Copy and some other techniques to speed up and smooth up the graphics. And what he wants to do here is he was a big fan of playing Ultima-style games back in the day. And this is, I think, after he got out of this Coco 2 and, and into Friends playing on Apples, etc. And he was just doing some you know, mock-up graphics like Mountains and stuff here. And kind of basically the most of the uh, the clip is basically him floating ideas of how he's planning on doing things and what, what he wants to accomplish it. But basically an Ultima style game written in basic for the Coco. Um, we've obviously had some Ultima style games. We've had two for the Coco 2 that I'm aware of. Uh, Gates Delirium by Diecom and Paladin's Legacy from Sundog, uh, which are quite extensive ones. And there's some other ones that are like similar, but not quite like Talon Guard and that kind of stuff. And of course, the Coco 3 had a really good one called The Seventh Link, which takes three 40-track discs and uses Coco 3 graphics and even has some digitized sound effects and stuff too. Uh, and these are games that take months to to solve. So if you're into those types of games, uh, you maybe want to follow his channel here and you know maybe give us some suggestions or something on, on the game that he's going to be planning on doing in basic here. I think you could do a fairly decent one. Um, how big it'll be, how fast it'll be, will probably be the main issue. Um, it depends on how he sets up the, the screen. Next up, we have uh, Richard Kelly here. I didn't actually type this in. I don't know if anybody else did because uh, he didn't put up a disk image of it. But he called it the one-liner bouncing dot demo version two. And his quote here is, yes, it's bigger than the original, but it's faster. I read the code of multiplication and he yanks and sticks in data from two arrays instead. But you get a demo that seems to run too fast when you enable the high speed poke, which we were just talking about. This code can run in P mode zero with minor changes. Edit made the program smaller and slightly faster so this is like the old rainbow one-liner contest and i know there's a one-liner contest going on right now for multiple platforms including the coco and the dragon and the mc10 so this is his little graphic demo that's a one-liner as i said i didn't get a chance to try it out he actually in the comments says he, he put up a screenshot of a bouncing dot but as he points out that's not much to see it'd have to be an actual video i think to get proper effect otherwise there's a black screen with a white dot on it but if any of you guys did get a chance to try it i wouldn't mind seeing it actually run and then he posted up. Oh, did it load that twice? What did I do that for? Okay, next up we have uh, Fred Salerno. I'm not hopefully I'm pronouncing the name right. Uh, he posted this in the Coco Group on Facebook, and it's a link to a YouTube video that was put up uh, from Epcot Educational Media, which is owned by Disney. And it's called "Living with Computers," which is and this this video is from the early 1980s, and it's kind of a bit of a comical intro to getting used to having a home computer around. And you have this old janitor guy that's pretending to teach a class. And uh, it has a couple of different uh, microcomputers from the time period, the early 80s. 
the Coco is actually fairly prominently featured. It's the one in the classroom that he sees, and then he goes and wanders off and sees like Ataris and stuff too. I'll play a little clip of it. It's over 10 minutes, um, just so you can kind of get a feel for it. Uh, but you can go check it out if you want something historical. What's that? I wonder if he's meant to be like a bit of a Mario character too. I was going to say Red Green, but Red Green didn't exist yet. So Yeah, but maybe it's a guy from Downland. It could be. It's just a guy, suspenders, a cap, a beard. It depends on when in the 80s it came out. Because, I mean, Donkey Kong itself came out in, what, 81, 82? Yeah, well, you said it was early 80s, this video. So Donkey Kong would have been a a big hit back then. Could be. That that makes sense. Copyright infringement. What? There's a cocoa. What is that contraption? Dag Nabbit. This is like my parents when I first got a computer. (laughs) What is it? You want to hook what to the TV? I know, a TV. Burt TV. Typewriter TV. He's probably my age. I wonder (laughs) what it is. Ask any kid, they'll tell you. Oh, will you people be quiet, please? I'm... Oh, uh, how how did how did you get in here? Oh, I just drifted in. My name's Amy. Oh, uh, I'm Elmer. And, and no, nope, it's not kid, Luigi so, or Mario. Uh, could you tell me uh, what this thing is? Tell me what it's a computer. <laughs> a computer? Actually, a microcomputer. Mr. Henderson's class will be using it. Oh, I I thought computers were just something that fouled up my bills. <laughs> Elmer. They Computers are. themselves don't foul <laughs> yeah, exactly. They just do what they're told. Oh, they do. Some things uh, don't change. Uh, uh, <laughs> roll over. Shake hands. You talk to the computer by typing things on this keyboard. No way she's typing that fast on, on that chiclet keyboard. You what you've right. I don't know. I got <laughs> typing that fast on that chiclet keyboard back in the yeah, day. It's not bad, actually. <laughs> it sounded like you were typing fast. Unless you spilled something behind the keys, then it would just you know, press down and stay, and then you had problems. Then you'd take out those, what, 29 little screws out to take the stupid thing apart to clean it. I always thought it was interesting that we learned how to type with one hand before there was an internet. <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> yeah. out of magazines and Rick knows every single one of them little screws I think Mark, Mark Siegel I think complimenting on the typing here on the chiclet keyboard said it must have been a ham radio operator <laughs> is there any more to the video oh yeah I'm not going to play the whole thing here I mean you guys got oh, to did they show more of the cocoa or what uh, a little <laughs> bit but they also show some other ones like they, like I said they mentioned the Atari um, which Atari I can't Koala bear. Even the school kids had 80s hair. Rebecca's working on her creative writing using a program called the Word Processor. It's a neck monitor. Well, but what about Miss yeah. Hartley and, and all like the other she's not teachers. having a blast with the new well, math tutor? Long gone <laughs> is, uh, the horse and buggy. That's not true. In fact, the computer will help teachers by freeing them to do what they do best. Helping students with their work and suggesting new things for them to try. Translation: Play games. Yeah, helping out. Yeah, I was about to say. More time to spend with each kid. 
They actually go through modems and stuff too a little bit, which is kind of cool. So it's got to be a little bit later because modems were pretty expensive back in the day. Look at the size of that disk drive. Uh, yes, the Atari uh, 800 drives. And manually dialing for a modem. Maria can hook into a data bank, which is a type of electronic coupler. Yeah, Atari 800 for there. Yeah. And here's how you play Space Invaders. Yeah, that's pretty well. So anyway, uh, Elmer wanders back in the classroom and decides to fiddle with the cocoa again. So. Uh. Blue smoke. Hey, it's Luigi. <laughs> hey, this <laughs> is me. You know, for a kid, you know a lot of stuff. Well, thank you, Elmer. Oh, I, I didn't hear you come in. Well, I didn't mean we to disturb you while you're all you alone at the games. computer. What's that? We don't pay you to play games. Yeah, we're fired. <laughs> you're fired. That's what Get would happen to nowadays. Work. Anyway, it's a pretty good historical reference as to basically trying to get the com- the, the public comfortable with home computers because that was still a, a bit iffy for parents back then. I know mine weren't too keen on me. You're going to wreck the TV if you hooked that up, aren't you? I like I'm assuming some of you comment went that. that the classroom would be murder on the teacher with everybody having a different computer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, having a Coco here and a, a Qatar here and Apple II and – Ti over here type thing, yeah. Trying See, to that would have been that. fun back in the day. Imagine that, eh? Well, actually, we did do that at school, but that was us students doing that, not the teachers. We had Apple IIs, but every yeah. Friday we'd bring in our home machines. We'd all play each other's games and stuff like that. So we had app, you know, Ataris yeah, and Apple. Yeah, that would have been fun. Oh, it was. We tried to teach one the- thing on multiple computers. <laughs> <laughs> but we we ended up one night. I remember we stayed until ten o'clock at night. And we were so involved with playing all these games, we'd never played on other people's platforms that they called the cops because all of us kids were missing. We never went home for supper. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even kidding. That actually did happen. We got locked in the school actually because the janitor didn't realize we were in there, and he actually locked the doors. And they locked from the inside and the out. There's no way to unlock it. So they, after the police came, they called the janitor and unlock and let us out there. But yeah, a lot of us got in trouble. Okay, this is one that uh, I'm hopefully going to get a chance to help Darren Atkinson investigate this. So as we covered last week, there's an update to the Cocoa SDC firmware and an update to the SDC DOS, which added some features. Um, What has been discovered by multiple people, including Steve Norton, to this original post, is that Nitrous 9 Ease of Use version 1, which ran fine on the previous version, now crashes on boot, says failed. I... What's that for? I'm not sure. <laughs> it's all right. We'll work. We'll work it out after rehearsal. Missing game on in. It's a hint. You start Move talking on. about nitrous fine and <laughs> yeah, this, this yeah, that's a hint, Mark. This is what happens when the cat walks across your screen. You <laughs> <laughs> the cat is, a, is not a fan of nitrous nine. No, the Freudian the slip. The right, fan of games, the though. There's a the news. All right, cat, you get. <laughs> Ow. <clears throat> <laughs> anyway, any um i haven't had time to even install the new sdc this week so i just posted in there i said can you guys try with the 6809 version see if it's the same thing like is this crashing everything and this is where it gets weird <clears throat> and rick you and you you have some theories on this we can get into in a second here but most people the 6809 version still works but not all brian Schubring and one other person both said no it's crashing on the 6809 version too 
So this is kind of pointing to maybe a subtle timing difference. Now, we all know gimmies and stuff have had some differences, but you've experienced this with your network card, Rick. So if you want to kind of maybe go into a bit what you think the theory is. Well, right in testing every possible version of nitrous versus every possible version of my cards, I have a 86 Gimme Coco 3 that will run 6809 nitrous with any kind of RAM, it turns out at the end of the day, but it will only run 6309 nitrous with static RAM on the 86 Gimme. Now, if I put an 87 Gimme in the same machine, who cares? Run any RAM you want, it's fine. So there is a very subtle timing thing going on that only hits some Cocos with some hardware in some places. And I only found it because I was trying everything in the world against my specific firmware. And just found this blows up all the time, regardless of me or not. So it, it's it's puzzling, but now that we have so many uh, static RAM sort of upgrades now, because static RAM's cheap, it may be that people running old DRAM chips are at a disadvantage that maybe doesn't bite all the time, but sometimes does. You know, it's just a theory, but... So I'd be interested, like anybody in the panel is true, who's actually used Nitrous 96309, do any of you still have dynamic RAM, like the original Tandy or Disto upgrades, or are you all running the newer, like, triads and boomerangs and Ed Snyder boards? I don't have any dynamic RAM ones left, so I can't even try this theory. I do still have a performance peripherals board and uh, 6309 and 6809 systems. So I okay, it'd be interesting to hear if you if you give it a shot, if you're having the crash on boot failure. Um, and it goes with it, Gimme as well. It goes with Gimme chip as well. So 86, 87, 87 doesn't care. 86 is picky in my experience. Okay. Yeah, so Bob, if you get a chance to try that, I wouldn't mind hearing what your results are to see if that, that seems to be the case. I mean, the solution, other than telling people upgrade to static RAM upgrades, which is going to cost the money, is that I make it maybe a, a special version where I slow it down for those, like, if it's just a speed of talking to, you know, the SDC or whatever. Because uh, the other thing is, too, though, is that I don't, I haven't heard of any of these problems for people that are running the older firmware. So I think it's a timing change in the SDC firmware itself. That's yeah, that's it. what I'm thinking. What did he change? Well, we kind of covered that last week. He changed a fair bit. He added a few things. He was actually trying to get the uh, TFM writes to work properly, though he said he hadn't tested it yet. Uh, but this is just doing yeah. reads. I mean, basically what's done here is it's read off the floppy image uh, boot disk, which is included in the VHD, and then it's kicking over to the hard drive. And basically where it's failing there is it's when it's trying to load graph driver just before that. Um which is the first hit on the hard drive to load system modules. Everything else is loaded off the virtual floppy. And Darren, when he contacted me directly via email, he mentioned that there's a bit of a difference on its handling of a floppy image, quote-unquote, versus a hard drive image, quote-unquote, that might be causing the issue. So whatever timing change has happened seems to be a difference between the floppy and the hard drive, because the floppy part's working fine. It read the entire OS9 boot file and the kernel track to get this far. And, you know, it, it all the CRC checking is working. So basically all the modules, it read fine. It didn't distort or, you know, warp any of the bytes coming in, reading the entire OS9 kernel, the OS9 boot file. It just seems to be crashing when it's trying to hit the hard drive. So it might be something like that where, you know, I might be able to do a hack around to get around it. 
or maybe it's got to do another firmware update to 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 fix whatever the timing change was. That's what I reckon is a better fix. Yeah, because I mean, if you go back to the previous firmware, it runs perfectly fine from what I understand. Yeah. Though I'd like to get a wider range to see if Rick's right. If maybe if somebody has an 86 gimme and a dynamic RAM, maybe they're having problems right now. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. People oh, still there may be that. very few people. <laughs> so if in the chat, uh, Don Barber, if you could uh, indicate uh, which gimme chip you have, uh, that might uh, be, uh, that'll be some useful information. Okay, so Don Barber is catching up where you're talking here. So I was having issues getting Nitrous 9 running on my Tandy 512K upgrade that completely went away when I got a triad, even when I swapped for 10 nanosecond chips. So it sounds like he had problems with the dynamic RAM version, and that solved them. The... Well, Mark Siegel might be able to tell us if it was some kind of RAM refresh change between the 86 and 87 gimme that's important to us all. <laughs> yeah, but the only problem is right now, until the gimme X is fully out, we have no way to replace that you know the right. you do is try to slow it down live, well yeah, yeah. you know like you say put the ram up trade in that helps like i do know when we were developing nitrogen as a commercial product colin mckay the guy who ran an exposure who sold it on our behalf uh he actually had a cocoa that we did have to slow down some stuff for and we kind of made that the standard because everybody else's machines seemed to run some of our faster task switching stuff but his would not it would crash and his was intermittent it would sometimes work sometimes not so he might run for two minutes one day, and the next day he can't even boot type thing. And uh, once we added that delay, and it solved it. So this might be just further along that line. Now the Cocoa STC is entering the mix as uh, a possible issue Enough. when you're running full throttle. But we haven't put that. We haven't taken that uh, slowdown out. It's still in the code. I mean, if it uh, if static RAM is a solution for this, and almost everybody has it, maybe I should look at putting that speed up back in. I don't think it makes a huge difference, but. Anyway, so I guess the recommendation is right now we're going to try to narrow down as to what is happening, see if either Darren can fix it the firmware or maybe I have to do an adjustment of the driver and slow it down, which, I mean, I don't really want to. The whole point of Nitrous 9 is to run fast. <laughs> but uh, if if you are having a problem like this, if you flash the previous version of the firmware compared to the latest one that was just released a couple of weeks ago, uh, that seems to solve it too. So it... Uh, but if you have some issues, uh, please feel free to send me an email at curtisboyle at sasktel.net. Uh, if you don't remember my email, it's on my site all over the darn place. So you can just click on that and uh, give the details. What version of the gimme you have, what RAM upgrades you have, um, whether it's a 512 or a 1 meg or a 2 meg or an 8 meg. Um, if it's static versus dynamic RAM, et cetera. And uh, we'll see if we can kind of narrow down what, what machines are causing the symptoms. And is it the MCU firmware or is it the SDC DOS 1.75? Or is it if you roll back? Darren speculated it's definitely the firmware. Okay, just the MCU? Yeah, because basically SDC DOS, once you're booting Nitrous 9, it's shut off and not doing anything anyway. It, it loaded the track and basically it, after that it's running you know, the kernel boot module. It's not running SDC DOS anymore. It's talking directly to the controller. So I'm guessing firmware. I have to agree with Darren on that one. Right. So I've got a Coco 3 here with an 86 gimme and a 6309 socketed. And what kind of RAM upgrade do you have in it? Uh, this is a performance peripherals. So that's dynamic. That'd be a good one to test because if, if Rick's <laughs> suspicion's right, that will probably not work booting it up. Mm -hmm. 6309 mode. And 6809, it sounds like two people, it wouldn't work even on 6809. Everybody else said it worked fine on 6809. So it'd be interesting to hear your, your experience with that. 
And I can swap out the processor later too. If it fails, I can try it 6809. Well, from my understanding is as long as you put the 6809 version of Nitrous 9, it works fine whether you have a 6309 or 6809. But yeah, that's a good, that's another point of data to, to, check, to check for sure. Exactly. Yes, we're just running the 6809 code on the 6309 fixes everything. <laughs> well, the thing is, the 6809 code, I mean, it's not using all the TFMs and stuff to speed things up, but it's also not running in native mode. So a lot of instructions are slower. So if it's trying to talk to an IO address and it's, you know, a cycle slower than it is on a 6309 native mode, that might be the difference that's causing it. Oh, that's hey. some homework for Robert Emery. <laughs> yeah, I got to take a computer home and play with it. Oh, that's not on purpose. <laughs> I don't think this keyboard works though. Well, to boot it, why well, actually you have to type DOS on you? Well, I guess you could set up the uh, auto exec boot to try it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Keyboard. So, so okay. think, if you have a keyboard not working, um, who is it that has a solution for that? <laughs> Rick, don't you? Yeah, I thought I seen him one. And that when you just go to eBay and buy six more cocos? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if Brian Weasel hasn't snapped them all up first, yeah. <laughs> Have you tried that lately? No. <laughs> I thought that's when you went to computerconnect.com. Right? This pile here <laughs> needs to go so I can make more before the fest. <laughs> and I actually I mean, yeah, 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 but you can test it out, Bob, and just let us know what the results are with various CPUs, you know, the RAM upgrade, 69 version of Nitro Stein versus 69. I'd be curious to see if it's consistent with what Rick's speculating. And right, yeah. I just put a cartridge port back on this board too. I had to order some from China. Okay, cool. So I can plug in the SDC now. I couldn't do that before. Yeah, I'm interesting to hear because that would give us some insight as to where where to look and and you know workarounds. Anyway, on the next story, this is going to be a, a little bit of a two-part. So Carl England, who's <clears throat> done a ton of really great utilities, uh, you know, starting in the '90s. And it's kind of rejoined the active Cocoa community here recently on Facebook. And he has uploaded his utility called Crush to the archive. Crush is a compression utility for basic programs. After removing unnecessary bytes, the program lines will be packed. Program lines can now get up to 30,000 bytes in length. Um, normally, basic only lets you do up to 249 or 250 characters maximum. Um, even after you tokenize it, you can you can extend it a little bit because it'll convert a you know, the word print to a, a single byte token type thing. So you can kind of fiddle it with it and get past it. Um, but this actually eliminates that. And you can actually speed up basic programs because now they don't have line numbers to process. So if you have a lot of continuous <laughs> lines, it's drawing like P sets and lines and whatever else. That's like 50 lines of code that would, you know, normally has to, the interpreter has to go, okay, line 50 is the next one. Look for that and skip over it and, you know, whatever else. This way it would actually speed the program up because it doesn't have to process line numbers at all. It's just on to the next statement, on to the next interpreted uh, code. So Alan Huffman's a huge fan of Carl and some of his disk utilities for copying protected disks and all kinds of stuff, which we've mentioned on the show before too. Now, Carlinga did post an update to this a couple of days afterwards. He actually found a bug and he had missed it during the initial testing. So there's an updated version he uploaded to the archive. I haven't checked to see if that's active yet, but if you got the first version of it, you definitely want to go get the second one, which has the bug fix. Um. Well, that but yeah, help it, you in the single line contest. <laughs> <laughs> well, the single line contest has limits, so you have like the eighty character line contest, you know, two hundred fifty-five. But I think is there an unlimited one? Because yeah, this might be a way to sneak around and like write 
<laughs> Donkey King or something in basic. <laughs> <laughs> that might be, uh, you know, violating the spirit of the contest. <laughs> well, no hey, whatever takes to win, though. man. <laughs> Think about it. No branches. So your 30,000 bytes doesn't matter because as soon as you have to do a logical branch, you're online too. Yep. And I think Alan Huffman did this as kind of a partner piece. Because um, his, his blog posting he did the same week here is called These Lines Are Just Too Long for Color Basic. And it's basically delving into how basic string size limits its size, uh, both on entering lines itself, but for the interpreter to use, but also on input <laughs> line input statements. And he points out a bit of a flaw because you can print to say a disk file or a cassette file, uh, say a string of 200 bytes or whatever else, and then a semicolon and then another 200 bytes, which will run them together without any carriage return line feed, or rather a carriage return, I should say. So now the line, as far as the cassette file, the disk file is concerned, is 400 bytes. You can't use input or line input to read it back in. It'll actually read the whole line enough to get to where the next line would be in the text file you've saved to tape or disk but it will cut it off what you can actually access out of that string to the first 249 characters. So if you created a 400 byte, you know, output line, you're only going to get the first 249 and then it just skips past everything else. Now there's ways to get around that. I think if you use uh, random access, the D quote D quote for direct access mode, I think you can actually tell it with the get command and stuff to get like, you know, a 200 byte string twice in a row and it should be able to get it fine without the carriage return. But if you're trying to do print, which normally you would expect to be able to read back in with at least a line input, uh, that doesn't work if it goes past 250 characters. It actually will cut it off and you can't access that. So he kind of goes into the, uh, you know, basically some of the stuff from the Unraveled here is showing exactly you know, where, where these parameters are set up, the actual reserve size for the buffer, et cetera, and then demonstrates, you know, exactly if you do that type of a write and then try to read back in, it will not work properly. So... It's, it's pretty interesting. He's going to do a follow-up on it, too, I think. Uh, probably mentioning the fact that you can actually get around it a little bit if you use direct access mode, though even you know the original program was not set to be direct access. If you have a mix of lines, like this this line's 100 characters, this next line's 80, the next one's 500, well, using get, you're going to have to like reamalgamate all those strings manually again and figure out where the carriage return is on your own and stuff. So it'll become more complicated, but just it's something to be aware of. We're on a fun fact here. Um, in the ZX81, they didn't have data statements, but a line was a two-byte unsigned integer long, so 64K. Yeah. So uh, there were database programs that began with line 10, A string equals quote, quote, and you just poked all the data into A string and made the length of that line as long as it needed to be. And then when you saved the program back, all the data was saved as part of the program. The end. <laughs> That's kind of like the tricks that a lot of the games use, uh, like the basic ML hybrids, where they embedded a user subroutine, like a USR, right. into a text it's string, and then one sixty-two k line with a little two k <laughs> program at the end of it. Yeah, see, it's basic. I can enter the basic contest. Right. <laughs> Actually, there's a comment from uh, George Cuff in the chat here. He says, "I had a friend with a Coco Three that refused to play Tetris. We couldn't figure out what the issue was. We finally." Bought another machine to play yeah. it. Only oh, other one seems like it. an expensive solution. Um, anyway, I should mention here: this is a page I've not covered too often. So, 
Alan Huffman, aside from having his own blog post on his own website, actually does have a subethos software page on Facebook. And what he's been doing here this last week is he's been digging out some old photographs from some of the old Atlanta and Chicago Cocoa Fests. And in this particular case, he's got one. Uh, obviously, if you're listening, you won't be able to see the pictures. You have to go check that out on the video. But he's got, you know, this one top one here is Adventure Survivors. Really great folks. I remember meeting them at the Cocoa Fest in Chicago. They actually sold a newsletter on solutions for adventure games so that if you get stuck, you could actually figure out how to get past. You could actually send in questions to ask somebody else. Like, I'm stuck on Sands of Egypt. How do I get past the snake or whatever? Um, so that was cool. And Lee, he asked, then this one, is this, this is Lee Veal, isn't it? Owner of Coco Serial Number One. Yes, that is Lee Veal. I recognize him quite, quite well. We got to be good friends at Coco Best multiple years in a row. And he actually owns the uh, D board uh, Coco One, Serial Number One. And uh, last I heard, Lee had moved to Mexico in the early 2000s, I think. I don't know if he's still living there or if he's moved back to the States or where he is these days but yeah we'll get to be good friends there was a whole texas contingent where he's originally from i actually he bought the serial number one at the tandy big you know sell-off when they shut down the company basically and this one is just labeled frank and this is frank swaggart of uh world of six to eight micros fan and we were mentioning earlier, Bob uh, Emery there, about uh, Frank having that wooden cocoa portable with the batteries from a motorcycle or whatever. That's the guy. <laughs> needs to be set up right outside. He'd be When you were entering in the hall for the actual exhibits at Cocoa Fest, he used to have this machine out on the entranceway on the outside. You actually would you know, talk to him as you're going in and get badges and whatever else. So, and you got to see it running in his nice wooden case. Thanks. And there's Alan himself, all, all ready for uh, keeping the theme of Subethos Software, which, of course, is from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So, of course, he's got his house coat on, ready to go. I don't know where his towel is at the moment. might be behind him there. That's a young Alan. What was that, Nick? It's a young Alan. Yeah, yeah, it is. I think these particular set of photos we've just gone through, I think, are from the Atlanta Cocoa Fest, which is one of the shows I unfortunately never was able to make it to. So. And uh, this one, it's Photo Enhancement, 1994 Atlanta Cocoa Fest. Who is this? I'm pretty sure this is Ken Scales. He was a Canadian. I think he was Canadian. But he did, I'm trying to remember, he did some like driver stuff for OS9 back in the day. Or some hardware stuff, I can't remember. I'd have to dig out some of my old uh, newsletters and stuff there from that time period. Or 68 Micros, because I think he wrote some stuff there. But I'm pretty sure that's him. Not 100% positive. And then some other stuff that has nothing to do with anything. But yeah, it's pretty cool seeing some of the old photos from the old Atlanta Cocoa Fest. Next up, we have Jim Mullison. This is a discussion topic for us here. So his question, um, which he posted to the group, and he's had almost 50 comments on it so far. Can the downfall of the Cocoa line be directly linked to its lack of quantity and quality of its video games when compared to other home computers? Well, we did a little brief discussion in the pre-show here, just amongst some of the panelists that were around at the time that the question probably is not quite right. But I was thinking maybe we can just go around Robin, around the table here, and anybody in chat wants to pipe in on this, they can too. Because I think it's a pretty interesting thing. First of all, I don't think the Cocoa really failed. We were one of the longest-running 8-bit machines. Well, that's what I was wondering. He's got the the comment, the downfall of the Cocoa. 
Well, yeah, the Coco outlasted a lot of uh, other computers. Almost all 8-bit machines. I mean, the C64, yeah, so I guess, technically lasted a year or two longer because it started a bit later. But, yeah. Yeah, I don't think it was a failure. I mean, they sold, you know, three to four million of them at least as, as they went through. Um, so I guess round robin here, um, Mark, are you handy? Mm-hmm. If you want to just kind of like just go around because I can't see the screen with uh, what order everybody's on the panel here, but maybe just have their comment and just okay. go through everybody and see what they think. Let's see. First up, uh, Marco. Um, yeah, I don't think so. I think in a lot of ways, the uh, business computers kind of took over IBM and stuff. But for home stuff, I mean, you know, the the 6809 is really much more able processor than most of the other 8 bits. And so in a lot of ways, I think it lasted longer just because of that. Okay. okay. So second is you, Curtis. Huh. Okay. Um, <laughs> Where do we start? Basically, what Mark said is, is true. I, I think one thing about the Coco that's kind of a, not unique, but a bit more unique to it than, say, a C64 or Atari 400 and stuff is because of the 6809 and, and somewhat OS 92 later on, but just the 6809 on its own is that this became much more of a hobbyist computer than a game computer. It could do decent games if you knew what you were doing, and the CPU was definitely powerful. If you learned stuff like stack blasting, you could make up somewhat for not having a sprite chip or whatever. Uh, but it became a hobbyist computer more so. There was a lot more hardware hacking, a lot more programming, et cetera, done on it than I think in general for the other machines, proportional. I mean, obviously, there's great programmers on the C64, great programmers on TIs and Atoms and everything else. Um, both in game playing and in other things. But I think proportionally, we produced more IT people and more programmers uh, than and most of the other 8-bit platforms, I think because of the 6809. So I would not count it a failure. I would count it as... Or well, maybe the well, basic rather than the 6809. Yeah, the, our basic was also by, you know, pretty far ahead of most others too. There's a few I've seen like the, which is the one, is it the BBC Micro that has the structured basic that actually yeah, is the BBC. really advanced? That's more, that's better than ours. It's a, it's like a basic 09 style one, which of course we have that too. So I guess it's maybe not better than ours. Um, but yeah, I, I, I view it as, a, we were a bit of a different market. We weren't strictly a game market. Um Games were part of it. It was nice to have that as an option to do something if you wanted to take a break. <laughs> but basically, we had a lot more people doing the hardcore stuff, I think, hardware and software, than some of the other machines. So I don't really view it as failure. Plus the fact that, I mean, the Coco was sold from 80 to 91, which for the 8-bit era, uh, there's not too many other lines that lasted long. The Apple II did. The C64 beat it by a couple years because it started at 82. And I think they quit selling in 94. Um, but most of the others did not last this long. The um, Apple II was driven by the school market because they were still making the Apple IIe Platinum clear up to 93. Yeah, because. and to be honest, I'm not counting anything that transitioned to a 16-bit either. Like, uh, yeah. you, you, I mean, some people might count the Amiga as a successor to the VIC-20, which was a successor to the PET and the 664 is in the middle. That's kind of a break between platforms for me. That's like the PET is not the VIC-20 or the C64. And the C64 to the Amiga is a, a completely different machine too. It'd be like going from... It's the, an Atari. Yeah, basically, if you want to go Tandy-wise, it's like jumping from a, a Coco to a Tandy 4000 or something. I mean, it's 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 not even the same. It's not a continuation. It's a, a new break of a new thing. So I I don't quite agree with the, uh, the whole premise of the question, I guess, basically. One, it didn't really fail. It, it didn't do the best. It wasn't the best selling out of everything, obviously, but it wasn't the worst either. And it did last longer than almost all the other contenders, with you know, a couple of exceptions, so... 
Well, it depends on the mark, the market really. Um, the home market was more largely driven by games, so it's really a case of which computer was better for games. And the Commodore 64 was the big one with the colour, the sound effects. So it's going to win that war over the Coco. But if you yeah, talk, just, okay, just which one is a more more of a real computer? Which one is it that's more has an, an operating system? Yeah, well, you're not going to get that on the Commodore 64, are you? The Coco probably had it with OS 9 and the 6809, the better basic. So pro, the programming types are going to go more for a Coco, say. But we can't forget that the reason why the Coco did also last a long time was because of Tandy. Tandy were the sole, well, they were the designers, the creators, the sole distributors, and they didn't give up on it as quickly as some of the other 8-bit computers like the the TI, you know, the TI, oh, gee, we're, we're not doing well, that's it, can the TI, and they, they got out of the market. Tandy did keep on going. They gave it the, the, the retail outlet that kept it alive. So as much as you hate Tandy, they did do some things right. Yeah, I'd agree with that. All right, uh, Sloopy, you back? Oh, a deafening okay. silence says no. <laughs> um, all right, uh, Bob. So, yeah, I think uh, um, kind of what Nick was touching on, just the fact that uh, it didn't have all the dedicated, you know, special graphics and hardware. It made it more of a programmer's machine. And uh, we kind of started touching on that in the, in the pre-chat. But basically that's, I attribute, everything I've accomplished without, you know, a degree or anything to the fact that I taught myself how to program on a color computer. And then uh, I had a job in the aviation industry where they had a totally abandoned database and I was able to just step in and like turn it into something useful. Then they appreciated that and made me a stockroom manager. So things just kind of blossomed from there, even though it was a kind of a shitty company to work for. I got I got my money's worth out of them. Okay, and it's um, the Coco, knowing how to program. Rick, you're up next. You muted, Rick. Oh, let me unmute myself. Okay, <laughs> I'm gonna go with the. Uh, what are you gonna spend your money on? You know, I mean, Tandy spent bought all of the Microsoft Basic, and then they got OS nine licensed and all of these other things um commodore had you know a game machine with a keyboard <laughs> and a bunch of peaks and pokes what are you gonna you know so yeah they we could have added a do you spend your money on sound chips and and blitters and things or do you spend your money on software and computers and coco spent its money on the computer so when there was no longer a market for home computers in other words, you had to have whatever the school was teaching you, then the cocoa was done. That's just yeah, its market was over. There wasn't well, Com Commodore did spend money on the computers. I mean, they they bought Mostec, uh, a chip manufacturer, and that's where they but, made the they made the video chips, the sound but chips. They, but they, they didn't spend, want to spend any on the language. Right, exactly. The basic, they had, pet, yeah, they had yeah. pet basic, which they had a sweet license on pet basic. They could 
Well, even Tandy hit that dilemma, too, because Microsoft refused to upgrade the basic for the Cobra 3. And then Mike right. had to come into his whole whack-a-mole patch mm-hmm. system to, right. to patch it up to get around that. So, At least Tandy did pay for that. Yeah. Whereas Co- yeah, they did Commodore they didn't want to pay. I like Rick's reference that the C64 was basically a game machine, which it was a great sound chip, great sprite chip, bolted on with a keyboard. That's pretty accurate, I think. And for that, it was great. It was one one of the best eight bits ever for doing that. That's why it sold seventeen, eighteen million people or uh, computers. Until they made the game machine that was a Commodore sixty four without a keyboard, but the pack in game said press and it filed. Okay, was, uh, uh, Ron, you're up next. Well, you can, you can okay. still buy a C64 today, really. I was sort used, of. I used uh, um, for productivity stuff like uh, Telewriter. I used uh, a package from Elite Software. Um, I used uh, Deskmate. I was. I'm very happy with Deskmate, and I used, um, you know, Coco Max, and I used it in my business, and I was able to, with the digitizer, I did, you know, I uh, digitized people's building fronts with a digital camera, you know, and with the, with, um, the old-fashioned camera, I should say, and uh, VCR, <clears throat> and I was able to... Um, take the storefront and then put signs on it and uh you know i'd give the uh customer an idea what the uh, you know crude (laughs) way of showing the sign on the building and i could also draw sketches of the signs that i was doing and um put dimensions on it in some cases show 3d letters and how i used to put uh silicone on the back of the letters and how they'd stick and do all that stuff on the Coco. Anyway, <clears throat> some of the customers, you know, back in the 80s were kind of um, struck by how, you know, I started using the computer in daily work, you know. And so when I'd show them a sketch that was printed on the printer from the computer, you know, it was early days, so it was impressive. You know, now it's, I'm sure it's, you know, old-fashioned and ugly, but Back then, it was something. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, I was online. Uh, and so I, I did everything with the color computer, except I didn't program. And I had games, but the games were a small part. And um, I think the some of the funnest times I had with my computer was going to uh, shows at the mall, showing off the computer, and then... Um, going to uh, meetings every month with other Cocoa people, maybe 80 of them. 
and uh, copying games, <laughs> copying programs, you know, sharing hints and tips, you know. Um, I did very little upgrading as far as, uh, you know, that's some of the things we went to the user group for. The, the club was, uh, if you wanted to upgrade your memory, um, there was always a guru there who would, would do it. So, I don't know, I, I graduated to IBM, you know, PCs, and I used to build PCs. And, and I used CorelDRAW later, which was a glorified version of what I was using on the Coco, basically. And, um, you know, I still make my sketches on the PC. And, you know, I, I guess if um, I didn't really have a whole lot of experience with the, the Tandy 1000 line, and because then it was, uh, I was able to get cheap, you know, IBM PC stuff. And um, I guess I went that route instead of staying with Handy. But I always had a color computer in my house, always on, all this time, from the very beginning when I started in 83. And you're a bit unique there, Ron. I mean, we, we've been talking about, like, the game players and then the, the programmers. And your person actually used it more for business. Yeah. And and for hobby type stuff, like you did a lot of your astronomy stuff that you've mentioned on, on yeah, some I, of the cocoa stuff, your ham radio stuff, and, and WeFax. and yeah, I printed out um, my invoices on the on the computer, you know, and and um, <laughs> if I ran out of ink, I had three part uh, um, paper that would um, the first sheet, you know, wouldn't print because I didn't have ink, but the other two sheets would. <laughs> so yes, yeah, so you just hammer on with a. Yeah. Yeah, you'd print the carbon version. Yeah, it was it was like cheating, but it worked. Yeah, so you're you're a bit more unique than most because you you kind of cover the hobbyist side, but from a non-programming perspective, non-hardware designer side, you use it as a business tool. Right. Yep. Ironically enough, absolutely did. Yep, I have hundreds, maybe I guess you'd say thousands of discs, you know, which are all full of invoices and sketches and and ideas and you know. Then I'd say 90% of them still work and I can still look at them. But, you know, with that big a volume, they're, they're business oriented, so they're not worth really um, messing with. So eventually what I've been doing is uh, formatting the ones I can format and keep them. And then now uh, the rest are, you know, there for every once in a while I go look, you know. It's interesting to, yeah. to go back in time and see what you were doing back then and, some of the prices I had for uh, some of the signs I was doing, I was like giving it away, it seemed, because yeah. now things are so expensive. If you uh, sell somebody a four by eight plywood sign, it's nearly uh, $500. Back then, you know, maybe 180 or something, you know, quite a bit of difference. But you're giving yeah. them the same product. It's just that, it, you know, the way it's done now is completely different. Instead of uh, coating the board and then lettering it, now it's uh, you buy the board coded and then you uh, print letters out and stick them on. Or in some cases, you do a whole sheet with all the lettering done on. Like uh, yeah, right. I, like I, I do remember talking to some of the the vendors at, at Rainbow Fest, uh, and some of them did use the Cocos to handle the business side of their their business too, as well as you know duplicating discs for games or selling or whatever else. But actually, ran their accounting and stuff on the Coco. <laughs> So I, I, that's kind of something I hadn't thought about, hadn't mentioned on the on the chat and, and Facebook here is that, you know, there's some business case use here. We had some pretty decent like word processors and spreadsheets and 
mm-hmm. you know, like accounting programs and general ledgers and all kinds of stuff, a variety from different defenders too, that were quite high quality for the time. Yep. Okay. Uh, Ken. Um, well, I like everybody else here. I don't think that the Coco failed and just looking through the, um, comments on this post a lot of people seem to say that you know they compare our games to something like the c64 and the c64 had the sound chip and the sprite chip and everything but honestly i collect for all those things the c64 and the coco and i would have to say a lot more games that i get on the c64 are a lot prettier but still a steaming pile of crap compared to the games that <laughs> so just oh because God, that's how you really feel. <laughs> just because but, I mean, there, there are certainly some good games on, on the C64. I'm not gonna deny yeah. that there's some good games, but there are a lot of really crappy games. Oh. Okay. So uh, well, I think we, we did a lot too. better on not having that number of crappy games for the limited number of games that we did have. Okay. Uh, um, have you ever gone through the, um, you know, the uh, rainbow games on disc or, you know, software on disc? I mean, there, there's a whole lot of junk on there. Oh, the type in games. Yeah. But those are, there's some good ones in there too, though. There's some pretty yeah, there's darn some good, good ones. There's actually. some pretty darn good, but I mean, that's when you're doing a, a like a fairly basic game like that, just in basic, then, I don't I don't know any system that isn't most like more than 50% are not great games but then you do find some that are just really quite good. Okay. And what I had to say is pretty much already been said. Um so Jason, you have anything? Uh well, as far as, you know, it's already and said that Coco was not a failure. Uh, and I seem to remember whether it was on a uh, previous episode or if it was just on our Discord server, but I, I, I distinctly remember uh, Steve Bjork uh, being under the impression that, like, what was it? The Coco version of Rampage was mistaken for the Tandy 1000 version, and that got the Coco another year of life, according to him. And I thought that was, I, I as long as it went, it was absolutely not a failure, but that's. That, Reminded me of you know Steve and, and Rampage. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Alan, you got anything? Well, yeah. I mean, can the downfall of the cook? What downfall? We're still here talking about it today. Yeah, that's kind of my <laughs> um, view on that. But you could say that about every retro computer at this point. No, there's not a whole huge bunch of people after that uh, Mattel Aquarius, for example. And the three people that are are going to come hunt me down. I get that. Oh, the Aquarius <laughs> rocks. The um the the next part of the question was: Can it be linked or even directly linked to lack of quality? What lack of quality? I mean, Daggerath is universally admired across retro machines to the point where it's emulated on others, including PCs. You know, there are quality games. Double Back. I mean, who's going to say Double Back is not a good game? Because whoever says that's probably going to get beat down on a dark alley. So, yeah, I mean, every platform has shovelware. I don't think Coco has as much of a percentage of shovelware as some. And the 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 lack of quantity, I mean, Curtis, how far behind are you on putting games on the website? 
<laughs> I mean, Shut up, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. I mean, there's consoles where it's like, oh, we launched with five titles. And by the time the console ended and everybody wants to make a big deal out of it, they have maybe a hundred or two, maybe. Other consoles go further, sure. But that those consoles are considered a huge success. And in the Coco, we're still getting new games. Yeah, other consoles are starting to get new games and stuff as well. But I mean, really, nobody's ever stopped. There was just kind of a lull, I think. But yeah, lack of quality, lack of quantity, I don't see it. I, it's there if you go look. And the the one thing I really love about the Game On Challenge is that you get exposed to all these games that you didn't see then. And you find out, oh, wow, there's yet another cool thing that I will never have enough time to play. Yes, another cool thing I will never have enough time to play. You know, it, it just... Goes, I think he's telling you to slow down, Nick. <laughs> no, no, please don't. Um, so I, I understand the, the... I think the origin of this question is uh, around Tandy being the underdog compared to something like the C64 or the Apples or whatever in the general perception. And, you know... The you know, the games are different. There's not as many of the official ports, for example, but the ones that are there are pretty damn good. Rampage was mentioned, but I mean, I, back in the day when I got my copy of Zaxxon, I that I mean that was that was my birthday win. I took that bad boy home and I played that thing for a whole summer. You know, I had Zaxxon at home and it, it was great, and on and on and on. So I think it's an interesting question, but I kind of wonder, it's like, you know, how much got glossed over uh, or what, what else was behind the question? You know, that, that it seems to be that there's a huge disconnect, maybe. Yeah, or it's coming from somebody that, you know, gaming is the most important part of a computer, too, because like we've yeah. multiple of us have mentioned here. The Coco generally was more ra- well-rounded as a computer. We had a great basic, we had a great operating system. Even disk basic, you know, compared to some others, was quite good. Um, and we had options for flex and yeah. stuff too. I mean, we had a lot more advanced options that a lot of the other machines did as a computer, not as a game playing device. Yeah, I just wonder. Uh, you know, I, I hope Jim posts a follow up or, or or something because uh, there there seems to be a lot more going on here. And I think that asking Coco people is sounds like it's getting universally the same response. What downfall? That kind of stuff. Yeah. So, you know, hmm. I I felt bad about uh, when Coco Max came out, and it kind of looked like, uh, you know, an Apple um, Mac Paint. Yeah. Mac. Yeah. And I thought to myself, uh, why did they do that? Because, uh, you know, if you think of it, when um, the PC came out with Paint. I don't think it was much, you know. Well, there were lots. There were lots of rumors at the time that the Mac was sixty-eight oh nine, and some of the Mac Paint things, the things that we had, may have come from that route somehow. Well, the original prototype by Jeff Raskin was sixty-eight oh nine. So, do you think it was Motorola inclined, not so much Mac, or what? Nah, I don't think so. Sixty-eight oh nine. If you have 6809 code to do something, someone's going to use it somewhere. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, you know, uh, it seemed to me like DeskMate was its own thing. It, it didn't really model itself after uh, 
no, looking like. Well, the thing is that the Tandy 1000 series decimate is a fair bit different in some ways than the Coco version, for example. Yeah, it is, but, but they didn't have the lines going across the top, you know, like the, um, like the Mac was, you know. The, there was windowing and there's, um, you know, the same font even they use, you know, a similar font as the Mac. So anyway, I'm just saying, um, uh, I hate to see when a computer uh, goes after another computer, you know, and they make it, well, look, we have that too, you know, type of thing, instead of being a leader and saying, we have this, you know, <laughs> To me, well, if I remember correctly, just to kind of bring this towards Windows and stuff here, Eric Gabrilek, when he worked for Microsoft, he's told the story, I think it's in your book, uh, Coconuts there, Nick, that uh, they were working on one of the paint programs for Windows 95, I think it was, and it was running dog slow, and they said, well, that's as fast as we can make it, and Eric said, what are you guys talking about? I have a Cocoa at home running you know, a 0.895 maker at 6809 that can run faster than this, and he actually brought his Cocoa in with Cocoa Max. And showed it to them, and they went, holy crap. <laughs> and that's when you know Bill Gates himself popped by and started talking to Eric, and, and they talked about some routines that he threw in the basic that are in in, in the Cocoa version of Extended Basic. So, well, that's I, cool to hear. Yeah. Is, is that in your – am I remembering that right, Nick? That story's in your book? Yeah, I'd have to check. I can't remember. It's been so long. I'm pretty sure it is. I, I've so. heard of that story, but I don't know. Was it from me or was it from someone else? <laughs> Yeah, I can't remember. But Eric, Eric was definitely the guy involved. I do know that. So, How dare you not remember a story from a book you wrote over 20 years ago? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Just say which book? Yeah. 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 Mark, who's next? Nick actually is next. I think I've already said enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Mm, but yeah, I glad. think the big, the big thing is um, uh, the whole comment downfall of the Coco. Uh, when compared to other home computers. Well, that's all wrong. The Coco didn't downfall. And, yeah, let's compare it to other home computers, like the Atari. When can, The Coco was available up till 91. Could you buy an Atari 8-bit around 91? No. Uh, a TI? No. They died out a lot earlier. The Coco was actually mm -hmm. one of the last 8-bit computers along with the Commodore 64, of course. So I don't, I don't know where the downfall bit comes from. I think I agree with Curtis. I think uh, Jim Mullis, the uh, guy who started this, um, is referring to games more than, um, more than uh, anything else. Mm -hmm. because, uh, and, and, and even then, I wouldn't call it a downfall. But in a comparison, yeah, the Commodore 64 had, had more games and was a lot more commercial grade type games because that was its market but yeah let's not talk about uh a real operating systems and real computing stuff eh? because uh the story goes the other way then okay uh david do you wake no no why yes why i am <laughs> uh, okay. i'm uh, sure everybody's going to enjoy mine ah <laughs> uh, no we've heard about floppy disks <laughs> Oh, let's see here. No, no, the cocoa didn't die off. It 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 just slumbered for a little bit. Um, for me, the cocoa never really stopped being used um, until I moved and I ran out of room. Um, let's see here. Um, 
My Coco continued to be used for OS 9. Um, I used the Coco with the OS 9 even when I got my MM1, as I was using both machines connectivity uh, with the Cyclist cartridges, moving data back and forth for tasks. And the PC, you know what the PC was used for when I first got it and for quite a while? Dumb terminal with uh, Procom Plus. That's what the PC was mostly used for. Dumb That's terminal. We did it work too. Over in the over in the chat. The oh, there's a ton. I'll, I'll, I'll go through the comments in the chat, Mark. I'll, I'll sum them all up at the end here. Yeah, I was gonna say the, the chat blew up. Yeah, I'm yeah, gonna right. go through that. But let's let's finish the panel first, then we'll hit the chat. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought right. we were finished. Uh, thanks a lot, Mark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think we are. Move on. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's, it's, for me, nope. The Coco MM1, it, it it was a great pair to use together. So it and I use those for mileage reports and stuff like that for work until the late nineties. Um, so drive wire, drive wire. <laughs> ESP eighty two sixty six. Oh one. Okay, really? moving on. <laughs> okay, as as Mark uh, B as as I mentioned here, the chat blew up over this. So I'm just going to start just zipping through reading these here. Uh, so uh, James Diffendapper, uh, the Phantom Eight Bit, uh, the Coco didn't fail. Manufacturers wanted to push more expensive eight bit machines, so they dropped eight bit lines. I think he meant more sixteen bit machines, more expensive, because of course the Atari ST, the Amiga, et cetera, which is a whole you know yeah. into the next generation. Um, Mark Siegel, it was from RS where you got all the parts. I think it's unrelated to this discussion, but uh, uh, David and Sharon Very, Dave six zero nine, Coco wasn't a fail if you ran OS nine playing King's Quest, Leader Suit, Larry, et cetera. I, we used it at work from nineteen ninety. 1990 or 19, no, 1989 until 2001 continuously. So I agree with that. Um, James, if, I ever, if it had a sound chip and better graphics, it certainly would have sold better. That's a possibility. I didn't have a failure, but it, it probably would have, you know, attracted more of the game, strict game players. The games, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dave says the Coco 3 was very inexpensive. That's true um, compared to a lot, like even the Amiga and stuff. Like the first Amiga was what, a thousand plus, wasn't it? Oh yeah, definitely. It was two and a half thousand over here, Australian dollars. Yeah. Well, the Coco Three was, you know, at launch, what two ninety nine or two nineteen or something like that. Yeah. Well, that was. A, yeah. That the other thing is too is, I mean, the, the Coco when you got a Coco Three, which is the biggest upgrade the Coco line got, you got to keep most of your peripherals. If you had disc drives and cassettes and joysticks and stuff, you didn't have to buy all that again because you're switching platforms. It was just like plug it all in and go. Of course, you would want to upgrade your monitor to an RGB or something, but uh, a bit yeah, so you yeah, kept the cost the down. Sure, it needed a little upgrade, but you know. Yeah, but Tanny provided yeah. that at the time. Yeah, I didn't upgrade mine for thirty years, and they work fine. Yeah. In fact, if you had the multi-pack, you could even run some of the hardware that was not compatible—the twelve volt requiring stuff, like the old disc controller and the X pad and stuff too. So. Oh yes, high density. Why did I say that? <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, James says locomotive basic on the Amstrad CPC with similar capability to the Coco. I'm not super familiar with that particular one, so I, I'll take your word for it. Uh, Dave, the only fall, fail for me was not running it on an RGB monitor. Yeah, it, that was a night and day thing when my local manager and a fellow coconut, Richard Smith, called me and he said, you got to see this because I wasn't going to spend more on a monitor than the computer cost until I saw it in person. It was like, nope, I'm yeah, you would. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which I probably replaced after going to Rainbow Fest and discovering the Magnavox. Um, David Lord says Coco through the sound chip would have made a killer combination. I 
think that's true. Uh, that because you could have done a lot better on the games with background sound effects and music running instead of having to do timer IRQs, which was a nice compromise to keep the machine cheap. But yeah, that probably would have helped. Uh, James says that Coco was much more flexible, especially after Coke 3 is introduced. I agree with that. George Cuff, Coco's ran several different languages, extremely versatile, absolutely no fail. Totally agree. James, uh, and the TI Canon machine after Tremiel lowered the cost of peripherals specifically to target TI. That's true. The price war in 83 between those when they were selling TIs at, you know, 49 bucks to clear them out was just insane. And that's where I said that that's the, the benefit of Tandy. Tandy stuck through through it all. They didn't really abandon Yeah, they've survived that entire – that yeah, took out the Atom, that it. took out the it TI. and Exactly. It didn't really affect them at all. Yeah. In fact, Coco sales actually kept increasing during that time period. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, David Lord, not a failure, but it could have been done better taking the other fork in the road. Parents standing in front of a kiosk would be swayed towards the better-sounding one for the kids. Maybe. I, I mean, it depends. Like some kids were the nerds that wanted to learn to program and weren't just into the games. And I was I was one of those myself. So I guess it depends on the kid you were talking about. Um, Alan Murphy, uh, can the can the downfall? Not sure what you meant there. What downfall? Lack of quantity. Have you seen the millions of games in Curtis site? It's only 732. Um, many quality games like Dagger Double Back, which he mentioned uh, as well. David Lord, I think a Sunship would have enlarged Cocoa Market. I think even just making the sound pack compatible with the Coco 3 double speed would have helped. Um, the fact that if you wanted to run the game with five times bigger graphics screen with sound meant you had to clock it down to 0.895 megahertz every time you did a sound thing through it was just stupid. They should have upgraded the card. Um, lack of a sound chip in a way. Uh, this is from Alan. The DAC was more forward thinking because C64 folks, for example, spent a lot of time trying to get digital sound that is a snooze for the Coco 3 to do from years before C64 existed. That's true. We we had a 6-bit DAC that was completely yeah. CPU controlled, so it took a lot, but you could use digitized samples instantly. You weren't limited to you know, waveform shapes and envelopes that the particular sound chip you picked happened to support. Um, TGB Chris, in the end, Tandy was out of the computer business two years after they stopped selling the Coco 3, so in that sense, I've... It'd probably have been dead two years later anyway. That's true, because <laughs> Tandy was... You aren't going to make it. a 16-bit machine if you're at the end of your line anyway. Yeah. I mean, Apple tried that with the 2GS. They actually had a 65-816 CPU that was 16-bit, but it, the way it was implemented was kind of awkward for switching between the two and stuff, so it didn't really work that well. I don't think the 2GS was a massive seller either. Um, Alan Murphy, the whole point of the Amiga sound with mod files, mixing four digital samples to make music, which sealed build did dildy. I'm not sure what that is. Wrote the foundation of not pitch shift, etc. Or voice sampled music. TGB Chris, hey. I guess in that sense, Tandy's Dildy. So sorry, was that? Clell Dildy wrote the organ sound country roads thing that is the four voice music player that dang near everybody everywhere built from on the Coco forever on, you know, he wrote that stuff before the C64 was even out and posted that. And I forget which of the magazines it was in. It was like uh, 68 micro, I think in 1980 or 1981. And so really what he was doing was mixing four voice digital music in 80 or 81 and everyone made such a huge noise about the Amiga with their four-voice digital music. Now, that used the processor to do a lot more pitch bending and effects and things like that. 
But I mean, frankly, the Coco had four voice digital music from day one. Yeah, and Country Rose is actually the very first four voice music I ever heard on the Coco. Uh, yeah, I think I got a copy of that in early '82 from somewhere, and uh, the the composer was basically that same algorithm from mm-hmm. um, speech. And the William Tell one that came out a few months later in a different yeah that was a contest winner in Color Computer News because they had that was one of the challenges on their programming contest was to come up with the best version of William Tell so people submitted some basic play statements and then that one came in I remember I helped type that one in because we didn't have CCN on tape and our club divided a page of hex data <laughs> yep between fifteen people and we're all typing it in our version of it has a few glitches here and there compared to the official one but uh, it, it was amazing to hear that yeah. um. It was if Macker mentions WeFax, I think that's more for Ron, but uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was more amazing to hear um, uh, William Tell on a, uh, through a stereo system. Yeah. Oh, oh yes. Or Orchestra yeah. 90. And, yeah. and, the stereo composer. Did, and, and if on the Orchestra 90, if you did the, uh, the, what is it, the shift, um, what was that keyboard combination when you turned on the Coco? It actually used uh, the high-speed poke um, to actually process the audio to give it more fidelity, so it sounded better. Yeah, smoother. You didn't get that warbly crap in the high range. And not very many people knew that. And uh, if you look through the sources of Maine, because uh, I had a conversation with one of the developers on IRC one night, because someone told me about it, and I told them about it, and one of the guys that implemented some of the, the stuff in there for the Orchestra 90 didn't even know it. So he put my name in there for that. Yeah, I do remember hearing about that. Uh, I don't, yeah, actually, I did try it later on, but I didn't know that at the beginning when I first got Mark 90. Uh, Alan also says, and now there are so many sound options for Coco's most based on stuff available in the 80s and like, you know, the, the sound chips for the OPL3 and the Mega Mini and the Game Master cartridge and uh, the Coco PSG, et cetera. And he said, uh, that people complain about too many options and no one is writing rampant code for them. So that's true. Because nah. uh, 6-bit actually gives you pretty good sound, as, as Nick and many others approve. David Lord says, uh, add-on sound limited the market size for developers to write for it. It had to be part of the hardware. That was the goal of the Deluxe Cocoa, which did have the chip built in, which is unfortunately yanked. Mark Siegel says, with what people are doing today in a Cocoa 3, it's as good as a C64. just took a bit longer to learn how to program it to get that effect. So... There's some truth to that. I mean, if you look at some of the ports like Glenn Hewlett's been doing of like Joust and Robotron and Defender, Sockmasters, Donkey Kong. I mean, that that honestly that blows away anything equivalent of on the C64 I've ever seen. Um, Alan says, and yes, when it came out, my dad tried to push me the C64 and never understood my preference for the Coco. Uh, David Lord, a lot to be said for standardization. A plethora of a plethora of uh, different standards is just as bad. True. Um, Phantom 8, but that's James Stephenhoffer. The speech sound pack is genius in that it has its own CPU, but they didn't give you fast direct access chips. That's a complaint by Simon and many, many, many others, including myself. Yeah. Uh, speech, I have more on the speech track. I'll just kind of skip over that a bit here. Uh, George Cuff, I enjoyed playing out with Super Voice and Ears. Yeah, I forgot about Ears. A friend of mine here in town had Ears. That was kind of fun. It wasn't the most accurate thing in the world, but it was cool and way ahead of its time. George, Voice you need to take that that out of your box in the basement. We need to use that next time I come over. Uh, Super Voice was the one that had the inflection. You could actually get it to sing, if I remember, wasn't it? Uh, more on that speech pack. I'll skip over that for now. 
going along with what was said earlier about, you know, so many crap games on the C64, I think from Ken, uh, James Divinav says there are so many shovelware games for the C64. <laughs> uh, Mark Siegel mentions it took a better programmer to make a good game on the Coco. That, I think, is some truth to it, because if you're coming to 6502 and you... I've seen some of the translations, like, you know, fractal stuff, where you can tell it came from 6502 just because of the addressing modes they're using. If they just restructured the data slightly, they could have made it run twice as fast. And that, and then that was basically because they were rushed. I mean, they had six weeks, Ken Rui had six weeks to port it. But if you took the time to learn the CPU and what its strengths were and certain techniques that ran better on it, you could definitely increase the speed of games you're translating over. Uh, David Lord, I had both Atari and Coco systems. The sound is what made the biggest difference. Coco, seven cities of gold, mule. Coco was not a failure, but could have been better. Agreed. And especially in the Coco 1 and 2, if they just hooked up the stupid V or H sync to the FIRQ instead of the IRQ, that would have made a world of difference for sound on us. Yeah. So a bit of a design failure there. Uh, James Jones, not a failure, but less than what it could have been. I, I know he's coming probably from the OS9 side. There's definitely some hardware changes that could have made things a lot better. Um, real time clock, anybody? Um, uh, James, someone is porting double back to the Atari. They're going to have to create a custom controller to play it because, of course, they only had digital sticks, not analog. That's a good point. And that was something that people lambasted the Coco for was the analog joysticks. But if you got a self-centering analog joystick, that gave you opportunities because you could just, you know, shut off the, like on a craft deluxe style, you could shut that off and then play, you know, like an analog game fine. And then if you flipped it back, then you could play like Pac-Man or a Switch-based one. Whereas the other ones, you just had digital switch base so you had no option for analog and now what do all modern game systems have both <laughs> just like we can we kind of tried um james atari and c64 have a lot of new games yeah they get more games proportionally than we did but they were game machines i mean obviously that's curtis could be more popular yeah wasn't the no halt um controller floppy controller um a big thing back in the day when that came out for us nine people definitely whether it was a Disto, a Sardis, a uh, Disc Master, or any of them, yeah. Uh, Spectrum has a lot of new games. <clears throat> was the original author even that familiar with the Coco? That I've found from several people that did some of the ports. No, not really. They had tight, you know, timelines that they had to crunch the thing out in. Um. Well, yes, it's awesome to see so many platforms getting new code. I think the Atari 2600 folks and Atari Age really showed how feasible and cool that is. That's true. I think all of Retro took a resurgence during COVID because people were you know, sitting at home bored <laughs> without something to do. So they brought out their old machines and a lot of new stuff for all the platforms came out. That's just positive all the way around in Retro. I think um, another thing um, when um, you know I was in the computer early, so when uh, people could hook up uh, uh, three and a half inch drive to the coco that was kind of really cool yeah i did that and the nice thing is because our controller was basically ibm compatible yeah all you had to do was just like take the cable and plug it in put the connector on it plug it in the only thing you <laughs> yeah. didn't do is you didn't do that stupid twisted thing that the ibm pcs did you just yeah. let it run straight through and you can hook up three ibm pc drives in a row and just run them well, well didn't that kind of make you feel that you were in with the crowd you know because you had you know I, I actually built a, uh, I had a, uh, you know, a PC case and I put the, um, you know, three and a quarter with a five and a quarter and, you know, had a power supply in it and made it look like. Yep, uh, I did that too. 
Yeah. Yeah. So that was cool. We were in with it happening. Yeah, because some of the other machines that had the custom disk formats like Macs and Amigas and stuff there, they wasn't as easy to jump. That they they locked, kind of design new things. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they eventually did, but it, it, it took some like hardware skullduggery to do it you know, or changes. And we just, you know, oh, three and a half inch uh, 80 track double side drive. I'll just plug it in. Send me some 720K disks at the computer store. And as David Ladd knows, you know, we found that right. other format command and now you get it's 800 caper disks. So that was awesome. Um, oh, don't George forget Cup. with that same utility on the oh, density, no, I, I can get 1.67 megabyte on a floppy. So don't forget, even on high density, I can use it. <laughs> now you started him. I'm going to yeah. come tweak all your pots so they don't work anymore. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, you got to be careful what you tweak with me. <laughs> yep, that's absolutely true. Uh, George Yukoff says it's hard to knock the Coke 3 and OS 9 multitasking capabilities. I agree. I mean, it did need to be optimized somewhat because they, once again, trying to meet a deadline versus making sure everything's running fine. Um, but the level two version three upgrade, if if the Coco had continued and Tandy had actually sold that, was a huge improvement in and of itself. Um, mm. And of course, Nitrous 9, because we got lucky that the 6 or 9 had all these hidden features ever since the chip came out in October of 85. Though we didn't learn about it here until 1992. Um, Dave Wormfood says, um, brought my Coco 3 with OS 9 to a computer meet, and it really left an impression on some people as they remembered it many years later. I did the same thing when I took it to work and, and actually installed it there, stayed there till they bought their own. Um, David Lord says Atari had moved on to 1632 bit machines. Uh, yep, the Amiga and the Atari ST line, and then the TT and Falcon, et cetera, and the various levels of. Amiga. Um, Atari's own managers in Europe lamented over not having better sales, even though they felt they had the best machine. Yeah, I mean, European and Britain in particular really like to buy their own machines, but they didn't seem to break through in the States usually when they tried, not not to the extent they did there. <laughs> Alan, you might, you can mention about this one too. Uh, how many games of other platforms have their own homage song? <laughs> uh, yeah uh that's that's what i mean come on especially when the homage song was written and sung by one of the original game devs developers yeah <laughs> so, well, which one's that help me Mayor highway oh <laughs> yeah with rick adams singing about all the other games that are produced like you know playing zaxon and donkey king and oh okay he wrote yeah. half of them <laughs> <laughs> Sixty, uh, Karen in, in the UK says PCs got used as terminals to real computers quite a lot, even in university. That was their primary use, at least the first year I was there. Either PAD or later X Windows. Um, he also says, of course, then Linux came along and PCs could be real computers, <laughs> which means the hardware wasn't the issue; it was the the operating system. Um, I think I'm kind of catching up most of these now. Well, one thing uh, that's cool is uh, we know the guy who made the trash can in OS 9, who made the trash can <laughs> in uh, Mac. <laughs> no, uh, oh, that was a girl. What was her name? She did all the icons. Was a girl? Uh, yeah. What's her name? Uh, is that the one that, that made icons for the first time? You can buy yeah. a blanket of them now. Yeah, she actually sells a book oh, about Lord, the development of those, too. Yeah, okay, I saw that. Yeah. Um. James F. says there was DAC music players in the Apple II before the Coco. 
Those required extra hardware cards, though, because the built-in speaker on the app too was just a one-bit, you know, bang away thing. Um, David Lord, Coco voice music had lots of hash in the sound due to only six bits, and our buddy Nyquist, best sounding Coco audio had two high CPU requirements. Um, yeah, or use too much RAM. I mean, you could do even a Coco one or two if you wanted to. Could do six bit twenty two kilohertz. Which actually doesn't sound too bad, but it sucks so much RAM. You can play like a two-second clip and you're pretty well out of memory type thing. So, One bad thing that I can think of that I didn't care for when I learned about it was, um, you know, I was excited to hear that you could have a hard drive on your Coco. What what I was sad about was uh, that the Coco is going to treat the uh, stuff on the hard drive as single floppies all the way through. You know, <laughs> well, if you're running under disk basic, yes. If you're running under OS nine, nope, you ran it as hard drive. Well, I had no idea how to even, yeah. you know. So oh, OS nine, the, the biggest thing was it was a complete switch. It wasn't like a an a, an improved version two of the existing. It was a completely different animal, okay. and that was really hard for a lot of people. I mean, me the first year, it was, uh, that was a hard jump to to jump over. Because you had to relearn everything, basically. And it wasn't a cheap option back in the day. No, I mean, level one, I think, was like 79 bucks. I think they dropped it to 69 when level two came out. And they bundled the package better because the original level one came with an assembler. So not only are you going to have to learn a brand new OS, but you're going to have to learn machine language while you're at it to do anything. That's a bit too much to ask. And you got basics. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When they brought a level two, it had the windowing system, which was nice and friendly, with a bunch of little utilities to make it easy to create windows. But they came in with Basic instead, and one of the best Basics ever made. So that was a big improvement. That they should have done in level one, and it probably would have done a lot better, to be honest. And really, even today, um, virtual hard drives are made the same way. They're all di- single disks in a in a row, right? Oh, for Basic, yeah. let's just cram it into Basic's limitations, though. There's some talk about uh, the Apple II DAC uh, from Mark and James and Alan. Which, uh, Alan, since you're on the panel, I don't know if you want to mention anything about that. Well, I mean, Apple II really didn't have a DAC. Yeah, unless you had an add-on card, like an AdLib or something, yeah. Yeah, or actually Sound Blaster. Or Mockingboard. Uh, or sorry, what no, was sorry, Mockingboard, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I actually have a Mockingboard with dual uh, uh, the AY chips. I mean, that was the equivalent of us getting an Orc 90. It's the same mm-hmm. style thing. Uh, Susan Kerr is the lady you're trying to think of. Yeah, thank you. Macintosh team in icons. 60, and I agree, because I I went through the same experience myself, because I had this before I had a hard drive. He said, hooking a 3.5-inch drive to the Dragon was like getting a hard disk. So much could fit on an 80-track double-sided disk. That's exactly (laughs) what I went through, because I think at the time, I'd gotten an FT500 um, instead of my old full-height tech drive. 35 tracks. So I had a 40 track drive, you know, 180K. Woo-hoo. And then I actually found out from people that you can just take a three and a half inch drive, a double density drive from for PC and just hammer on the connector and plug it in. And I did that. And all of a sudden I had 720K and my entire two discs of my Olsen level two set fit onto one of these discs and three quarters of it was still empty. It's like, holy cow, what do I need a hard drive for? Well, then before that was flippies. Those were just a cheesy way to not yeah. have two ad drives. It, yeah, that was yeah. just to save you money on discs. I think you didn't. Well, you, you still you had, had to flip the disc to get to that other program. So you still yeah, had the physical. Uh, when you when you have so many discs, I mean, you know, back in the early days, you only had so many, and if you learned that you could have the other side, 
you know, and, and back up more of your stuff or whatever. Yeah, but a yeah. hard plastic box that fit in your It definitely saved pocket. you money because otherwise you'd have to be buying all these single-sided discs yeah. for two yeah, they bucks weren't, a crack. They, they weren't cheap at first. That was my whole jam. The hard plastic disc that fit in your shirt pocket with 720K in it. That was the start of modernity. Yeah. You know, it's just an SD card, but bigger. There's a new word. <laughs> modernity. Modernity? I guess it was going, it was going for <laughs> like six six he added okay quite a slow hard drive now that's true but i that was uh, i got lucky in that i learned about the six millisecond track to track option that was not at the same time so it was faster a little bit um james Diffendaffer mentions too um new games have been coming out for eight bits for over 10 years i think the coke was a little behind the spectrum and more game oriented machines i think that's mainly because the coco was kind of at its low ebb at that time when that resurgence started so we probably did come in a little bit late on that though there was some i mean we had you know 3d death chase and glove and some other stuff came up around the 2007 2008 range so we were getting some new stuff i think uh uh caves of the unwashed heathen and a few others i mean there was some new stuff coming up but not not as much as you know we're currently getting from people like nick uh you know what when i had my first coca one um uh i bought it with a uh it had already had this lightning upgrade. It had 128K on, on the motherboard. And it had a program that came with it to um, access. To, so you could put, you know, it's a, you know, it's basically a, what do they call it? A, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's like another drive. And you could load programs in it, but you couldn't turn off your computer. <laughs> RAM disk. Yeah, RAM disk. Yeah. RAM disk. yeah. But it was actual hardware. It wasn't just taking your 64K and and loading that all up with little programs. It was actually 128. And that, yeah. that was pretty cool. I used it for a while until it got Solid drive. Every time you turn it off, the, everything you loaded up was gone. No, There was a company, I'm trying to remember the name of it, that actually sold a battery-backed up RAM yeah, upgrades the for the Coca-1 and 2. Solid drive. Yeah, yeah, that's said Visicorp or Vi- uh, I can't remember the name. No, Visicorp's Visicorp. Yeah, something, something like that. that. But yeah, they had uh, five 12K and one meg versions of RAM drives that were battery backed. That if you did shut the machine off, it's still there. Yeah, but if you think they were expensive it, as hell, but well, if you think of <laughs> it, it's kind of like uh, you know RAM is today, where it's all di- digital. It's not you know coming from a floppy somewhere. It's not coming outside the computer. Well, yeah, I mean, disk yeah. disk drives a lot. Uh, disk drives, quote unquote, sold these days are SSDs or memory, yeah. basically. Yeah. So David Ladd said, uh, have- "Just think of what we could have had in OS9 if we had known about the extra XC6309E instructions features back in '85." Oh yeah, <laughs> I think Tanny mm, would really, put yeah. that in standard. See what's that? Please explain it, David. No. What are you doing, <laughs> Nick? I'm trying to finish these comments. I still got half the news left. <laughs> and by the um, way, Ron, Ron, your volume keeps getting lower and lower as you go on. Oh yeah. Yeah, it could be just my old cranky voice. Fading out on us. Yeah, it's about time for his nap. Yeah. <laughs> uh so some other stuff just commenting on amigas and stuff. Uh 720k disk drives. Yeah, I think we're kind of caught up on the thing. Gee, this top topic started a storm, didn't it? Well, it did on Facebook too. I mean, there's like, like there's almost fifty just, comments. Just struck a nerve there. 
Yeah, it did. And it, it did strike in there with me, which is why I replied to him, why I wanted to make it a discussion topic. So I think it's worth discussing that the attitude of the Coco was a little bit different than some of the other machines. We were never a pure games machine. Even, I mean, Tandy tried to market it briefly that way, but that didn't. I think they even started to figure out because they started bringing out business software like, you know, investment and analysis and stuff like that, which you normally would not see on a game machine. I mean, obviously, some of the other game machine style game or uh, home computers also did that, too. But that was due to the sheer volume that get a few sales. But I think it was as Ron used it and as I used it at work and Ron used it at work, I think we had proportionally, once again, like programmers, I think we had proportionally had more people using Cocos for business things, especially with stuff like Flex. And, well, uh, Radio Shack was... had a, an eye to business anyway. I mean, yeah, Model 1, yeah, but, uh, you know, like Model 2, that was aimed squarely at the business, and then the whole line above it was uh, aimed squarely at the business market. You know, your 12, 16, 6,000s. Uh, yeah. Whereas, like, these other companies didn't do quite so much at the business side. Yeah, their business side would be more the third party where some company would say, oh, they've sold 15 million Commodore 64s. Maybe we can make some business software and like, you know, 0.001% of the base will buy that. Mm -hmm. And and the other thing, too, is is that um, there was a girl that was in, I think, a couple of classes below me back in high school. And her and her father uh, used their Coco 2 for setting up uh, model rocket displays and firing them off, so mm -hmm. with their uh, with a custom cartridge they made, so and you know that's not gaming, that's you know doing science experiments and and stuff right there. So, so where do you aim the rockets? I think uh, when the the C sixty four first came out, Commodore did try to make it seem a bit more like a business computer because they had the Vic 20 and that was their little game machine. So when the 64 came out, it had more RAM. It had a 40 column screen. And I think they did try to show it off as a bit more of a serious computer, but yeah, it turned to games pretty quick. Well, that was one thing they wanted to do with the Commodore 128 too, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's right. They tried again with the 128. And that didn't do well. Look, well, look at, that, no. that this, was the... Go ahead. <laughs> look at this ad. It says an exclusive first look at Spectaculator. Yeah. Well, I'm kind of following along the discussion. I want to bring this up. And I remembered this article. So I actually brought it up while, while we're discussing things here. So this is Rainbow for those on the audio podcast. An old, old Rainbow. Number nine from volume one. So this is March 1982. So this is fairly early in the Coco's life. And this is the print number negative two column that Lonnie Falco always did his little editorial page. And I wanted to read this one part of the article because it kind of talks about the mentality of the Cocoa base compared to a lot of the other machines at the time. And uh, I'll just read it verbatim here. Ron Krebs of Mark Data Products and I were talking just the other day about one interesting point concerning the color computer, that there is darn few of the people who are writing software for the Cocoa are also the same as those who wrote for the Model 1 or the Apple for that matter. The big names in micros, now, ironically enough, not too long after this, most of these did come over to do Cocoa stuff. But at the time, people like Scott Adams from Avenger International, Dennis Kitts, who was famous in the Model 1 and 3 world, Bill Barden, also famous in the Model 1 and 3 world, are pretty much missing from the Cocoa world. And at the early stage, that is true. But what Lonnie says after this, they've been replaced by people like 
Ron Krebs of Mark Data, Tom Mix, Joe Bennett, Howard Cohen, who's Cognitic Telewriter, uh, Dennis Lewandowski, who's one of their columnists for doing assembly language. Let me skip to page 11 here. Dave Hooper, Kathy Goble, John Wacklow, Bill Dye, Wayne Dierks, Gary Davis. Gary Davis was part of Sugar Software, Tom Rosenbaum. He's the founder of Spectral Associates, Fred Scribble, of course, did illustrated memory banks. Add a dash of people who have been active in 6809 before the Cocoa made it really popular, like Sue Searby, uh, Frank Hogg, and Bill Vergona. Bill Vergona is because of SirComp uh, and Frank we've interviewed before. And there's a few others in there too. Mark Data actually started elsewhere. Computerware started elsewhere uh, on 6809 machines. Uh, and you have a whole new breed of people whose names you will come to know in the near future. These people and some... Just unplug my mic for a second. Okay, I should be back in my microphone. Uh, wrong mic. Hasn't switched. Didn't switch back over yet. I'm no mic. Oops. Can you hear me now? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Good. That was good for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Nick finally found that mute button for me. <laughs> are, are you plugged into a Commodore? No, I just kind of tripped my foot over the cable and yanked it on the microphone oh. by accident. I'm just a clumsy oak. That's all that was. Uh, <clears throat> but anyway, these people, he said, you have a whole new breed of people whose names you'll come to know in the near future. These people and some who have led the conversion to the Cocoa, like Bob Rosen, Frank Brandon, Sid Kahn, David Lagerquist, the creator of Chromoset, and Roger Olson, make up the color computer right now. These people and a bunch of others, space doesn't permit me to name, are the new Scott Adams and William Bardens of the Cocoa color computing. A year from now, their names on a program will sell it to you just as much surely as an Adams one or a model does a model three adventure today. I was thinking about this just the other day when I received a letter from Steve Blinn, who has just started a software business. He has some nice programs for children. And I was mentioning them to a friend here in Kentucky. The friend replied, Who's this? Is this Dorset Educational? Dorset, of course, which also came to the Cocoa later on, uh, supplies a great deal of Apple educational software. As I replied to the friend, I couldn't help. But think, there is no real good reason why Stephen Cheryl Blinn won't be bigger than Dorset someday. Well, I don't think that quite happened. But after all, they have a better computer to use in programming their talents. Now, the thing is, once the Cocoa took off enough, the big companies noticed the Cocoa and a lot of them started coming. Venture National eventually came out with tons of Cocoa stuff. Uh, William Barden wrote books in the same language for the Cocoa and, and graphics for the Cocoa. Dorset, uh, Children's Computer Workshop. Uh, Disney all came to the Cocoa to do educational stuff. So this all changed as the Cocoa got more successful. But that mentality of us versus the world at that point early on in the Cocoa's career, I think is explains why we don't think it failed because we just said it kind of went, well, if you guys don't want to, you know, come over to our side, we'll just create our own. And we, we did that. And, you know, by the mid eighties, like 83, 84, the rest of the world finally took notice and started coming over too. I don't know what you guys think about that or if I'm a full of crap or not, but. No, it's good. Mm -hmm. I'm not. And then, Nick, that's your sign. You're supposed to wake up now. No, oh, if you were, what, what, you're what, you're what done with the news already? Said, oh, God, no. no. If you were alive <laughs> back, back in the day and, you know, you saw these names regular and rainbow. And then now, you know, we've interviewed them. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I agree. Anyway, that that topic went actually longer than I was expecting, but it was it was a good, good discussion. <laughs> like, that never happens on this show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Anyway, back to the regularly scheduled news. Curtis, that yeah. is the one of the great points of our show is that we are a interactive video show. I agree. Yeah, that is one of the things I really pressed does. at the beginning. And that was pretty interactive with all those people uh, writing in as well. Yeah. Like adding to the conversation. Yeah, I mean, uh, thanks to everybody in the chat who chipped in on that. There was a lot to go through, but it was really cool hearing everybody's viewpoint, as well as everybody on the panel. Plus, Although all the comments on Facebook, Mikey if you haven't read those, you'll probably get a few more people believing that the Coco failed on the on the Facebook thing. I'm not quite sure why, but I think it's people, people that are very much game-centric thought the Coco failed versus, you know, as a general computer, home computer. Well, that's yeah, why they're on Facebook, too. They're not going <laughs> to stay and listen to the rest of the show, then. Yeah. The final score, Tandy Leather Company versus Connecticut Leather Company, a.k.a. Coleco. Who wins? <laughs> Drew. Anyway, back to the regular news. So we got an update from Ron Klein of the Cocoa Pie Project. He has now incorporated a new experimental work-in-progress version of XWare 1.3. So this is not the official one you can download. Um, and this has internal support for middle-button paste. So if you have a, a wheel mouse or a three-button mouse, you can use that for cut and paste features of text, et cetera. And he's got an experimental snapshot replacing CVBS emulation for testing and feedback only. You'll have to get the details from Karen. I don't know if he's still awake in the chat there because it's probably pretty <laughs> late in England by now. Um, so I don't know if he's still around. Uh, but yeah, there's some stuff you can fiddle with if you have a Cocoa Pie. Uh, next up, Tier City Trash Talk Live episode 31 was last week. I uh, was on the show as well as a few other Coca people like Neil Blanchard and um, uh, Boise Pete were both on from the Coca Crew podcast. And they were, you know, talking about some Tandy Assembly stuff as well as Coca Fest. Both were mentioned by them. Um, I was there to talk about Coca Nation, kind of talking about the transition from uh, Coca Talk. And then I also mentioned Nitrous on Ease Abuse. Now, they had many more people on than I was expecting because I've watched their show you know, the last few months and there's been less panelists on there and they have a strict two hour limit as to how long they want the show to last. Wow. I hope we never do that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but basically I, I didn't have time to demo ease of use uh, version one, which is what I wanted to do. So I said, I'll just do it next time. I'll just talk about it a little bit. And I didn't actually do the demo. So I'll try to join them on a future episode and actually do give it an actual rundown. Cause some of them aren't actually familiar with it at all, which surprised me. Those are supposed to be about everything, Tandy. Next, this one just got put up this morning, I think, actually. Vintage Geek, and we've covered some of his videos before. They've got a museum in Knoxville, Tennessee, a retro computer museum that's uh, still not open to the public, though I, he's got some pretty good shots of it in here of, of how it's progressed even since we last checked in. But, I mean, Alan Huffman and a few others have been doing a lot of stuff with chat GPT and what's the other AI chat bot thingy? Uh, chat AI or something, is that what it's called? I can't but everybody's been experimenting. Can you, can you write Cocoa code? Can you tell me what a Cocoa is? And you know, and everybody on every other platform has been doing the same thing. So he decided to do the same experiment. And it gave you know, results that didn't quite work. <laughs> it didn't really understand Cocoa Basic versus some other ones. Um, but then he kind of goes through and he actually wrote some VB script stuff to convert pictures down from you know a GIF or something like that, or GIF to uh, P-set or line statements on the cocoa, and there's some experimentation back and forth on that, and ultimately ends up with a couple things that are kind of related to St. Patty's Day. 
Now, since the show's ran pretty long already with the discussion, I've still got more news stories to cover. I'm not going to play a clip of it here, but you definitely should go check it out. It's pretty interesting. And uh, Ken and I are actually going to be visiting with him the week after Cocoa Fest, and we're going to try to get some shots and some interviews with him and some of the other people there and, uh, you know, some interview recording uh, with him. Yeah. Just the, like I said, the week after Cocoa Fest, we're going to be down there for an afternoon or something. So if you guys have any questions, like go watch this video. He's done some other videos covering the museum and stuff, and it's still not going to be available for the public fully in April when we're there. But if you guys have any questions after watching some of his videos that you want us to ask him, let us know before, you know, at least a week before Cocoa Fest, because we're going to be in the car after that. I think his first computer was a Cocoa or something. Because I believe it was, actually. Yeah. So I think he has a soft spot for our, our computer. Yeah, I and mean, he. This is the first. This video here is the first time he's really fiddled with the Coco Three and used Coco Three graphics and stuff. So it's kind of fun seeing what his opinion is of some of that. But uh, it's a really cool video. Where where's this RGB? I only see the composite and the uh, audio hooked up. Yeah. If you look, if you hey, look under the closed caption button, there's a cable there. Uh, let's see. Uh, oh, yeah. Another video. Yep. Okay, a, uh, he's got it. Yep. It's there. Without seeing something. Yeah. Darn it, anyway, Curtis, it's a really good video. Important stuff. If I hadn't, if <laughs> I hadn't dragged this discussion so long, I'd be playing little clips of it. But go, definitely go check it out. This one I'm going to have to play some clips on. I'm sure some of you have seen this already. So Taylor and Amy decided to make an MC10 laptop. Yeah. Hmm. And, and the funny thing was the uh, the comments on their channel are pretty encouraging but some of the comments i saw on the facebook posting about this is like, like why are you massacring an mc10 which gets into this whole thing because some people think you should keep a coco pristine and never touch it don't retro bright it don't put a new keyboard in don't upgrade anything keep it stock because then it's worth more on ebay i'm not one of those people myself i think that's stupid but you know you could definitely, uh, who is it mentioning before the difference between the viewers on Facebook for say the viewers we get in our show type thing? Like it's a completely different mindset. They're right. This was kind of proof of it. But they decided to uh, make a, an MC10 laptop and they've got the SD, can, what is it called again? The STC32X? No, what is it called? Yeah, it's close. It's not so, an SD. It's the SD MC, card reader with 32K MC, RAM and extended base. MCX32. But this is like proper hacker spirit because they decided to just go to a hardware store to get some brackets and then they use Lego and stuff. Here <laughs> so I'll just play a little clip in the middle. Then we'll show you them demoing that it's actually uh, uh, portable. And now we have. Oh. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and now. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, oh. Uh, wait. No, no, you can. Okay. Oh, oh, well. Oh, oh. I know. This is a little workout. This is a little workout. <laughs> hey, that's pretty cool. It's, well, it's got the monitor on it, a flip lid. It's like, yeah. It's it's still, it still so it still has the same cable, doesn't it? Well, they were waiting for the cable to come in the mail. Next. All right. Oh, right. Then it will be less time. Now. Well, it hasn't been boxed up that much, really. <laughs> no, not really. Just got a composite mod. Yeah, came in. Dad put that in. That's Ed Snyder's composite mode. All right. For the poor delivery guy, we like jumped him. <laughs> so I'll fast forward just a little bit um, so they can demonstrate it actually running. So, the okay. okay. Yes! Okay. MCX Basic! Oh my god. Yes! Okay. That's awesome. Okay, okay. We take DIR. That doesn't look too bad. We got games. We got games. I can 
I downloaded all of Jim Gary's MC10 games to this card. And now they can so get that new exclusive MC10 game for any computer too. Yeah. The portability demo. That was cool. Yeah, the portability. Yeah, I can't believe you fast forward to that. That was hilarious. Wow, that is so. But you can go check out. It's got their normal, you know, humor all the way through Just it. Just a second. Oh. Yeah, they're great to watch. Is this laptop? All right, we're going to meet them at okay. Coco Fest. Yeah, they're at Coco Fest. Okay, okay, okay. Portable as long as somebody follows you around with the generator. Yeah, with a battery pack. <laughs> it's so portable. It's so portable. Like and subscribe. Buy merchandise. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're quite the pair. I I love them. But yeah, it's um, I I actually mentioned I think in one of the comments uh, on the on the on this particular video there that they should take it camping now, and they thought camping laptop awesome. So yeah. sitting out in the tent in the middle of nowhere, you can fire up MC10 and play some Jim Gary games. <laughs> Ken, I will let you explain this one because actually we're talking about uh, now. Here's the actual title: the MCX 32 SD. And I'll fast forward a little bit here. Okay, so yeah, I got an MCX 32 SD for my uh, MC10. So I just basically go through and uh, show you how to set it up and uh, how to use the file browser on it, which I noticed uh, Taylor and Amy weren't using, so they just had the huge yeah, the page after page string of games. <laughs> Now, one thing I noticed, you put a blurb here, which I did not know, is that this uh, the 32K RAM upgrade actually works with the 8K onboard RAM, so you can actually use PMO3 and PMO4. Yeah. Which I don't hmm. think they have either. I think they just have the stock 4K on board. So. Yeah, the, so mine's, mine's got the 8K upgrade in it, and I've never known whether this would actually work with it, so... Now, does it add extra 4K to your free space of RAM as well, then? Or is it no. kind of... Oh, it doesn't, okay. No. Um, yeah, so I just go through and, uh, play around with it a little bit. I'm, I was basically just learning how to use it when I made this video. So. Okay. But you, you're one of the many people that was trying to get it. And of course that's been sold out. Yeah. And, uh, now that, uh, Darren Atkinson has actually released the files to make one of these things for free anywhere. I know, uh, Frank at, uh, Retro Rewind is actually working on getting that done. He had some problems because his MC10 is actually having some issues here. So testing is a bit of a bugger when you don't have a working machine to test it on. <laughs> so he's in the midst of getting that fixed up. I think last time I heard from him here too. So well, uh, tell me, can send me worth. all the cartridges he makes. I'll test them on my computer. If they work on there, that's fine. And he can sell them. <laughs> well, he'll be at the fest. So maybe he can bring a bunch and he can test them while we're at the show. Means you if you want to drag your, with me? <laughs> yeah, if you want to drag him, I'll let you two work that out. If that, if, you, if that's actually just not a joke, <laughs> you know, three years ago we we referred to this machine as a doorstop. Yeah, I've come around on that. Yeah, honestly, and now it's a fully working uh, color computer, basically. Yeah, I mean, you've got extended basic, you've got thirty two k RAM free, you've got a you know a SD card based RAM drive basically on it. Uh, extended basic actually has a few features the Coco. Basics not have. And, and if it wasn't for Jim Gary, we'd have four games to play. <laughs> oh, no. Interfuto's got 12 already on their own. And their machine language, like they're actually more advanced than most of Jim's. There's yeah. there's multiple people. There's that other, uh, there's like a couple other cross platforms. Uh, what's the one guy's name? 
we've covered some of his stuff. He does an MC10 crossover too. For is there a lot of Russo is that his last name? I can't remember now. Is there a lot of Alice games around? Well, if it uh, runs on an Alice, it would run on. Uh... Yeah, the original Alice. Because remember, there's multiple right. Alice oh, well, and some yeah, others that are not the compatible. Alice, uh, right? They'd be in French, though. I know that um, Eight Bits in the Basement is uh, showing some of the French games on his channel on his Alice. So, yeah, and here you actually you play some of the old Infinity games. <laughs> yeah. And as yeah, you mentioned, you got the file you can, browser. Yeah, you have the file browser, so you can have different directories and put everything like a lot like the uh, Coco SDC, actually. If you put the and how you can actually just automatically load from any uh, file extension, it just knows automatically which one. And if you have two names the same, I didn't show it actually in the video because I cut it out for time. Mm -hmm. But if uh, I had Arial originally listed as the same thing, Arial.c10 and Arial.wav, and it'll automatically choose the one that loads the fastest. Oh, really? Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, probably should make a notice that if you stare at the flashing light on the uh, MC <laughs> MCX, you might get, you know, crazy like some of these people get with flashing lights. You mean like running around your front yard hauling an MC10 portable? Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it. <laughs> with somebody See? else right behind you with a power uh, generator. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Actually, speaking of the power generator and the MC10 being a proper portable, there's some discussion in the chat here about what you know what is required for that. And there's some uh, talk going back and forth between eight bits in the basement and James Diffendaffer and a few others here. Um, as far as I know, it needs AC for the serial port. Otherwise, five volt DC will do. And James kind of verifies that too. He said nine volt DC adapter will work with the MC10, but the serial port requires AC. So there's a little bit. If you want to use a serial port, you might have some issues. But it sounds like if you're not using that, and honestly, you're probably not going to modem with it. But the um, monitor. What's that? But oh, the monitor. monitor. Yeah. Now you probably, probably need you just, you just need a nine volt battery pack to hook up to it. Yeah, because they had it hooked up to a little small LCD. So I'm not sure exactly what the requirements would be there. Well, the one I have <laughs> has a. Um, battery in it and when it charges up you don't need to hook it up to electric anymore the monitor itself you mean yeah have you seen mine the little little no i don't recall that i didn't know it was battery anyway i found anyway, one exactly the size of an mc10 that's a, yeah i have I, it's on my uh ron's garage and you can go look at it and i i mentioned at the time last year that this would make a cool laptop and voila someone did yeah. it it's yeah. just that yours doesn't fold onto it like a laptop, right? No, it just sets up. You, you don't have a clamshell MC10. No. Like Taylor and Amy do. <laughs> but I can lay it down on top. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Double. Hey, go thing. check out Ken's video. Um, if you're, especially if you're interested in the MCX32 SD and you have an MC10. And, and I, I like the uh, fact that it works with the RAM upgrade. I did not know yeah. that. Hopefully they'll be available. More, more will be available soon. Yeah, I mean, now that um, chip shortages are starting to lessen, I don't know if that particularly affects that particular one. And now that uh, Frank is actually going to be actively doing it, he should hopefully have some on sale at the Fest, actually. Um, then, you know, other people can get the upgrade, too, because that's that's a game changer, I think, for that machine, honestly. Curtis, the Coco VGA would be nice, too, but that one is still hard to get the chips. Do you think, Curtis, uh, somebody's going to make a, a, a new board for the MC10 because um, they're not going to be available very long? 
into the future, are they? On uh, you know, oh, you mean like a replacement motherboard? Yeah, <laughs> I think if somebody does, they should fix some of the flaws. Yeah, like put 8K RAM right on it. Hook up those higher bits for the VDG to be able to access. So you could map video anywhere. Like you could do a couple minor improvements, and they would be backwards compatible software wise. Uh, but that would solve a lot of a lot of problems, I think. And plus, now since the Alice is out too, I mean, you have two different ways you can get schematics, right? Like the Alice right. probably has schematics available as well. So that's true. Uh, next up, uh, Jim Gary, Halloween Boogaloo. <laughs> so this is actually a video he's he showed before and he says uh, in his comments on the youtube uh, his youtube channel he says update to a program from 2013 programming contest this version is compiled and this is using greg dion's compiler so it's running a little bit faster than the original but it's completely text-based of doing a little animated halloween scene which i thought was kind of cute of course it's totally you know not halloween right now but whatever got some bats and you got the little witch flying across the top <laughs> what's this remind you of Star Thirteen Wars. ghosts. Oh, okay. Remember Star Wars, the the witch and bats in Star Wars? No, I don't. No, they have a Star <laughs> I'm sure Star Wars looked sharper than that. They have a Star Wars. Uh, oh, the animated ASCII film. Oh, yeah. the ASCII one. Yeah, yeah. Nancy, no, sure. Anything. It's just like that. I remember that. So, next up, um, we've got the Laird's Lair. We've covered them on occasion. They cover a lot of uh, different platforms, and he'd recently done a twenty most popular computers of the 8-bit era and this time he's doing uh the five ups most obscure computers from famous pc companies and ironically enough the mc10 is one of those um and he covers some other ones from atari and stuff too but i'll just play a little clip at the beginning here oh for a minute i thought that was the uh, uh coco fest uh, awesome table map man, it's a trs 80 model mc10 ironically enough he's picking brand new games to show that it's not that regular you know, obscure because people are still developing for it successor the tandy oh. coco and putting the famous trs 80 moniker onto the and we've covered this game before this is one of the older ones misleading because it isn't compatible with the range or even based on the silog z80 cpu which is of course anyway, i won't play the whole thing there but if you're interested in some of the computer history some of the other ones are, are fairly obscure too of course we know it from because it's in our wheelhouse but it's kind of interesting seems stuff like he mentioned the fact that you know it was only on sale basically for a year which is true though the software was on sale for a couple of years in the catalogs wouldn't you say that that pac-man for um mc10 is one of the best it's a really good one and they have a complete clone of our space assault uh, that was ported from the Coco as well. So, yeah, they have a Space Invaders plus Inafito's games and Jim Gary's games and uh, Caves Ooh, in Washington. If you want a graphic adventure game, there's a ton of stuff. Yeah. And the Pac Man is really good. That's one I think Jason usually demos at the fest if he has his yeah. MC10 there. He loves that game. It plays well, too. We actually had, wasn't that one of our uh, game challenge games when we had the uh, yeah. MC10 special? Yep, it was. Next up, switching to a little bit of Dragon News. Um, and this is the last story. Uh, so John Whitworth, of course, who went through cancer treatments and is doing quite well, from what I understand. I hope that, that keeps up. So congratulations to John. Uh, but he's actually got the replacement Dragon power supply unit boards back on sale again at Dragon Plus Electronics, which is the storefront he, on the web that he has. And he currently only sells it a kit version. Uh, he didn't want to dedicate to actually having to manufacture everything start to finish. But if you want the kit version... Now, we'll see if it's still in stock right now. Yep, still in stock. So that's something that apparently is a fairly common thing to fail on some of the dragons. 
Uh, so this is something that he had lots of requests to do if he got better enough to manufacture them again. And since he has, he's actually got the kits up and he's got a fair number of them. Um, so if you need one of those, uh, go to Dragon Plus, Dragon Plus Dash Electronics.co.uk and you can find the uh, PSU board there. I, I'm uh, a little surprised. Um, why did they need a board like that in the computer when they've already got a, um, a wart, you know, on the outside? Well, the wart only uh, provided. I see. Yeah, your two twenty down to your AC voltages, and this was your rectifier and regulator. This is multiple DC voltages in a rectifier. Yeah, I, I I believe it's a split voltage uh, adapter, uh, center tapped. One is, isn't it eighteen point five volts, and the other one's like an eight volts for the other one, AC. Needs for the uh, RS two thirty two. It has to have a plus and a minus. I will say the the new replacement one he's got is a lot smaller than the original because that actually extended most of that entire back. From what I remember, Karen yeah. can correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, you can see the. So I bet it was a big old linear supply. So does the Coco do the same thing only with that little? Um... It's on the motherboard. Yeah. It just seems to be a whole lot of real estate for no reason. Top chip. Well, they're. Um... Their power supply board also included the modulator. Oh, yeah, the RF modulator is built in the power supply board, so that your video signal's on that same board instead of on the main motherboard. Yeah. Uh, does that make sense with all the um, radiation from the power supply? Maybe more heat uh, than radiation, I think. But <laughs> Well, then that's the thing is the, the video board is in the megahertz and the power supply is in the hertz. So... It's a lot better to put the the two very dissimilar frequencies together than to try to put the two megahertz computer with the four megahertz video signal and keep those separated. So, Rick, you're awesome. You explained it. <laughs> yeah, and and the other thing too is that as long as you've got really good ground planes, usually that will take care of interference and the caps. So, which a lot of people's projects, if if you look at them, some of them do not have very good ground planes, which means it's easy to get RF interference from radio, cell phones. What's what's missing on this board? It's the top and the left side. Well, they basically shrunk it using modern techniques compared to the original 1982 one, which was quite a bit longer. Well, I think he's referring to the empty pads. No, this board. Oh, a couple well, of on this missing and... Oh, okay. I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't have the modulator on it. No. That's well, all the most, video stuff. Yeah, most people like, for instance, with my dry my Tano, I never use the RF. I always use the the uh, um, composite that comes out the uh, the AV connector that's on the left side of the dragon. So, I see he's got an optional standby power, presumably a uh, battery RAM maintainer or something going on. It's not populated. There's a connector in the bottom left there to RGB port board. Yep, you saw that. So, looks like he's got uh, the ability for some other options. 
He's even got Tano and UK Dragon jumper switch there too, just above that RGB connector. Wait a minute. That's a barrel jack in place of the uh, DE9 connector that would normally be for the power input. Yeah, you just feed it with like 12 volts or something. Just a yeah. standard dirt. Okay, so so it's more of instead of a conversion, it's more of an upgrade at the same time instead of needing the split voltage brick. So you're yeah, he's got DC. the switching power supplies to generate your different voltages. So you're putting DC in this time instead of uh, an AC. Yeah, yeah. So some weird because wasn't it weird that British power supplies seem to explode a lot? The, uh, <laughs> they had Amstrads. If you unplugged the power supply from the computer while it was plugged in, it blew up everything in sight. It was just something about British power supplies was fragile. Maybe it was the 240 volts. That it. It's a curse of Lucas Electric. There you go. Prince of Darkness. <laughs> now, it's it's a... Uh... A lot of the stuff, if you have the proper electrical wiring in your house, you actually have 240 here in the U.S. It's right. just most people don't realize that if you just had an outlet run from your your two uh, your two uh, halves of the wave, you'd actually be able to use the 240 stuff from your. But to, but to go into USA terms, you have 26 amps. Of 110 volts going into any weedy little power supply that you plug in. What could go wrong there? <laughs> <laughs> well, then there's the other thing. In certain circumstances, it's always good to use an isolation transformer. Well, I'll tell you what, guys, we're pushing five hours for this show. Yep, I'm done the news. That was yeah, the story. So my kitties are telling me it's overdue for dinner time. All right, I think Bye. I think Ken's out in too because I've been hopping all over his desk. <laughs> yeah. So see you next week at the same scheduled time. Let's uh, the outro here. And this concludes another episode of the Coco Nation, the world's leading live interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things The Coco Nation, visit us on the web at thecoconation.com. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to show at thecoconation.com. The Coco Nation show would not exist without the community and its cast and crew. The Coco Nation theme song copyright 2022 D. Bruce Moore. Mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. The Coco Nation is over. Join us on the Coco Discord server. Coco forever. Okay. That's it. Goodbye. Right. Bye. Bye, everyone. See you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. If I turn my camera on, you guys might actually be able to see me. There we go. Bye. <laughs> <Later later. laughs>